from 1978. That is Bob Seger, Hollywood Nights, the Bob Seger song that is not old-time rock and roll. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dan Druff with Hellas. That song, by the way, was written somewhat about Cheryl Teagues. Bob Seger was driving through the Hollywood Hills and had just seen Cheryl Teagues on the cover of a magazine. And he just kind of thought to himself, what if just some naive guy from the Midwest came out and met someone like her and fell in love with her? What would happen? So he wrote that song based upon that. Amazingly, oh, will you listen to this? Skype has sound effects now. I, I didn't... I did tell Skype to have sound effects. I think it's coming from my cell phone. That's even worse. Anyway, I'm glad to have these sound effects because we have a host back who has fallen asleep the last few weeks that we had the show because it starts so late. Calwatt, hello. Happy New Year, Druff. Happy New Year, Calwatt, and I'm glad we're starting off the New Year on a good note with you being awake. Do your, do your people celebrate this New Year? Yeah, oh yeah, my people celebrate this New Year. We, we, we celebrate uh, a few New Year's. Because I know you don't celebrate Christmas, right? No, we don't celebrate Christmas. We we actually have two New Years. There's the regular New Year, and then there's the Jewish yeah. New Year. And the Jewish New Year, we're, we're in the uh, the 5700s. So if you're Jewish, you get to see what life is like in the 5700s, which I bet you will not be able Holy to Holy crap. Is that a lunar New Year? Uh, yes, it actually is. Yeah, so it's just like the Chinese New Year or a lot of the other Asian New Years. Well, yeah, and, and it started earlier, too. That's why it's up to the, the 5700s, but... Uh, you know, I, well, I get to live in the future. So sure. Nice. <laughs> I get to live in the future, so that's something that I enjoy. So we're going to have Trey Daruski on shortly. This is, nice. being, this is being broadcasted live and recorded on January 5th, 2018 at 9.26 p.m. Right now is the time, Pacific time. It's after midnight already there in the East Coast where Calwatt is located. Yeah, so I probably don't need to tell you that we, we're probably going to need Trader Ruski. Yes, yes. So, I, I got some Glenlivet uh, 18 oh, for nice. Christmas. <laughs> I'm going to be working my way through it, and then lights out. So what is the temperature like where you are right now? Cold. <laughs> Do you know what the actual temperature is? Because I, yeah. I, I, Hold on. I'll get it, I'll get it for okay, you. Okay. Uh, it is right now outside. It is negative 16 degrees Celsius. Wow. Right? And which feels like negative twenty five degrees Celsius, um, because well, Celsius, you know, we're the wind chill Europe. factor Hang and all on, that kind of stuff. Why, why Celsius? We're not in Europe. Why Celsius? Wait, what do you mean we're not in Europe? What if what if we're in fucking Canada? We're not in Canada either. I know you're close well, to Canada, but we're not in Canada. This listen, is an American show. You can say whatever you want, but I I have thought that. The imperial system that we use is fucking idiotic for a long time, and I decided to stop bitching about it. I, I changed everything over from Fahrenheit to Celsius. I changed my car from miles to kilometers, <laughs> and it's my own personal protest, all right? Well, That's all it is. I but mean, I like units that fucking make sense, man. Well, okay. The, the, the thing with your car, that can actually help you because... It appears you're going faster than you really are. So you're you're only driving 62 miles per hour, and you may otherwise have the desire to go faster than that. But here you see 100. Right. You go, oh wow, I'm driving 100. That's exciting. No point to go faster than 100. So I can understand that. But I'll tell you what annoys me about Celsius mm. is that uh, first of all, people say, oh, it's it's negative one outside. No, it's not negative one. It's 30 degrees. Like negative one sounds so freezing. 
30 degrees it, it's yeah it's cool but it's, it's kind of cold but it's not it's not bone chilling freezing in fact it gets to negative one celsius in the los angeles area a few times a year so right, i'm gonna help you out though yeah i'm gonna help you out what uh, in the on the celsius scale what is freezing freezing is zero correct on the Celsius scale, what is the temperature that water boils at? Yes, I know it's 100, and this is why for science it's great Boom. to use Celsius. <laughs> it, right, so it for science... It makes sense. But that's for science. But, but it's never 212 degrees Fahrenheit outside, so you're never going to get to 100 for, the, for Celsius when, when describing the temperature. But... You know, it's all what you're used to. Like, believe me, I was raised on Fahrenheit. I'm used to Fahrenheit, too. It's taken a lot to try and you know, convert my brain over. But it's it's completely arbitrary, and if it's completely arbitrary, let's pick something that the rest of the world uses and makes sense. You know, do you also that's tell, my opinion. Do you also tell people that you're 186 centimeters? <laughs> no, I don't. Or, or 100 I'm kilograms? Not I'm not there yet. Okay, I'm not I'm not there on the units yet, but you know, I'm I'm getting there. I'm okay. getting there. It actually is really hard, man. It's really hard to train your brain. To convert over because I'm still like when I'm reading stuff in kilometers, I'm still kind of mentally converting it to something that has an inherent value. To yeah, it. yeah, that's you what, what I mean? do too. Like when I was I was in Canada for yeah. a week over the summer, that's what I did. Everything was, was uh, kilometers and then uh, Celsius. Also. But do you I, remember back in the '80s there was a big push? Like I remember when I was back in in school in grade school, we were learning the fucking metric system. Yes. What what the fuck happened? Yeah, they were like, it, why didn't we just do it? It did seem to be going that direction, and it kind of died. But I have to say, why? I'm not I'm not unhappy about that. I'm I'm happy we have our Fahrenheit and our miles and and our inches. Oh, do you know the the two countries on the planet that use the metric system or sorry the imperial system? I don't know the other one. Angola. Okay, well, good for them. Even the fucking British that the imperial system is named after don't use that fucking system anymore. Yeah, it just seems weird to me. It well, it is weird. weird because it's not what you're used to, and I get that. It's it's weird to me too. But as a system that makes sense, the metric system makes way more sense, at least in my opinion. And and yeah, honestly, like in this country. Um, a lot of people don't. Yeah, a lot of people outside the U.S. don't understand this, but there are a lot of industries in the U.S. that are on the metric system. Like if you're doing anything in math or science, you're using met- the well, metric yeah, system. Well, yeah, but there it makes sense because of the reasons that you've mentioned already, with the zero being freezing and hundred being boiling. But for as far as just everyday usage, just to describe the conditions, I, I still think that the system we have is better. That the come on, Druff. Fucking I'll tell inches, you why, like, feet, yards. Yes, yes. Okay, so I'll tell you why a few things are good here. So, like, with the temperature, okay, you get to zero, and that's, like, really, really cold. And, in fact, it doesn't occur that often. I know it's probably occurring where you are right now, but it's not. A, it doesn't occur that often where the temperature is below zero. And if it is, you know it's really, really freezing. If you if you hear the temperature is minus two outside, you go, oh, wow, that's, that's yeah, that's awful. Uh, so, so you've got a range, like, zero to 100 in, in Fahrenheit that encompasses the temperature for the most part of, of what it is outside pretty much everywhere. And then you have some extremes that exceed that. But at least when they exceed that, it, uh, it's reflected. Like anything over 100, you, you know, is very hot. Anything below zero, you know, is very cold. But and it's an arbitrary scale. It doesn't matter. 
it's arbitrary, but it's, it's, it's good for telling the temperature. It's good for telling the temperature. For telling the temperature, it still is all all just what you're used to. Well, that can you be know, said about any system. There's no reason why you couldn't use one or the other. Like It doesn't. Ma- it makes no difference. Okay. So, and also, but I think... Uh, you know, leaders how they use that for uh, for gasoline. That's just an excuse to charge you more money because it seems like uh, the gas prices are cheaper because it's three point eight liters to a gallon. So you go, oh wow, it's all, it's well, it's only two dollars. Oh wait, it's two dollars per liter. Oh crap, that's expensive. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, whatever. We we don't need to get into a whole metric system debate. But I'm just telling you that's what I use. So negative twenty five degrees Celsius, which is what it feels like outside. Um. Is negative thirteen Fahrenheit? That's fucking cold. Do you know? Do you know what the temperature is where Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same? Oh, I did know this, but I forgot. Now what is it? Negative forty. Negative forty. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we have a free roll that's starting in negative two minutes, nine thirty yep. p.m. on the. No what is Farm. that in Celsius, though? <laughs> it's a. Uh, <laughs> It's probably like, like negative one point eight three 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 three. <laughs> so okay, it's it starts it started at nine thirty p.m. Pacific time, but you can still get in there. The, the thread for the show actually says daylight time. I need to fix that, but it's, it's standard time, and it started two now three minutes ago. But you can get in with a full stack until nine fifty five, which is twenty five minutes of late registration. It's a seventy seven dollar free roll tonight, donated by four individuals who listen to this show see money generously donated fifty dollars and also 50 for next week nice G- Gordman gave 13 dollars disposition gave nine dollars and a gentleman in alaska gave five dollars he calls himself the eskimo so hmm. thank you to him as well forty dollars for first place second place will get 20 third will get 10 fourth will get seven I will send this to you by bank transfer, by Bitcoin, by cash, and by other methods. If you can uh, think of how I might be able to transfer money to you online through a service that you might know of that I'm not going to say out here. So email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, or PM me on the forum, Dan Space Druff, if you're one of those four winners. But make sure you qualify for the free money, or you won't get it. You need to qualify by reading the rules and following the rules. That's at PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds. And the rules can be found there. If you want to call into the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. I checked on it, by the way. I was just in Vegas. I checked on the Mount Charleston line. Very, very little snow in Mount Charleston. Very little. So the Mount Charleston line is doing just fine. Any drug needles like laying around it or anything? Not all the way up there at the cabin. But uh, no. it's it's in a cabin at the top of Mount Charleston. That phone number is 702-430-1808. It's an old 70s rotary phone. Forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. No matter which number you call, show your caller ID or you won't get through. And if I don't answer your call... Don't keep hammering the show 15 times in a row. Just try back in about 15 or 20 minutes or wait until we're coming to the end of a topic. I'm much more likely to take your call at that point. If you want to text the show, you can do so anytime, before, during, or after the show. I will respond to you, most likely. The phone number to text is 
775-372-8355. It's the same as our main phone number. Never too late or too early to text me. We have the call to listen line, which is a phone number you can call to listen to the show. You can call from any phone that can dial in the world. It does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require the internet or a computer. All you need is a phone, an old school phone or a new phone, doesn't matter. Any phone that can dial. 712-775-8162 is the number. 712-775-8162. Great thing to use if you don't have the best cell connection and want to hear the show streaming. It never buffers. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. One of my favorite things on this earth. It's located in a little shack in the town of Carroll, Iowa. It's been running for over two years. Hundreds of thousands of minutes are listened to on that line every year. I'm not exaggerating. Uh, When the show is not live, you can also call that number and you can hear the streaming reruns on that number. You can hear where the computer picks a random show from our library of shows dating back to 2012, runs it in full, and then picks another one at random over and over and over again until we come back on live. And when we're live, of course, you can listen to the show on that number. You can also do the same thing by going to the radio page on Poker Fraud Alert, or you can use the TuneIn app. Every show appears in the archives, so you can catch it if you missed it. We have that in iTunes, in Stitcher, in the TuneIn app. TuneIn, you can listen live to the show and also the reruns on demand. Also, Google Play. You can download the MP3 file directly from our server and listen that way. In fact, iPhones can just play it directly. And there's an RSS feed if you know how to use that. So a lot of ways to listen. Just go to the radio page on PokerFraudAlert.com. You will find that. You'll also find any phone number you may have forgotten. It's all right there for you. Trivia Druff, what does RSS stand for? Really simple... Oh, crap, I'm forgetting the last S. What's the last S? Syndication. Okay, that was it. Okay, so here's the agenda this evening. We talked about Bitcoin a lot last week. I got a response from someone on Twitter. A manager of Bitcoin and possibly one of the owners, we're still kind of sorting this out, but we have our very strong suspicions and even some evidence. Uh, Anyway, this individual has struck back against me on Twitter. He, he was very angry, very unhappy about the things I said on this show and on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum about him and his father and Bitcoin in general. I'll also give you an update on what Bitcoin is doing regarding the refunding of the bad beat jackpot that they initially stole. And yes, they stole it. They, they stole it. They said they were stealing it. And then they did a bit of an about face, but I'm still skeptical. So we'll talk about all that on that segment. This seems to be the time that it's no longer viable to play poker if you're a lesbian named Vanessa. First we had Vanessa Russo leaving poker. Now we have Vanessa Selbst. Vanessa Selbst has announced that she's retiring from poker and she's claiming to have quit as a Poker Stars pro. I will give you my take on that whole thing and we'll talk a bit about Vanessa Selbst, who I've mentioned before on this show, but I'll go a bit more in depth. Daniel Negranu. Another Poker Stars pro talked about his $2.8 million in tournament caches this year, or shall I say last year, 2017. $2.8 million he cashed in tournaments. Before you get too jealous of Daniel Negreanu, 
he revealed just recently that despite that lofty number in total caches, that he actually lost money playing tournaments in 2017. So that is... No sound effects. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I just, I just put it back on here or put it on. So that is uh, pretty shocking. Even I did not picture that. I've always been one saying, okay, all these tournament players, you see them cashing so much, but how much are they really making? I thought Negreanu had a very good year, and to hear that he was a net loser... Was shocking. We'll talk about that and why Negreanu revealed that. I stayed at Caesar's Palace during New Year's. Saw the fireworks from my Caesar's Palace room. Had a great view of it. But I will tell you about three big fails, or actually not big fails, three uh, minor fails that were annoying and laughable that occurred at Caesar's Palace during my stay. Last week, we talked about self-proclaimed sports betting baller Mike Gorodetsky. There's an update to the story. He has been banned from certain sports books since that USA Today story on December 26th came out. We'll talk about that and why he has been banned and what that means. Does that really mean that he actually is a winner? A poker player has been arrested for a bank robbery in New Jersey. It's funny, these losing poker players, they... There's always a few of them that go this route, where they rob banks or do other really bad things to get a poker bankroll. I mean, not quite as bad as like killing your parents, as one guy did, but robbing banks is still pretty bad. Borgata, uh, Borgata cheater and chip flusher, Christian Lusardi, has been released to a halfway house. This is a poker fraud alert exclusive has not been reported anywhere else. In fact, it was found by one of our listeners and brought to my attention. We will tell you about that. And Christian Lusardi may be a free man. And who knows? He could be cheating in a poker tournament near you or uh, clocking a toilet near you quite soon. The Lucky Dragon Casino in Las Vegas. Have you ever heard of that, Calwatt? Never heard of it. I hadn't either. But Sounds like they probably have a lot of Asian table table games or something. You're, you're actually correct. But the little-known Lucky Dragon Casino in Las Vegas has closed. I'll tell you a bit about the Lucky Dragon and uh, what it was best known for in certain circles. This is a story I'm sure Calwatt has an interest in. The SEC has dropped its case against Ustake, but uh, Ustake has also dropped its countersuit against the SEC. So uh, Ustake once owned Calwatt's site uh, Tasty Steaks and no longer does. So this is a story about them. Not about Tasty Steaks, but about you, Steak. Have you, have you uh, yeah. followed this whole thing? I don't have a whole lot of interest, really, to be honest okay. with you. What, what, were you. what were you saying? Have, have you followed the story at all? Um, I actually didn't see anything about it until I read the agenda, and then I read the FlushDraw.net article and was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be excited. I mean, no. Because the only thing that I would be excited about um, was if there was an actual ruling where the SEC like declared this stuff legal, or you know what I mean. Like if there's something definitive, at least from what I read, there was absolutely nothing from a definitive point of view saying that um, you know this is legal. Yeah. Well, now, now nobody has to listen to the segment. Good job. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, you asked me, man. I know. I, that's my fault. <laughs> Uh, a ridiculous online poker-based altcoin, that's an alternative cryptocurrency, is going to be released, uh, supposedly valued at uh, a very high sum of money. 
And again, this is a, a an alternative cryptocurrency based on online poker. It's going to there's going to be an initial coin offering soon worth one hundred billion dollars. Still no, still no sound. Anyway, well, uh, it's. I'll tell you guys what it really is when we get to that segment. I can't believe you still have no sound. I'm gonna I'm gonna try right now. Let's see if you can see if you can hear this now. Hear that? Couldn't hear it? Now I can't hear you. <laughs> what is going on here? Okay, I'm just I'm just gonna pretend everything's fine. I'm just gonna pretend everything's fine and go on. I, I don't know what happened. I played him a sound effect and now we can't hear him. Can you hear me now? Yeah, now I can hear oh, you. Oh yeah, I, I heard the sound effects. I okay. don't know what happened. Okay. <laughs> well, you must have changed something when he said, "Can you hear me now?" Yeah, it was on mute, but I, oh, okay, I'm pretty okay. sure I didn't hit it. Okay. Anyway. Well, all right. All right. Let, let's let's uh, let's get started here. If you want to chat in the chat room, by the way, that is open. If you're listening to the live show, and I will try to read the chat room. Calwatt reads it more than I do, but it's mainly for you guys to talk amongst each other. And uh, not much to really repeat in there. I'm reading it uh, briefly. But uh, you guys can talk amongst yourselves, and if Calwatt sees anything of interest to tell me, he will. So I want to talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, to my knowledge, the oldest Bitcoin-based online poker room in existence. It was brought to my attention before Seals with Clubs existed. In fact, uh, MyCon showed it to me. I saw Bitcoin the first time when MyCon was explaining Bitcoin to me, the very first time I had heard about it. This is before most of you had heard about it at all. And I wasn't that interested in it, but he showed me that you can gamble with Bitcoin too and showed me this website, betco.in, where you can play poker for Bitcoin. So... I said this whole thing looks shady, and he said, yeah, it's a fail site, it's terrible, but Bitcoin ended up being a competition, uh, it ended up being the competition, the main competition for Mike on Seals with Club site, which is now known as SWC Poker, and I, I had heard over the years that Bitcoin actually was shady, and that there were a number of little scandals over there, and that you, you basically couldn't trust them. This was one of your, your basic, shady, very selfish, very... Uh, untrustworthy small online poker operation that that just didn't care they didn't care that much about their rep they would they just screwed people left and right and they figured hey we're never going to be huge it doesn't matter we've got our loyal players and our loyal players are so loyal as long as it doesn't affect them they don't really give a shit so if, if we screw someone and if it's lucrative for us to screw them we'll screw them that, that's basically been their attitude in their lifetime from what i've seen Bitcoin. so Am I surprised that a scandal, a bigger scandal, eventually unfolded there? Of course not. So, as reported on previous episodes of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, Bitcoin first had some flaw in their software, which allowed people to register for tournaments without any funds in their account. And since Bitcoin was on a tournament network, what this actually did is it charged the network the money because the network was putting on the tournament. Bitcoin was just kind of the entryway into the tournament. And then Bitcoin was responsible to collect the money from its players and reimburse the network. So with all these people registering who didn't have money in their account, uh, Bitcoin 
would have had to make up a very large sum of money. I don't know how much it was, but you know, the people, the word got around about this exploit, and it got used a lot. And Bitcoin would have been out a lot of money. So I don't have proof of this, but I, what I presume happened is they just screwed the network because very shortly after that happened, they announced that they're not going to be offering poker anymore after December twenty fifth. Okay, so that very much seemed unless unless it was a complete coincidence, it very much seemed like that was what caused the end of Bitcoin poker. Now, Bitcoin also has a casino. So they didn't shut down the site completely. They just shut down poker. And they were claiming that poker just isn't worth running anymore, especially, you know, they, they blame this. They said, okay, you know, people are going to take advantage of things like this and cost us all this money. We're not making enough money to justify Bitcoin to continue to operate poker. So we're stopping poker. So, okay, you know, it's their prerogative to stop poker when they want. The truth is they stopped poker because once they lost their tournament network over this whole thing, they they basically just had a fairly dead cash site and no tournaments, so it really was making very little money at that point. The the only real worth of the poker side to them was the tournaments because they were part of this network which provided players from all over. It was it was the same network that America's Card Room's on. So once that was gone, they said, "Okay, we're going to shut it down." So okay, fine. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's pretty crappy of them to screw the network over, which I I'm almost sure they did, but. That's more between them and the network, and that's not a huge story for the average poker player. But the really bad thing that happened was that they had a 43-Bitcoin bad beat jackpot, which at the time was worth almost $700,000. Now, since Bitcoin went up, it's worth more than $700,000. And they just took it. They just said, sorry, that we sold the site. They, They made up the story about selling the site, which I don't believe. The new owners claimed, uh, sorry, we're not honoring promotions from the old owners, which, which is such crap because that's not, that's not a promotion. <clears throat> a, a bad beat jackpot is built up by raking an extra amount from the winner of each pot, and it's supposed to be returned to the players, or most of it returned to the players. And the house well, hold on, Josh. I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Are you telling me that a business that was poker and cryptocurrency related is ripping people off? <laughs> Come on. They, both of these industries have stellar reputations. Yes, I know you're shocked. For not having that kind of thing happen. I know you're shocked. But I, I, I know you're shocked that when they stopped offering poker that uh, they didn't want to pay out something worth about $700,000. I know that's shocking also that they didn't. That uh, Got to pay for that condo down in the Caribbean. You know? Yeah, so so they made off with it and claimed uh, we're just not we're not honoring promotions of the previous ownership as if it's just some promotion that uh, was being offered. They're just killing. No, no, this is money that players paid into. They were supposed to go back to the players. In fact, every state in the United States and I believe just about every uh, country offering poker has rules regarding bad beat jackpots that they or any kind of jackpot that's player funded that they have to be paid out before any room can close. They don't have to be paid out in the same way. Like They can change the rules of the contest, but they have to pay it back out to the players in a way where everyone has an opportunity to win it. So they did not do that. There was a lot of outrage about it. Uh, I even created some fake Bitcoin admin accounts on their own forum to post about it, and I, I was trolling them for a while, pretending to be them. So during last week's radio show on Wednesday, something very surprising occurred. Bitcoin announced that they would be paying the bad beat jackpot. And I said, oh, wow. So someone sent this to me to take a look at it. I think it was Forum Wars, and I read it. And yes, they claim they're going to be paying the bad beat jackpot, but not really the way they should. They claimed what they were going to be doing would be 
tracking down what each person had contributed to that particular bad beat jackpot and just refunding that to their account. Well, there's what? no there's, there's no way to prove that. There's no way to prove they're really doing that. So each person will get a little bit in their account, but there's no way to tell that the whole thing adds up to 43 Bitcoin because you, you know ha, there's no way to contact every account holder who's ever had an account on Bitcoin during this and, and played during this current bad beat jackpot. So, so it's a joke. So the, the, this is a, a type of thing where they can claim they were funded and then actually only refund a small percentage of it because they know only a small percentage of people will be able to talk to one another about it. And no one's going to get a big, a, a, a very large portion of it because it's it's just how much they raked from each person for that particular jackpot. So Do we really think that they've stored this data? That's the other problem. That uh, I mean, it's possible, but it, it seems po- unlikely. Right, right. It seems unlikely that they would actually store uh, which person raked what. They they probably they may store the total rake someone paid, but not you know the total they paid to this particular jackpot. Uh, that would be something I wouldn't I wouldn't think that they would store. But even if they stored it or could reproduce it in some way, I just don't believe that that's really what they're doing. And even if that's what they're doing, they have to think that they're going to be able to make off with a lot of the money because some of these people may never come back to claim it. People who busted their account that may get you know a few dollars back, uh, they're not even they're not even going to know to to go on there and look for it. Or if they do, they may not want to because it's it's not worth claiming a few bucks. Do they have a do they have a policy about cleaning out inactive accounts like some other sites have? I don't know if they do or not, but I wouldn't be surprised if one is created down the line. And keep in mind, they still have no poker, so these people especially won't come back. So it's a, it's a even if they really are doing it honestly and really refunding every penny of it back uh, to every account, yeah. then they they can probably still keep most of most of these people will probably never cash out. And if they never cash out, then it's the same as them keeping it. So, so what's what's the difference between them, from a monetary point of view? What's the difference between them refunding it to everyone that paid into it versus just paying it? Well, so then the question comes: Okay, if they just pay it, it should in some be zero, way, right? Well, the question is: Who do they pay it to? If they if they if if they don't do this, have what a fucking is, free roll or something. That's that's what I thought. Right? That we discussed this last show, and we thought that, that really the best way to do it is have some kind of free roll, maybe for everybody who has played in the you know real money in the last X number of months, something like Actually, that. Actually, to make it fair, like don't even have a free roll. Don't require participation. Just, just fucking randomly pick somebody. You know, yeah. I mean, it's another way they could do it. Yeah. Yeah, so well, the problem that could be rigged though. If they can't give the whole seven hundred k to somebody, or it can be rigged. The free roll could be rigged too. I mean, you know. No, but it's much easier to rig one person. You, you say, "Oh, we're giving it to this guy." Oh, I'm so happy! And it turns out that it's, it's you know their best friend that nobody knows. So that, that's true enough. So, but but if they, I think a free roll would be fine. Just a free roll. Everybody who's played in the last six months, real money qualifies, and and, and go from there. So that that's what I think they should do. But I I don't know if. I don't know if they're going to do it. So uh, there's supposedly an update. If somebody could tell me. Um, I saw someone was trying to call in. If you're calling in about this Bitcoin thing, please call in. Please call back. The re- I, I denied a call because I don't want to derail the segment. But if you're calling to tell me about what way they're paying the – I was told that they've changed it and it's something I would approve of, which would surprise me. But uh, – yeah, you know, who knows? I'd like to hear it. So, if if somebody does have information on how they're currently going to be paying out, let me let me try to go to their website right now. I just heard this right before the show that they're going to be changing the way they pay out the uh, the free roll. And the other funny thing was 
There's a guy who posts on the site named Twitchy Seal who brought this to our attention and who also has been very critical of Bitcoin for a while. Uh, apparently they made like fake chat logs of him discussing how that he's going to ruin Bitcoin's reputation because he's he's loyal to Seals with Clubs or something stupid like that. Like he, he's some secret agent for uh, Seals with Clubs. I, I can't wait till they say that about me that I'm a secret agent for Seals with Clubs. Yeah, even though Mike on and I hate each other now, that this, somehow I'm still a secret agent. Uh, maybe that's been my plan all along to pretend that Mike on and I uh, had a huge falling out and don't like each other anymore. But you got to be over the hate by now, right? But 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 secretly, if you if you saw Mike on on the street somewhere, like you wouldn't you wouldn't go out of your way to like you know be a dick to him. No, would I just you? wouldn't say anything to him. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean. But but I'm saying it would just make him a non-entity to you, right? Yeah, but it's, it's just funny that uh, they think that this guy is doing this as like a secret agent for Seals right. and Clubs, and I, I have a feeling anyone who criticizes them will be accused of the same thing. So, mm-hmm. and to show you guys, by the way, to show you how I am not biased on this site about what stories I cover and don't cover, when I trash a site like Bitcoin, this actually helps Seals with Clubs. And, uh, and yes, they don't offer poker anymore, but uh, but still, like people who used to play there, I've mentioned seals. People could go over there now because that, you know, the, like clearly, what I'm saying could help seals. Could bring the listeners that uh, are listening to the show over to seals. I'm not recommending it, but I'm saying that uh, I could just ignore this because there's seals competition. But I'm not because I I think it's a story worth uh, worth covering. So. Anyway, I, I if someone could send me the information on what the bad beat jackpot distribution method is now. Or you can call in at uh, 775-FRAUD-55 and uh, explain this. But if it's something we can't verify, and when I say we, I mean not just me personally, but anybody who... The royal we. Yeah. Anybody who who's an observer can verify if they wish. That's what I'd like to see. Otherwise, there's really no way to tell that they're not keeping the money. And you know, if they do that at that point, uh, I'm not saying that they're off the hook. At that point, they still should make good with anybody else who got screwed over the last, uh, you know, recent I don't know year or whatever that I've heard of scandal after scandal over there. But uh, anyway, caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Todd? Uh, this is Twiggy Steel. Oh, hi. So, so I know you know the most about this. So what is the current way they're distributing the uh, bad beat jackpot that they claim? Okay, so I think first we have to go back a, a, about a week or two into some uh, what's actually happened. And, well, actually, first let me go back and rephrase exactly what's going on. Right now, I'm on a ski trip in... Uh, northern Vermont, and it's been a long day, but I wanted to call in and make uh, clear exactly my ship with Bitcoin. Over the past three years, uh, there has been no one that has been more critical of the site, the way they've been run. And about uh, three weeks ago, um, actually, maybe it was two weeks ago, Julie, can you go, can you go close the bathroom door? Yeah, close the bathroom Sorry. door. It's not, it's, it's not, it's, it's, what, what, wait, wait, hold on. What, hold, hold on. I, before, I, have the lap, I have the laptop going on in the bathroom, and I ran out to like call by the window to get a better reception. 
You Sorry, don't have. I, I thought. I thought maybe trailing behind you, do you? No, I thought. I, I thought maybe it smelled bad in the, in the condo or something, and you had to. Hey, can you close the bathroom door? I just went yeah. in there. <laughs> no, at least not he's not doing alignment and pissing all over the place while you're uh, on the yeah. phone, right? No, now. I'm not. I'm not doing anything <laughs> like that. So let me just give you a uh, an overview of what's on right now. Is uh, about a week and a half ago, after literally two to three years of Bitcoin uh, banning me and um, doing anything they could to uh, discredit any of my claims, despite any of the evidence that I provided, um, they all of a sudden, they claimed, hey, but, hey guys, guess what? Uh, as of just December 25th, the, uh, the poker room is going to be closed. Uh, sorry, we got, we got acquired, you know kind of it, it kind of seemed like they were giving themselves a high five for um getting sold and they're like you know being acquired because we're awesome i immediately bullshit and i uh immediately got support from the same people in the uh in the bitcoin community saying like you know no way bullshit like you're just closing this and oh hey by the way you've got this uh you've got this bad beat jackpot going on that's worth 43 bitcoin which is uh, I don't know the exact amount, but it's, I mean, it's, we're touching close to a million dollars. And so my, my immediate response was, <clears throat> uh, Hey, cool. Like you guys are going to stop running your shitty poker room, you know, enjoy the million dollars you're taking off with. I hope that, uh, you don't get any action on your sports book or your casino because I hope everyone knows that you just stole a million dollars from poker players. Right. Does that sound like a response? Yeah, yeah. And we talked about that last week. So, so but you said that you had yeah. posted on the site that something's happened since then that that they've agreed to pay it. Yes. With, okay. Uh, something has happened since then. Um. To, and if I'm going too slow, let me know. And uh, I don't mean to like drag the show on, but I want to get all the details out there. Uh, I've had like def- definite uh, personal issues with specific members of support to the point where uh, I know which member of support I'm dealing with because of the way the shitty way they treat me. There are three <laughs> specific. There's like Bitcoin Jessica, Bitcoin Andrew, and Bitcoin Paul. Bitcoin and, uh, Andrew is not me, by the way. Just want to clarify that. Do you think these are real people? <laughs> do you think these are real people? This Bitcoin Jessica, Andrew, and Paul, or do you think it's just uh, fake names of, of the I, owners I, there? I think that they are maybe two real people. They could be three real people, and they are. They certainly use each other's accounts. But there's definitely at least they they definitely were at least two of two different people. Um, in my opinion, and this is speculation just from, um, their, uh, the things that they've said to me, or I guess they're, they're all English, English speakers, but uh, you can just kind of tell by the way they responded to me. Like, uh, uh, you know, they, they like to fuck with me a lot and I was pretty, I was pretty, uh, relentless and oh, over the years, uh, I, I could go on for forever about like the ways that they and they basically fucked me talked to lots of players but back to the we're talking we're still on the agenda don't ruin your agenda and make this like a four hour agenda 
No, no, no. This is the real topic, but but I, I do want to get to the the topics. We we covered it last week where we talked about the last where we left off basically okay. was that they were going to p- pay out the bad beat jackpot by refunding it to each person who had the portion they had paid into it, and I and okay. I was very skeptical yes. of that. Okay. Yes. So uh, let's skip a lot of the bullshit, which I could absolutely do lots of details of, and I have actually posted on your site uh, in the last twenty four hours. Let's skip this to this. This jackpot. And it's just a scheme that that the people who were running uh, Bitcoin, or uh, more specifically the Bitcoin poker room, are gone now. And let's assume that the new people want to do the racing, and this, and, and they don't intend on continuing to run the poker room but they believe that they have a successful uh, model to run a sportsbook in casino with license. Um, I think one of the biggest clues that we have, or not clues, but uh, one of the biggest pieces of evidence that points to the fact that, that they're not actually completely full of shit is that they've banned all users. Uh, you cannot deposit anymore onto Bitcoin to plan the casino or the sportsbook uh, the, com- the poker room is completely closed, but they are processing uh, withdrawals, although uh, caveat being uh, the, the fees are super high with Bitcoin right now. They are also taking uh, uh, Ethereum, Litecoin, and whatever those the other Bitcoin... So, so okay. I, from, uh, by the way, I want to tell you the, the connection you have to the show. I'm very interested in what you have to say, but the, unfortunately your connection is very bad. I've tried to kind of uh, tolerate okay. it, but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been very bad, so it's kind of hard to uh, to understand what you're saying, which makes the longer stories even longer. So and someone's saying uh, you can't get can't get out of clear thoughts, someone just said in the chat room, which is true. So, okay, I, I, I want to... Uh, so, so, no, it's not his fault. It's that they, it's a, the cell phone reception is terrible. Right. So I Actually, I have a solution for that. If, if you'd like, I can give you uh, my hotel number at a... Uh, I'm at a resort... Right now, you give me the. the uh, I can text you privately. Yeah, yeah. Text, text the way to get a hold of you privately. Because this, this is kind of brutal trying to listen to this. So, okay. <laughs> I've been or, trying. Or, I, I mean, if, if it would be better, I can um, do this another day. It's, I'm, I'm in. I'm okay, in, okay. I'm well, how about that? Right how about now, this? And we just got like hammered with a bunch of. I think it's like negative twenty degrees and shit. So okay, so yeah, let, here too. Let, here let, too. Let, me, let me let me get to this real quick. Just tell me what what is the new method that they're distributing the bad beat jackpot, and then we'll go on from there. Okay, uh, new method. Is... <laughs> you can't even get that out. What the fuck? Okay, I was... yeah, but they okay. No, 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 no I, we didn't hear you. We, we, we couldn't hear you. It's uh, you know, just just send me the uh, number you're where you're at. I'll try to. You know, if I call you, though, people will hear which resort it is, though. This, this is too difficult. I, I I have to drop this guy. I I appreciate his help. Uh, he, he, I'm sure he knows. I mean, I know he knows a lot about this because he's been posting on the forum a lot. But uh, this makes bad radio when it's uh, every other word gets cut out. Not his fault. I mean, when you're in the mountains, uh, your reception's not good. That's the way it is. But uh, you sure you're up high, though. You should have a great, a great you know, line reception, of sight, clear shot at the tower. Yeah, I guess. Not if there's not many tar- towers around there. I guess, or if there's mountains in the way. So, anyway. I guess we didn't get the answer to the question. I should have just pressed him to tell me that before his connection got really bad. 
I knew that was going to happen too. Like we're we're hearing like every other word, but it was like enough to kind of understand. And I'm like, okay, I'll just get out of him what the change is in the way they're distributing the bad beat jackpot, and then I'll let him go. So I said, okay, tell me in here. Okay, so the way it is, I go no. <laughs> yeah, it's worse than watching a porn video that won't load. It reminds me of of watching a porn video like back in the eighties when you had those converter boxes where it's all scrambled, and you had and you try to watch it through the 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 little squiggly line that's that's uh, covering the screen. It's, it's kind I of was like never a, that desperate. I attempted, but it uh, that that, <laughs> that line was that line was just a killer. It was the line just it was hard to get turned on through that squiggly line. Yeah, plus, I mean, that's going to ruin you for life, Druff. If that's what you're going to be looking for in your women, I mean, yeah, you know. I was looking for a squiggly line on them, yeah. All no right. woman could live up to that, that figure, you know. All right, Trader Ruski is trying to call it. So if, with our luck, he'll sound like that, too. We'll have that. Uh, no way. He's going to be driving somewhere. He'll have clear reception. It'll just take him like a minute to respond to us every time. But Trader Ruski, you never know if he's gone or if he's falling asleep or if he crashed his car. Trader Risky, hello. Hey guys. Now are Happy you... New Year, Trader Risky. You too. Hold on, I'm just for some reason it's was still coming through the browser on my phone, but I'm good now. Now are you are you <coughs> yeah. are you driving where, at the moment? Where are you driving? Yeah, where are you driving? I'm not. I'm, I'm at home. Oh, you're at home. Not, for, not for long. There's no way he's going to be on the he's going to be on the move soon. Nah, I'm in for the night. Mm, okay. You're not, no no dog walking in the crickets or anything. There could be some dog walking. Okay, okay, I Three, knew it. $300 to go get a slushy, or you're, you're in, in? <laughs> nah, I'm in, in. I'll <laughs> medical marijuana, or it's not even medical marijuana anymore the last few days. Yeah. I'm tired. Okay, <laughs> well, so uh, anyway, I, I want to get to the main point of this whole thing. I guess we'll reveal whatever the jack- jackpot thing is next week, but... That was hilarious, by the way, as a listener. Every time he started saying something, his voice would disappear. He, for some reason, he said his girlfriend is mad, too. He just said in the chat, my girlfriend is mad now. I don't know what to say. What's she mad about? He got off the phone fast. She should be happy I, I hung up on him. Yeah, I mean, he's given the 10-minute version of the 30-second story. Yeah. Do you guys know where the term jackpot comes from? No. Trader Ruski, you got any idea? Um, Jack Binion's probably no, that's, around that's way good, before that. That's a good guess. That's a good guess. But you guys uh, remember playing poker with your buddies? And you ever play a game called uh, Jacks or Better? Yep. Where you have to have Jacks or Better to be able to open the bidding. That's where it comes from because it, the the whole pot builds up and builds up until you someone actually gets Jacks or Better. That's where jackpot comes from. Really? Hmm. Yeah, for real. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's what uh, I had a little uh, Twitter spat on the 28th, or sorry, the 29th of December, with uh, a young man named uh, Machen or Mackin. I don't know how you say his uh, name. M a c h e n Matthews. Uh, you can see his Twitter at M a c h e n Matthews with one T. M a c h e n M a t h e w s. And he is the son of uh, of the guy who plays on Bitcoin as PLO8 Monster, uh, Randall Matthews. And Randall Matthews is 57 years old. 
Uh, Mackin or Mashin Matthews is, uh, I don't know, he looks like he's in his 20s, maybe 30. It's hard to tell from the picture. He kind of looks like a douche in this picture, to be honest. But I had said on this show last week, and I also posted on Poker Fraud Alert, that uh, given that these two seem to have some sort of managerial role there, they're not just affiliates, they seem to really be uh, in management of Bitcoin. And since Bitcoin was just outright stealing the bad beat jackpot. This is before they announced they're going to be refunding it. In fact, they announced they're taking it. So it wasn't even ambiguous. They were saying, we're just taking it. And and deleting any messages that were questioning this. So I said, okay, well, we don't know for sure who owns it, but we do know who either owns it or is in upper management there. And they need to answer some questions. And they're in the United States. They're in a, a town called Dumas, Texas, which... Uh, could also be known as Dumbass Texas, D-U-M-A-S Texas. And, uh, in fact, Randall Matthews said he's going to be staying on to the new Bitcoin. So even if you want to say, well, maybe Randall didn't know they were going to do this and he had no control over it, well, then you would think he would leave in a huff and say, well, okay, I can't support this. But instead, he posted this long statement bashing the people who had taken advantage of that bug with the tournaments, but then said, hey, I'm staying on to the new Bitcoin. I'm very excited. And, and he mentioned nothing about the, the bad beat jackpot that was being stolen. So I was like, okay, obviously he's complicit in this whole thing. Either he's the one doing it, or he's very complicit in it, because he's continuing on to the new site that stole from everyone. So I was saying that if they're going to do this, then their information needs to be put out there. And uh, there needs to be action taken against them, including legal action. And uh, by the way, I, I mentioned our sponsor, Eric Benzamokin, who's uh, currently, he's an attorney who currently sponsors this show. And I said, I don't know if he would take a case like this. He actually told me after the show that, yes, if anybody who lives in California was cheated by an online poker site, and someone can be found to sue. And I don't believe the people you're suing have to be in California. You just have to be in California as a victim, where he is. Uh, then he will see about taking your case, uh, maybe on contingency, you'd have to talk about it with him, uh, to sue these online poker sites. He said he's very happy to help victims of fraud by online poker sue online poker sites that have stolen from them. Now, of course, if the site's uh, somewhere abroad where there's no one to, su to sue in the U.S., uh, I don't know how much can be done, but if there are people who are in the U.S., such as the, these Matthews characters who definitely were in upper management and may even be ownership, uh, th then he said he's very happy to uh, look into suing them. So uh, definitely contact him. You'll hear uh, during a little bit later in the show the uh, email address that you can use to contact him. And uh, then you, know, you can get that going. So he definitely said he will do that, which I think is a great idea. I would, I would love to see, even if the owners of the site are in the wind and can't be found or they're in foreign countries or whatever, if, even if, if uh, upper management can be sued, people, U.S. citizens, U.S. residents who, 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 who very much supported the site through all the shadiness and through all the theft and all the scamming, and then wants to wash their hands of it when the whole thing's done and people got ripped off, I'd love to see those people get sued and, and have their assets taken. So and that's what they deserve. So anyway, if you're in California and a victim of, of any site, not just Bitcoin, uh, especially if you think that there's people in the U.S. who could be held responsible, uh, definitely get a hold of Eric Benzamoke and he probably wants to talk to you. So anyway, I, I said yes, you should. these people should be identified. They should be uh, made to answer for what happened. They, they can't just shrug their shoulders and move on. 
That's what I said. So, I, now keep in mind, I wasn't supporting uh, illegal action against them. I wasn't saying to go down and, and harm them or anything like that. I was saying that they need to be outed. Their full information needs to be outed, and action needs to be taken against them. That's what I said. So, Machin Matthews tweeted this to me. Actually, tweeted it's a poker fraud alert on December 29th. Perhaps you should do a little thinking before speaking. Uh-oh. I saw you supported doxing, and he put that in all capitals, with malicious intent via your forums, which is simply unkind and really unnecessary since you can Google my name and a few keywords pretty simply. If you have questions, then why not ask? So I said, okay. Would you like to come on my radio show Wednesday and honestly answer Bitcoin-related questions? <laughs> nope. So his response, uh, his response was, hold on, I lost it. <laughs> I had it up. Here it is. His response was, no, you're just attention-hungry and just want visitors. You can ask me any questions via email like any other stranger. And then he put a link to a site that says, contact Match and Matthews for $5. What? <laughs> You're kidding. That's hilarious. So Come he on. actually he wanted me to pay $5 to ask him questions about the site that scammed everybody. So he's, he's a manager or owner of a site that scammed everyone, and then he wants me to pay him five additional dollars to ask him questions about it. So <laughs> he obviously didn't know who he was dealing with. So, so I wrote back... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, you're right, Trader Ruski. He's never going to pay anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the worst person to ask, honestly. It's, uh, I said, I said, LOLOL, what a pathetic scammer you are. You scam your customers for 700K plus, then you want me to pay $5 to email you for comment? And I said, don't worry, friend. Answers are coming either way. So then he says, you seem to have gotten the point. I don't like you. If you want to message me, I accept messages, DM I mean, like direct message in Twitter, in dozens of publicly accessible channels, you can ask your questions and I'll respond. Stop thinking I've done something wrong and open your ears. My story is worth telling. And so, pay five bucks. Yeah, man, where's my five bucks? So first of all, I think I was acting all indignant that I'm, that I'm, I'm mocking the $5 thing. He, he sent me a link to, to ask him questions for $5. Like, it's not like I said, like, uh, oh, I'm not, I'm not paying to email you, but he, he actually... That was that was the whole exchange. He 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 actually. I mean, it's not the complete exchange. I'll read the rest of it. But he actually linked me to something to pay him five dollars to ask him questions. Why not just say, "Hey, DM me with questions." Why why send me this link with five dollars? Did he think there's any chance I'd pay him five bucks to ask him questions? It's insane. So he says, "Stop." I'm thinking- calling you collect on Skype from now on. By the way, <laughs> he says, "Stop <laughs> stop thinking I've done something wrong and open your ears. My story's worth telling." Okay, let's stop right there. You and your dad have been upper management on this Bitcoin site that they've ripped people off left and right with, with, with different scandal they've had. And then they tried to run off with a 43 Bitcoin uh, jackpot, bad beat jackpot that belongs to the players. And your dad says, oh, this is so terrible what the tournament players did to rip off the site. Uh, but don't worry, I'm going to be part of the new Bitcoin. So that means he supports what they're doing. Your dad is staying on after they stole from everyone. So I like, and I didn't see you saying, "Oh, you're not staying on. You don't you don't agree with your dad." I mean, obviously, at the very least, your dad supported the theft. Your dad posted a message that he's staying on, and he's very excited to stay on after everyone's pissed about the theft. So, I mean, there, there's no other conclusion to make from that. Now, you can say you changed your mind. You can say your your dad decided after this that this was wrong, and he's not. But yes, initially, your dad stayed on to a company that stole. $700,000 or more from its players. He did. There's, there's no getting around that. 
So then I so so he's saying that he I, I hate when when people like to say this to me. They say I, I don't want to give your site traffic. Now, first of all, this site uh, it has only one sponsor, and that's Eric Benzamokin, who sponsors the radio show. Uh, I don't have any ads except that Amazon banner at the bottom, which, by the way, if, if you guys want to order things on Amazon, scroll to the bottom of any page on Poker Fraud Alert, click on it before you order. You can just order normally. Everything's the same price. I don't ever see your name. I, only, I, just get a, I see the items ordered, not who ordered them, and I get a small percentage of, of, uh, of the sale. So it's a way to help the site a little bit. But anyway, that's the only income channels th- that this site has, and the site loses money as I say all the time. So this is not about traffic. This is not a commercially operating site. This site is is pretty much a public service. And this isn't about traffic. But but that's what scammers love to say when they don't want to answer questions. Instead of, no, I won't answer your tough questions, it's, I don't want to give your site traffic. So it makes it look like me who's being greedy trying to get traffic off of a story. So, fine. I said to him, how about going to 2 plus 2? And discussing it with me there. I said, that's my site. I'll gain nothing from it. So this, this takes away that excuse from him. Now he can't say, oh, you're just trying to get traffic. He's, I'm willing to take this to 2 plus 2, which clearly uh, I don't benefit from at all if we discuss it on there. <laughs> so then he just ignores that and says, I provided you instructions for how to ask your questions. If you want a response, then formulate your questions and I will respond with free. Time is precious, and all you're doing here is accusing me. Thanks for the kind understanding. Please make an effort to be palatable. Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> palatable. Oh why should I be palatable? Like, like, they're stealing from people. Like, just, just answer it. Then say, give us the answers. Explain why they were going to steal the jackpot. If they're not stealing it, explain how we can be sure they're not stealing it. Explain the other scandals they've had in the past year or so and why, why that's happened and why these guys have stayed on and promoted it uh, and managed the site through all that. Like, the, these are the things we need to know and... We don't have to be polite to ask these questions. These are, these are tough questions that need to be asked. So then I said, where specifically should I send the questions? I'm not paying any money to do it. And he says, direct message. And I said, I, I, also, I'm not surprised you dislike me. Scam poker site owners and managers tend to not be too fond of me. And he said, I don't like you because you supported malicious intent via doxing on your so-called forum. Well, what are we supposed to do? Say, well... Don't, don't anybody post the Matthews information. You know, they may be upper management. They could even be the owners of Bitcoin, but nobody posts their info. They deserve their privacy after they stole your money. I mean, what am I supposed to say? Of course they need to be doxxed. Now, if they had nothing to do with the site or if they were just uh, affiliates who, uh, who didn't know what was going on, that'd be a different story. But they're not. They, they, they were clearly in management there. So, so, yes, they either need to show themselves and make a public statement with true and accurate facts, and if if they don't support the thefts that are being committed, then they need to point to who 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 is doing the the uh, the stealing, so people can go after them. But you can't just shrug your shoulders and walk away, or shrug your shoulders and move on to what they call the new site and pretend everything's fine and say, oh, someone else is doing that, not me. You can't do that, and and you can't be mad or outraged when people want to find you after you do something like that. I, I can guarantee if I stole seven hundred thousand dollars from people. I would not be insulted that someone's wanting to post my personal information so the victims can find me. That would be obvious. And anyone who were to post that information would not be malicious. They would be doing the right thing. So, in case you're wondering, I have not sent him my questions yet. Uh, I'm actually 
going to be compiling them from people who are more knowledgeable about the Bitcoin situation than I am, and then we'll see. I, I don't think we're going to be getting very good answers from this guy. That's why I didn't rush to go do this, because... Uh, really, Druff? Why? <laughs> like, like, what's he going to say? What, like, what makes you say that? <laughs> like, like, what's he going to say? Oh, yes, you, you got me. Yep. My dad and I, uh, we're actually partial owners here, and yeah, we tried to steal the, the Bad Beat jackpot, but uh, we decided that, you know, running the site going forward, we want to keep the, the rep better, so we're going to, you know, re- refund some of it and pretend that we're refunding all of it, so I hope that answers your questions. He's not going to say that. It's going to be some bullshit. Like I know it's going to be some bullshit. I, I, I want to see what the bullshit is, but it's not going to be anything valuable. It never is. There's no, there's no way the it can. Bullshit's going to cost you five bucks, man. <laughs> well, he says I can send it on Twitter DM now, so I'll, I'll send something. Sure. I, I, I'll send something, but I let, let's just say I'm not uh, expecting anything very enlightening. Any, anything enlightening is going to come from hostile parties, not from friendly parties to that site. So. And, and there are people who know things, by the way. There, there's, there's various people who are coming to me with information that they know things and uh, are kind of releasing it slowly, and they, they want to make sure that it's not going to get back to them. But the, unlike other operations, this one, they, they weren't all that good at hiding who was in charge, apparently. So we'll, we'll, this will come out. And I, I hope they do the right thing. I really, really hope the right thing. hope they do the right thing. Here's, here's a message in the chat room from Gordman. He says, question on your Amazon link. So if someone's established an account, they've been order, ordering from Amazon regularly. If they click on your banner, you get a portion. I've seen your banner before, but I assumed it was just maybe for new accounts. If you still get credit, I'll do this and tell everyone I know to do it. Well, thank you, Gordman. Yes. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've ordered before without clicking on it. It doesn't matter if you've had an Amazon account for ages. If you click on that link, then I will probably get a percentage. When I say probably... Amazon excludes certain people. So, like, anything they think is associated with me, they won't give it. Like, like anyone with my same last name, they will not give me a percentage. Uh, anyone with an address that I've used before for myself to ship things to, they will not give me a percentage. Because basically, they don't want me ordering for myself and getting a discount. But anybody else, which I think is just about everybody who listens to this show, would not be considered by Amazon to be associated with me. And if they did, there's nothing I can do about it. But but a very high percentage of people who listen to the show, if you clicked on that banner, I really would get uh, – I, I think it's like 2 to 6%. They're always changing. It's like 2 to 6% of the purchase price. So, of course, a bigger item, it's better to click on that than a smaller. I, I'll be happy with anything, but it's, especially if you're buying a large item for Amazon, it's especially helpful because then I, I get drift, more money. What if I'm buying something, you know – I kind of want to be discreet about, like I'm buying, you know, a 12-inch dildo. <laughs> Do you find anything out about uh, the type of stuff that I'm buying here? Yes, I find out what you're buying, but not who you are. So I can see. Oh, you do find out what I'm what buying. you're buying, but not who you are. So, so really? I will see a list of the items, which I, I rarely check, by the way, but but I may see it. So, the item I will see. But I will not see who bought it, and there's no way for me to find out. Amazon will not tell me. So even if someone. When's the last time you checked? It's it's been months actually. I just kind of like I, I it's kind of no point to check. I just because there's no way to appeal anything. There's no even if there's a mistake, I can't appeal it in any way. It's just whatever Amazon if gives. If someone me. wanted to troll you, they could just buy some really random shit like once a month. That's fine. I'll get money for it. That's not trolling me. That's doing me a favor. But 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 the what I'm saying here is that I won't know who did it. If someone broke into my house and put a gun to my head and say said, go through the Amazon list and tell me who bought each of these things, they'd have to kill me because I would not be able to tell them. There's absolutely no way 
for me to figure out who bought which item because Amazon will not release that information to me. They will only release the item and how much of a commission I'm getting from it. But you pay the exact same price. It's just uh, – and, and anyone with an Amazon account can click on it, and I will get that. So uh, it's something you can do with very little trouble, and it will give me a little extra money that adds up. I'm not making bank from this, as you might imagine, but uh, you know, every little bit helps, and it just pays automatically into, your, into my bank account every so often. So that's uh, a nice thing. But uh, – yeah, just, just something you can do to support the site, since I, I really don't run this site for profit. And I could, but but I don't. So if you appreciate that and you appreciate what the site does and you like this radio show or the forum, then uh, that'd be nice if you did that. Okay, so, so moving on to another topic. I want to talk about Vanessa Selps. And this one I have uh, more knowledge about than Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I've been kind of counting on others to keep me informed. Vanessa Selps made a surprising announcement this uh, past week. She announced that she is quitting as a Poker Stars pro and she's retiring from poker, which is uh, something that most people would not have expected. Now, the other lesbian Vanessa, Vanessa Russo, she also has, but uh, Vanessa Russo has not really been seen in poker in quite some time. Whereas Vanessa Selps, she's... Yeah, was known as an active poker player. In fact, uh, she had that hand at the main event where she lost a top set full to quads, if you remember, against another that's female. Brutal. Yeah, that was a that was a, a brutal hand. But uh, th- that's evidence that recently, she, you know, she's still playing poker. She's not someone who quit playing a while ago but hadn't officially retired. So, uh, I'll tell you what about that hand again. Not to get too in, deep into it, but give her credit for actually like taking the time to think about that. Yeah, like yeah. when? Like when are you ever gonna consider folding or or even take time when you've got top boat? Yeah, I, I will say that. But but the way the, I will say the board, the way the board was, and the way the hand played out, it it wasn't that hard to say. Okay, she might have quads. As as shocking as it is that you could be up against that, it, it was. It, it wasn't one of these kind of hidden things you'd never see coming. Just the way the the, the action went, the way the board was. I were, still think your average person just fist pumped. Oh yeah, yeah, they would. But but uh, yeah. yeah, for anyone who's an intelligent player, that wasn't that hard to see. Uh, it's not like a, a straight flush that creeps up on you that you actually pause and, and think about before calling. Or this is something that you'll you'll see it and you'll actually think, "Wow, this is actually a possibility." But it's it's it, it would be. Incredibly hard to lay down uh, top set full in a situation like that. So I don't blame her for calling. I'm just saying that, uh, in my opinion, seeing that she was up against that and thinking about it wasn't uh, that wasn't incredible because there were only a few things that that could be played that way against her. It was it was two people who were playing against each other that she knew the person who was playing against was not going to be doing this with nothing. So anyway, uh, Vanessa Selps was probably the first openly gay known poker player. A female poker player, but nevertheless, uh, uh, before her, I had not known of any openly gay poker players. Uh, there, there were some, you know, you'd see in the card room every so often that you could tell were gay, but, but I mean, ones that are even semi-known, there just weren't any. There, there are now, but uh, back then there weren't any. So she, and it was very obvious with her. She's unlike Vanessa Russo, who uh, I don't even know if she's fully a lesbian or what, but uh, uh, Vanessa Russo is feminine, so with her, she'd have to, you'd have to hear that she's in a relationship with a girl to 
hear that she's into that. With Vanessa Selps, it's obvious. She's a, she's a butch lesbian and always has been. So uh, she's been around for about 10 years or so. And uh, now she's in her early 30s. She was in her, I think she's 33 now. She was in her early 20s when she kind of burst on the scene. She she kind of rose up, rose up through online as uh, many players in that era did, especially younger players. And she had a, an aggressive style that was successful. She was almost exclusively a tournament player. I know we, you saw her play sometimes on TV and some cash games, but she wasn't the type who would just typically sit down to a cash game and play. She was just one of these people who was always playing tournaments. In many cases, very high-stakes tournaments, but, but really just tournaments. So uh, tournaments, which, which we'll talk about when we get to the Negroni segment, it, it can be very challenging to show a profit in them, even if you appear to be succeeding. Even if you have uh, a very lucrative-looking Hendon Mob list of caches, even if you have millions and millions of dollars in caches, uh, you could either be down money or only barely ahead. So people can be very jealous when they look at, at the many millions you've cashed and they don't realize how many millions you've put in to buy-ins to get there, plus all the expenses, such as travel expenses, to uh, to even play in the first place. So uh, Vanessa Selps put out a statement on December 30th. And it went as follows. This is on Facebook, which is open, by the way. Her her Facebook, if you want to go to her Facebook, is uh, facebook.com slash vselbst, which is S-E-L-B-S-T. So she has her Facebook open. Many people, myself included, protect their Facebook where you can't see any content unless you're friends with them. But she, she doesn't have that situation. So anybody can read this. Uh, but you can also read the full statement if you just go to the Poker Fraud Alert uh, forum, go to the... Poker Community Discussion Forum and click on the Vanessa Selps thread and you will uh, be able to see it right there along with the link to her Facebook post. So she wrote the following. I'm ready to say that I'm officially parting ways with PokerStars because she was a PokerStars pro there, a sponsored pro, and moving on from my career as a professional poker player. Poker has given me so much over the last 12 years. It has been intellectually challenging, exhilarating, fun, and extremely rewarding. It has given me the opportunity to travel to places I might never have experienced and forge friendships with people all over the world. Speaking of those people, those whom I've met through the poker world, players and industry people alike, are some of the most dynamic, creative, out-of-the-box thinkers and all-around passionate people that I know. I don't really agree with that. <laughs> I, think, I think those are some of the laziest people that I know. Who just? Uh, I, I mean, there there definitely are some people that fit that. Yeah, but, but I wouldn't say uh, most of them. But most, I most, mean, I guess in any profession you could say that. But, yeah, you know, I don't agree. There aren't, too, there aren't too many dynamic insurance salesmen. Yeah, you know? no, but I'll say with poker, most poker players that are good that I know of, they they they're good at poker and they suck at everything else, including managing, managing their lives. Like there there aren't yeah. that many like really well rounded good poker players who they they have it going on pretty well with everything else. Even if even if they're, they're not doing anything else business-wise, they, there's a lot of poker players that just seem super clueless with, with everything else they do, which is why they can get scammed so easily. But you know, putting that aside, this is the, she's putting out this like sweet statement here. It's, it's a very positive, sweet statement that mm-hmm. uh, the type of thing people will put out. It's like a, like a you know, PR statement. Many people will also ask why I'm leaving. There's no, no one specific reason. But just a number of factors, big and small, that contributed to a general feeling I've had for a while that it was the right time. 
The most obvious reason is that Black Friday has meant that in order to do the job professionally, you either had to move out of the country or travel 90% of the time. That was really fun for a period of time in my life, but as my late 20s turned into my early 30s and my priorities changed toward building a stable home and community and starting a family, the constant travel is no longer tenable. tenable. Secondly, I don't feel good about promoting poker uh, as an ambassador anymore. I can't tell amateurs that they should come play online and it's beatable for them when I don't feel like it's true. Okay, let's stop right there. I don't feel good promoting poker as an ambassador anymore. I can't tell amateurs that they should come play online and it's beatable for them, but I don't feel like it's true. Um, I've been playing online poker since 2001. I, I can't remember any time when it was beatable for amateurs. Or as forum member Sonatine put it, if it was ever beatable for amateurs, who were the amateurs beating? <laughs> So the truth, the truth is it wasn't beatable for amateurs. They were always the ones who were losing. The difference now is that the weaker pros or the semi-pros or the, uh, the amateurs who turned into very good amateurs uh, can no longer beat the game when they once could because it's gotten harder. That part's true. But, but that's not who it's being marketed to. The people you're marketing to, the amateurs you're marketing to who are going to, quote, come play poker, they were going to lose... In 2003, just like they're going to lose today. So uh, that, that's, that's her trying to rationalize why she was promoting a game where the average person who plays because they see she's promoting the site is going to lose money. That's, that's the way to make herself feel better. Oh, they had a chance to win back then, but now that they don't anymore, I'm bailing out. No, no. They never had a chance. That's just the way to make yourself feel better, make yourself look better. Uh, she goes on to write, Lastly... Whether because poker became more competitive or because we got older or likely some combination of the two, poker recently turned into a real job, requiring hard work and discipline to succeed. I have never treated the game that way. I've always kept a very light poker schedule. I showed up and played for fun and did, uh, did other projects back home as my real work. What does that mean? I, I don't recall her ever doing other projects as her real work. She, she may have had uh, um, causes she was passionate about, but the, she wasn't doing... Uh, to my knowledge, she wasn't making money any other way. Um, you know, made from sponsorships, but not uh, I, poker was her job. I don't know what she's talking about. Uh, there was something. I else thought she was, was an attorney, out. wasn't she? Uh, no, she wasn't a practicing attorney. She, she, I know she went to school to be an attorney. I think she didn't even complete it, or if she did, she was very close. Uh, she may have completed it, whatever. She was never practicing as an attorney during her time as a poker player. To my knowledge, there was something else that she was doing. I remember reading about something. I, I don't remember what it was. So. So he, she writes, anyway, the, sh- the shift in nature of poker and what it requires put me at a crossroads and asked the question of me whether I would rather change my relationship with the game or move on. To me, the opportunity to work hard and learn something totally new and get to keep poker in my arsenal of fun go-to hobbies feels like the right approach. My next career I'm giving a shot at is, a hedge, is, is at a hedge fund. I'm doing oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm doing trading. Hedge fund managers are worse. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, wow. Yeah, I'm, okay. do, I'm doing trading research and strategy. I'm actually already, I, I've actually already been there for almost four months now, and the environment feels a lot like poker did back in the day. A bunch of nerdy mm-hmm. kids collaborating to try to beat out our opponents at a game. It's also really freaking difficult. There's so much to learn and, and figure out in a world that's completely new to me. And every day I think I'm getting the hang of it. The next day I feel I, I, I fail the next challenge. It's exhausting, exciting, and completely humbling every single day. 
Plus, I'm following in my, in my mother's footsteps. She was an options trader turned lawyer and recreational poker player, which would have upset the hell out of me 10 years ago, but make me really happy now. Very sweet statement. I, I don't know if the hedge fund thing will work out. For the year before I started my current job, I was working part-time at a police misconduct plaintiff's law firm and started liking it, but at the end, it didn't really suit me, no pun, no pun intended. It's pretty difficult to find the next thing when your first career was so much damn fun. Anyway, whatever happens in my next career, I know that I'll never truly stop playing poker. Just ask Fedora Hulse what happens when you retire. I don't know what that means. You know what that means? No clue. Wait, wait, wait. I, I know. Didn't Fedora Holtz, like retire and then he kept on playing anyway maybe i think I, that's what she's talking okay. about i i didn't know he ever retired but i thought he's like like 22 how does he retire uh okay seriously he's got millions <laughs> like, what am i gonna do i might as well that went have some fun you know uh, seriously though i will always love the game and the people in it and i'm so thankful for everyone i've met and everything i've experienced with that so long and thanks for all the fish which is which uh yeah, it's a double meaning. It's a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide in the Galaxy, and also the fish right. thing, of course, is a reference to poker. So, all right. Let, let's break this down. And by the way, if you go to the Facebook page this came from, you can see like 20 photos she posted from her poker career over the years that she wanted people to see. So, as always, there's more to this story than meets the eye. Always more to this story. Do, do, do you really think that on December 30th, 2017, she just decided, okay... I'm doing great in poker, but uh, I'm just tired of all the travel. I want to, uh, yeah, I'm crushing it, but I'm just tired of the travel. Just it's it's tough on my family. Uh, I'm pretty much done, and it's going to be harder work to keep up with everything. So even though I'm just crushing it, uh, I have a feeling that uh, I won't be able to going forward. So uh, I'm quitting as a poker stars pro. I'm going to be a be into hedge fund now. And uh, goodbye, everybody. Do you, do you think that's likely? I mean, everything she said sounds reasonable, but I, I definitely wouldn't be shocked if, uh, you know, maybe she was having a losing year or right. things weren't going her way or something. That was my feeling. Let me say something. Once in a while, you have someone who really just walks away when they're on top and has no desire to uh, continue being on top. They have no desire to continue crushing, not just at poker, but in anything where something's going very well and someone says, everything's going great, but uh, yeah, I've had enough of it. I'm, I'm going on. I'm moving on. But uh, especially in poker, when people walk away, it's almost always because things are not going as well as they once were by a wide margin. And, and you, you cut through the BS, you look beyond the pretty words, and then you find a big losing streak. And I, every time I see a statement like this from someone, then I look into it more. Up, oh, yeah, they're busto. Up, oh, yeah, they've been losing a whole lot. It's always that. And it makes sense because if, you, if you're printing money every time you sit down at the tournament table – it, it's very hard to say, okay, I'm not going to continue doing this. So, uh, especially abruptly like that. It's not like she said, okay, well, uh, I'm starting a family, so I'm going to be ramping down my play schedule. I'm going to be playing half as many tournaments as I did last year, and then maybe half of that the next year, and then maybe I'll be done the year after that. Like, like There's no point to just abruptly get up and leave uh, if, if you're doing that well. So the first thing I did, the first thing I did was go open up her Hendon Mob results. Because since she's a tournament player, you can see this. Now, I can't see her buy-ins. I can't see what event she's been playing. But I can see what she's been cashing. So, from 2010 to 2015, she was crushing it. In those six consecutive years, she cashed anywhere between 839000 and $2.86 each year. 
839k was her worst year of those six. And her best year was 2.86 million. And I think there were a few years in that span where she had over 2 million in cashes. So do, do we have any concept of what her buy-ins were? No, but, but listen like, to this. Just none at all? Okay. No, but listen to this. That, that's not the important part here. The important part here is that in 2016, she cashed 115000 which is an incredible downgrade. As far as the you know the the worst year from 2010 to 2015 was over 800k. She had 115,000 in cashes in 2016, and then in 2017, which of course was just about over when she wrote this on December 30th, she cashed 8k. Mm. Can you believe this? Eight 8k. Didn't hear it. I know you didn't hear it. But right. <laughs> I just I, since Trader Ruski came on, it turned off everyone's sounds. But all right. All right. I, the 8K in 2017. So I don't know how much he played. We know for sure she lost because she played the main event. That that alone is 10K. But uh, well, unless the sponsors were paying for everything. Well, you, right. You know, right. So I, I was going to bring that up that she was uh, sponsored by Poker Stars. Now, unlike Daniel Negreanu, she wasn't the face of Poker Stars, and and she's also an American. So the appeal she has to those who are playing on Poker Stars is much less than when Americans could play there. So they, they've dropped a lot of their American uh, pros. There's only a few left uh, that they keep around. Uh, Chris Moneymaker, of course. Barry Greenstein is still, somehow still there. Uh, Daniel Negreanu is the face of it. But uh, I, I can't imagine that Vanessa is getting a, a massive uh, compensation package from them. Maybe I'm wrong. but Now, do I think they bought her into something? Yes. Uh, obviously, she got some compensation for being a poker pro there. But uh, ignoring that, she has done very poorly in tournaments for the past two years, just from these results. It's obvious. Unless, unless she just barely, barely, barely played, which I don't believe to be the case, especially because she had a very active schedule through 2015. And notice in that statement, she did not say that she's barely played the last two years, which she would have mentioned, by the way. So she did not mention that. But in 2016, she only cashed 115k, which sounds like a lot. But if you're you're entering a lot of big buy-in events, that's a horrible year. And 8k that that speaks for itself. Now, uh, also in the past two years, 2016 and 17, the best finish she had in any tournament was ninth place. She did have one fifth place finish, but that doesn't doesn't really count because it was a $200 buy-in small field tournament to memorialize Chad Brown. So her fifth place finish there got thirteen hundred seventy-two dollars on a two hundred dollar buy-in. So she she made less than uh, seven times her money there for finishing fifth, and it was she she cashed thirteen seventy-two. So that's obviously negligible. So throwing that out, her best finish was ninth since two thousand fifteen, since the end of two thousand fifteen. So uh, this is what I think happened. I think over the past two years she's been traveling all over the world, going through all that hassle. Uh, I believe her that the excitement of the travel is not there anymore. That is just kind of uh, a job now to travel around the world to play poker. And she just keeps airballing it time after time after time, especially in 2017. That it just seems like she constantly loses. So that really uh, starts to get to you. I can tell you just from my World Series tournament play, which I, I, I play the World Series, and that's pretty much it for my tournament play each year. But I can tell you, if I go through a bunch of tournaments in a row where I don't cash, it's it's very frustrating. 
But if this is all you do, if this is the only way that you're making money every year and you're going through an extended losing streak of two years and and, uh, you're losing a lot of money in that time with all these big buy-in events that just keep adding up, adding up, adding up, and the expenses keep adding up, adding up, adding up, and you're just watching money go down the drain tournament after tournament. After two years of this, you have to say, okay, time to reevaluate. It's one thing to run bad. It's another thing to go through this for two years. And I think that she decided that it's time to give up. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's better than continuing to fight this and losing the next year and the next year and the next year and then suddenly you're broke. So I'm assuming she's walking away with money. I don't know. So, so here's her, her total results up through now. She's 41st all-time in uh, total value of cashes. She's cashed uh, $11.8 million total. 41st all-time. 25th all-time in the U.S. Number one all-time of females. How much has she spent in buy-ins? Even if you, you know, let's, let's ignore what the sponsors may have spent. Like How much was spent on her buy-ins? Is it eleven point eight million? Probably not. She's probably ahead. But yeah, how depressing! I'm not saying that this is the case, but how depressing would it be if she was the winningest female poker player of all time, and and like didn't really make much of anything? <laughs> yeah, right? I, I'm not saying that that's true because I, I have no insight into. Uh, it, it seems to me she's probably done pretty well for herself, um, especially when you add the sponsorship stuff in, but. Yeah, but, know, but she has. How depressing to, would that be? No, that would be that would be weird to say. Like, oh, I'm, the, I'm the number one tournament player of all time, but I'm down. I'm, I'm a, a net money loser, but I'm the number one all time. That would be really weird. Because uh, I, I still like, you know, I mean, I know that there are tournament players that that make good money at it. Um, and the ones that play online, I mean, yeah, they get enough um, tournaments in where they probably are actually realizing their. Uh, their their equity and they are actually winning players, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these live players, man, like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to make a living as a tournament live poker player, yeah, especially like, playing really these, fucking hard. Yes, especially <laughs> playing these super high buy-in events over and over and over. You go through a long slump; it's going to kill you. It just right. it just adds up big time. And uh, as you said, if you play online, and you have a whole lot of tournaments running at once that you play every day and grind, 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 then yeah, that's going to smooth out the variance. But this is th- there's so much variance in this, especially playing the high buy-in ones like she did. So I don't know how much he spent to cash this $11.8 million, or how much was spent. Maybe some of it came from the sponsors. But I, I have to imagine it was less than $11.8 million, but maybe not that much less. So yeah. uh, so I have a feeling that she's, she's gotten to the point that she doesn't want to lose anymore. So rather than chunk off the rest of her money, she has decided to quit, but rather than come out and directly say, hey, I, I couldn't be tournament poker for the last two years and I'll give up, she put out that sweet-sounding statement. Now, if you read between the lines, you can start to see that that is kind of what she's saying, where she said that uh, poker's become, become more competitive, uh, it requires a lot more work, it's, you know, it's become real work to keep up with the game, you, you can't just True. play it for fun anymore, uh, you know, that she's just always approached it like, it's fun and just sat down and played and didn't sit there studying it. So what that's saying here is the difficulty of the tournament she's playing now has gotten so high that she feels that in order to keep beating it, she's not saying this, but this is what she really means, in order to keep beating it, she will need to study 
and really, really work on her game rather than just play the same game that suited her well all these years, up until, I guess, two years ago, and, and just keep winning. That, that, that this doesn't seem to be happening anymore, so it's either quit or really put a lot of work into modifying her game and keeping up with every little change that uh, the, the styles of other players have. And she doesn't want to do that. It's too much work. If she's going to do real work, she'd rather do something else. That's what she's saying here. But she's not directly saying it because she's, she wants you to read this and think she's walking away on top. Not she's walking away on a two-year losing streak, but walking away on top. Uh, so I'm just about sure that that's a very large factor as to why she's quitting. I think the secondary factors are the things she was talking about. She doesn't want to travel as much anymore. Uh, now that she's getting older, she'd like to stay home with her. I think she's married with her wife and maybe start a family. I believe these things are true, but I also believe that the main reason is that she's been losing. Notice she didn't say this two years ago when she was cashing uh, a million, two million every year. Then I'd be impressed that she's walking away from, from big money to, to stay at home with her girlfriend or her wife, whatever. But, but not, not when you've been losing, you're getting your ass beat on the table for two years, then you walk away. It's good that you have that self-control and you're not going to tilt off the, the rest of your money. But at the same time, that's not walking away on top. That's, that's walking away when you feel that... Uh, your time has passed. That's like a, a it's like a forty year old athlete uh, retiring. But it could be something in between too. It wasn't as lucrative as before. You know, she wants to focus on something else, and knows now that it has to be take one hundred percent of her time. Yeah. Well, and also there's a the thing of it uh, is a grind. Yeah. So, so I read this. And and I put out a controversial yet uh, surprisingly well-received statement on my Twitter about her retirement. I put this out on January 1st. Wait, nice way to kick off the new year. I said, many people are praising Vanessa Selbst as she supposedly walks away from poker. I say good riddance. She constantly posted angry, provocative political and social takes and literally blocked anyone who slightly disagreed. Her hypocr- Whoa, who said that? I did. Oh, oh boy. Her hypocr- up trouble. Her, her hypocritical shtick has worn very thin. So I am blocked from Vanessa Selbst, not because I insulted her. I didn't make any lesbian joke. I didn't say anything crude or rude. I didn't uh, say anything nasty to her. I, I, I was never a jerk no to her. No fur biscuit comments Nothing, or nothing, nothing. I, it, tempt- it was oh. tempting, but I didn't do it. All right. I disagreed with one thing she wrote, some kind of political... Message she put up, I disagreed very matter-of-factly, very politely. You know, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't say, hey, idiot, blah, 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 or hey, stupid social justice warrior, nothing like that. I, I, I just responded in a very matter-of-fact manner, block, immediate block. I thought, okay, well, it is true that I knew she didn't like me from the past because I was friends with Neverwin, who she hated. In fact, at one point, she threatened to beat up Neverwin. I'll tell you guys the story why? in a second. I'll tell you in a second why she threatened to beat up Neverwin. But that was back in 08. That's 08. pretty funny. Yeah, that was, that was back in 08. I think Neverwin was actually kind of scared. But um, <laughs> that was back in 08, and, and she said at the time that, uh, you know, that she was mad that you know, basically anyone who participated over in uh, Neverwin poker, she didn't like any of us. So. I said, okay, maybe she just has never liked me, and just as soon as she saw I, I tweeted at her, she blocked me. But no, I asked other people who she didn't know at all, and she blocked any of them for any slight disagreement with her on Twitter. You know who else does that is Kate Hall. For some reason, Kate Hall doesn't do that to me. I'm, the, I'm like the only guy she won't block. She won't respond to me, but she won't block me. But, but just about everybody else, if you 
respond to Kate Hall and disagree with her political or social takes, she will block you. So I find this really obnoxious that someone will come out and post provocative messages that uh, are controversial, are intentionally controversial, are meant to uh, get people angry, get people talking, cause debate. And then if anyone disagrees with you, you block them. So, so why do this at all? Why post messages like that at all if you can't take the response? It's not like, I would understand blocking someone who is vulgar, threatening, uh, constantly harassing you. Those are good reasons to block someone. But, but not someone who just politely disagrees with the political or social messages you're putting out. If you can't take disagreement, then you shouldn't post those type of messages on social media. But, but that's what she does. She blocks anyone who, uh, who disagrees with her, even politely. So I, I found that to be uh, very off-putting. Uh, I also felt that she kind of always exploited the angry butch lesbian stereotype and felt it kind of gave her a license to outwardly display aggressive and brusque behavior towards others in poker, you know, both, both in person and social media. And, and she started to tone that down over the years as she became, you got sponsorships and couldn't be as rude to people. But, but to, to show you that this was really a thing, even on the Micros, which was that animated series that uh, some guys from 2 Plus 2 did, uh, that uh, they actually had Vanessa Selpton a cameo on there where she was uh, poking fun at herself for her own bad temper. So, you know, she really... Uh, I, I just always thought that she felt she could get away with behaving that way because people say, oh, well, you know, she's a butch lesbian. That's the way they're supposed to behave. And, and she felt that kind of that gave her a license to act that way. And it wasn't just me. Like, I, I saw some other people responded to me that they felt that way, too, that that was kind of... A, that she thought this gave her an out to treat people like that. And uh, so you'd think when I post a message like this on social media, especially thinking Vanessa Selps is a popular player, that I'd have a lot of people coming after me and saying nasty things to me and, and bashing me. No! 21 people uh, liked my post, and I had a number of responses back saying that they thought the exact same thing. And I only had one person one person disagreeing with me. And that was Andrew Barber, of all people. <laughs> he just said like he just said something like, uh, this is an ugly color on you, referring to like what I was saying. Like He doesn't like seeing me bash people. Like, I, 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 something like that is what he's trying to say. But that, that, and then he didn't respond back to my response. But that was it. Aside from Andrew Barber, who I believe is friends with her, or at least friendly with her, uh, not one person gave me a hard time for that statement, but I got 21 likes so far. And some retweets and some people responding saying they agree. So I just I just didn't think that uh, as a person she was someone that uh, she never she never stole from anyone or scammed anyone. In, in that way, she was fine. In fact, I used to like Vanessa because she was one of the people who was calling out shady poker sites. And even after she became poker famous, she was still doing it. She was still like uh, bashing lock poker. In, in the earlier days of uh, lock poker's problems, so I said, "Oh, that's nice. That's nice that she's doing that." But uh, as far as her demeanor and, and the way she uh, she treats people who disagree with her, I I, I I lost a lot of respect for her. Now, now the never the Neverwin story. Do you want to hear the Neverwin story? 
I, I do want to hear it, but I want to I want to mention something to you first. Can we play the uh, breaking news sound effect oh, that I can't bra- hear? I, I didn't have it up. Well, I'll make sure you can hear it, just just uh, since you're asking for it. I, I got to get the stuff up. I didn't have it ready this time. I just <clears throat> I'll, I'll bring it up here. Where is it? Got to find where I even stored it. Okay, here here is the breaking news sound effect. Oh, you couldn't hear it? I heard the last second of it. Just the last Good second. Enough. Oh, really? I, that's, that's really yeah. weird. I've never seen that before. Okay, go ahead. So Disposition in chat was mentioning, uh, are we going to talk about Kate Hall and her brain surgery? No, no. I, and I was like, what? I've never heard of that, right? So, no, this is really funny. So <laughs> I Googled Kate Hall brain surgery to see if I could find anything about it. The, the number one hit on Google, the headline is, Girl Thriving Years After Having Half of Her Brain Removed. <laughs> <laughs> that explain a lot. Uh, which, of course, has nothing to do with her, but I just thought it was funny. Um, but no, what, what he is talking about is she tweeted out on December 31st, uh, spending New Year's Eve in the most American of ways, counting down the hours until my insurance insurance kicks in, and I can get treatment for the neurological emergency that's been slowly unfolding in my brain for the last three months. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's, that's kind of disturbing in its own way. What that means is that Kate Hall has been uh, one of those people rolling insurance companies where she just like doesn't get insurance until suddenly she needs an expensive procedure. And then she's like, okay, well, time to get insurance. Uh, okay, January 1st, here it is. And then she hits them with a massive bill. And I don't cry for insurance companies. I'm not saying that they yeah. deserve sympathy. But, but I hate when people complain about insurance companies and how awful they are. But then they, they try to screw them over themselves, which is what you're doing here. If you, if you wait until you need medical care and then sign up for insurance only when that happens, you're the reason that the rates are so high. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, so again – at the end of the, the, the second half of the tweet is, uh, I can get treatment for the neurological emergency that's been slowly oh. unfolding in my brain for the last three months. <laughs> the number one reply under under that is, so this explains all the crazy posts. Just <laughs> 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 fucking funny shit. But I, mean, I, I have no idea what this is about. Oh, I don't boy. know if she's just, you know... Trying to get attention again yeah, probably with her. What, what was the other thing that she, she, she claimed she, she is? She, she claimed she was, she just decided she's autistic. Just that, oh, hey, yeah, everybody, yeah, I'm autistic. autistic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, she's autistic. Well, now she needs brain surgery for a neurological emergency. I mean, whatever. Well, it's always something with her. Okay. I just thought that was hilarious. That is funny. The, <laughs> the number one, they just Googled it. It says, Kate Hall brain surgery. Girl thriving after years of having half of her brain removed. Which <laughs> is fucking hilarious. All right. Oh, so, so back to Vanessa Selps. Uh, the story with Neverwind. This is back in 2008. They had what was known as the Battleship Heads Up Tournament at uh, the PCA, the Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, which then was a pretty big deal. It was in uh, January 2008. And... Uh, Vanessa Selps was kind of an up-and-comer then. She wasn't all that well-known yet. She was known, but not like super well-known. And uh, Dustin Neverwin-Wolf was there. And he entered this heads-up, no-limit tournament. 
And they called it the Battleship Tournament because it was actually played on computer, back-to-back, where, uh, it, you know, almost like putting two Battleship games again. You know that old game, Battleship, uh, where you'd put oh, them, yeah. them back-to-back and you'd say, oh, B2. You sunk my Battleship! Yeah. B2, okay, you hit my Destroyer. B3, you hit my Destroyer again. B1, no, you missed this time. B4, oh, you sunk my Destroyer. It's like that. So so you have them back-to-back. So you'd put they put the laptops back-to-back at this uh, Battleship tournament at PokerStars, and they would play online on PokerStars, but they'd be doing it live with back-to-back laptops. So they got down to heads-up, and whoever won was going to be the winner of the Battleship tournament, either Dustin Neverwood-Wolf or Vanessa Selbst. So Vanessa Selbst tried a big bluff on him, and I think she had like a three-barrel bluff, and she made a big bet on the river, and Neverwin called her down light and won a big hand. And she said out loud, I should have known better than to try to bluff someone who has no ability to fold. Something like that. Some nasty comment like that. So immediately they started arguing. Neverwin responded back. They had a minor war of words back and forth. Uh, and then at one point she was insulted and told told everyone that she wants to beat him up because he insulted her in front of her girlfriend because her girlfriend was standing there watching this. This is the woman she's now with that he's now married to, but that she was so insulted by whatever everyone said to her that she said she wants to beat him up and she wanted wow. to go and fight him somewhere. Uh, I don't know even what he said back to that. There was no actual fight, but uh, and s- someone who was watching this told me like oh, Vanessa was serious. She really wanted to kick this guy's ass. Like she was, I think Vanessa really wanted to go out there and throw down. That's the funny thing. So, uh, uh, what what was the line in the fight? What was what? What was the line on the fight? Oh, it, it, I don't think it was set, but I, that, that would be interesting. See, I don't know if Vanessa – Vanessa kind of looks scary, but I wonder, if, I wonder if Vanessa would, like, actually be, uh, like – could she actually fight like a guy would fight? Or uh, it, she just, just, like the fact that she looks like a guy, is that just the part that's intimidating? I don't know. The funny thing is the two mm-hmm. of them look alike, like, like especially back then. Oh, Vanessa hey, self- here's the thing, Druff. Like, you, that's just a fight you can't win. Oh, I know. That's that's, that's why. If you I, win, you look like a complete fucking asshole, and if you lose, like, yeah, it's you, just pathetic. Yeah, you know right, I mean? right. That's that's why everyone didn't do it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's a no win, no win fight right there. So and they, anyway, they, then of course, everyone came back and and told everybody in everyone poker, and you know, it started being talked about, and two plus two it got mentioned. Well, uh, about uh, a few weeks later, she was going to appear on the two plus two poker cast. And at the time, I still had my Dan Druff account on 2 Plus 2. It was a sh- very shortly before it got banned there because uh, MyCon exposed the whole thing that Davis Galansky was doing involving Brandy Hawbaker and, uh, and that Sue girl she was living with, he was living with and all that. So I got banned just simply for being associated with, uh, with MyCon. But uh, I was still on 2 Plus 2 at this point as Dan Druff. And, I, and so... Adam Schwartz and uh, Mike Johnson, who were hosting the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast, started a thread that they're going to have Vanessa Selbst on, on uh, the show on January 15th, 2008, and that you can post questions for her. So I posted the following questions to her the day before, on January 14th, 2008. I said, you recently had a little spat with Dever- J- Dustin Neverwin Wolf during the PCA Battleship Tournament. Interestingly enough, both of your reports on what happened seem to be quite similar. So I, I don't see the reports of what happened, but they apparently, from what I'm saying here, that there there wasn't even much disagreement as to what really occurred. So it wasn't even like he said, she said. They, bo- they both kind of told the same story. 
You tried to bluff the river, he didn't believe you and called, and then you muttered a nasty comment about his play under your breath. Uh, he then challenged to play you heads up, and a minor war of words ensued. My question is, number one, how do you expect someone to react when you mock their play after they, after they made the right call against you? Do you think you deserved a polite or cordial response? Two, how do you respond to the charge that others have also posted about experiences with you acting nasty after losing during live play? Which I guess that was happening a lot back then. Uh, three, uh, do you honestly believe that everyone played the hand incorrectly? If he had the best hand all the way and properly sensed you were bluffing at the end, couldn't it be said that he played it perfectly? If so, why the need for your, the under-the-breath commentary? Disclaimer, I am friends with Neverwin, but not beyond seeing his flaws and mistakes. Uh, but, but in this case, I honestly believe he was 100% right. So, uh, anyway, she responded to that in the thread, basically saying she's not going to take a question about it on the show, but gave, gave an answer. Uh, and then Most of the answer revolved around just saying that she wants to play him heads up and that he backed out of the tournament. You know, she, she, that he, she accepted his challenge, but then he wouldn't actually do it, and then uh, she still wants to arrange it, something like that. And it, this match never happened, by the way. So uh, so that, that was a Vanessa Self story from before. And you can say, okay, that was back in 08. Maybe she's changed since then, grown up since then. And it probably has occurred to some degree, but it's also true that poker players tend to grow up fast, or at least some of them do, when there's money on the line. So if they if they become better known and get sponsorships and they're told, hey, you've got to watch your behavior, then then they watch the behavior, except the ones who have absolutely no self-control. So uh, another thing that Vanessa Selps did in recent times that caused some controversy was when she tried to back out of a bet, so the, the Jason Mercier winning three base, bracelets bet when she made some horrible bet with very little upside and a huge downside where she would have been on the hook for like two million bucks or something if she lost, and he broke out like right out the gate winning two bracelets. <laughs> and she was very worried that uh, the third one was forthcoming and that uh, she was going to owe a massive sum of money. And she actually tried to back out of the bet by claiming she was drunk when she made it, which got, I a, lot remember. Of, got a lot of people angry. That you know, uh, People said, hey, I bet she would not have uh, done the other way if she had won the bet, if Jason Mercier was just like bricking every event and wasn't going anywhere and said, hey, you know, we were both drunk. Can we get out of the bet? He or she would have said, F you, you give me the 10K. So that was, uh, she caught some flack for that one as well. So anyway, Vanessa, she, she's not a horrible person. You know, she, as I said, she didn't cheat anyone. She didn't scam anyone. She hasn't really, like, harmed anyone. She may have wanted to harm everyone at uh, that PCA tournament, but she, she hasn't actually harmed anyone. I've just found her to be kind of obnoxious, and, and her th- skin is far too thin for someone who likes to make controversial social media statements. Uh, it would be like me with all the statements I make on this show and on the forum uh, blocking people on Twitter who ever criticize or question me. That that would be very hypocritical. So uh, th- Where is Trader Ruski, by the way? Trader Ruski, you here? I'm here. I just thought of you when I heard about, you know, blocking people on Twitter. <laughs> what? You think I blocked poor Trader Ruski? <laughs> I think so. No. I would Is that why I haven't been seeing the tweets? I don't I think know. So I, I might be blocking you guys from sound effects, but not from tweets. So Yeah, what the hell, man? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Skype is Skype is such trash these days. It's it's really sad. It this isn't You're even kid hard hauling us. This isn't even, this isn't even hard for them to do on Skype to just allow you to share sound effects on the computer. In fact, they broke something that always worked. That's a sad thing. Like it just always worked without having to do any setting. It just worked by default, that uh, if you had it on stereo mix mode, that if you play a sound through the computer, it, it goes to the person on the phone. It makes sense. So I, I don't know why it's it's uh, 
it's like this. Uh, now, the funny thing is, I, I'm looking at the post I made about this on Poker Fraud Alert, and I got a green rep and a red rep. And rep on the forum means, a green rep means someone likes my post, a red rep means they don't like it. So Snow Tracks gave her a green rep and said, fair but druff, which is a play on druff but fair, which is a play on tough but fair. But then I Am Greek wrote, despite her flaws, this is a sad day for me. I don't see why it's sad. It's just someone quitting poker. I don't get that. I like I Am Greek. But I don't understand why this is sad for him. All right, so... Uh, then here's, here's another... Uh, it's funny that, it's funny that the, the critical statements toward me come from people on, on my own forum, not, not on Twitter, where I expected them. Uh, a guy calling himself Donk Down Dun Died, who's known as a F.U. Hoser in this community, said, uh, interesting take on her results at poker, I agree. But man, oh man, you come across as entitled. What am I entitled to? He says, you're not entitled to her time or anything else on Twitter. She blocks you when she's a, quote, hypocrite or a bad person. I mean, perhaps she was actually wrong about stuff, but to call her out as some sort of bad person is LOL. The, SJ, the SJW stuff can be tiresome, but basically you just have an issue with females. It doesn't look good, IMO. That's not true. I, I've bashed plenty of uh, social justice warriors out there who are male. That, that's totally false. Totally false. And uh, this isn't about her being female. And honestly, I'm fine with people on Twitter who disagree with me or who put out statements I disagree with, but I, I want to be able to express to them you know, politely and respectfully my disagreement without them blocking me. Now, do they have a right to block me? Of course they do. But uh, that's, that's hypocritical and stupid for them to do. If you, if you can't take a critical response to controversial statements that you knowingly post, then you should not be posting them. You can, you have a right to, but you shouldn't be. It's it's a it's a rude thing to do. So, um, anyway, that's uh, that's the Vanessa self situation. She said she's still going to play, so it's possible that uh, you know, notice she said that you know, the hedge fund thing may not work out. She talked about working in some sort of. Uh, law firm involving police misconduct and it didn't work out, that she didn't really like it. Uh, I, I think she was already starting to gravitate away from poker when all the losing was happening and, and tried to... Maybe she does have a law degree, but whatever. She tried to work in some law firm for a cause she really believed in, which is to fight uh, police misconduct, but uh, whatever it was, she, she didn't enjoy it. I'm guessing that she didn't have... I, I think what she envisioned for the job wasn't what the job really was. I have, I have a feeling it was much more tedious than she expected it to be, as a lot of law work really is. So, uh, anyway, before we go on to our next topic, speaking of law work, which hopefully isn't very tedious, we have an attorney that sponsors the show, Eric Benzamokin. He is uh, he is not retiring. He's going to be hard at work, maybe on poker players' cases. And uh, remember, not only does he do arbitration and mediation, but also if you've been screwed by any poker site and you live in California, contact him as well. And if you live anywhere in the world, you can contact him for arbitration or mediation. You don't have to be California for that. But if you got screwed by a poker site, uh, send him an email. If you live in California, he said he can do that too. So very good. And we're going to put on his ad here and definitely support him. If you have an attorney you need to go to for this sort of thing, that's who I'd really like you to go to. 
Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, so moving along here. Speaking of tournaments, Daniel Negranu posted a pretty interesting blog uh, just recently about uh, tournament winnings, or so-called winnings, that uh, really is kind of eye-opening to some people, even to me to some degree, regarding how winnings compare to... uh, Yeah, I'm talking about actual winnings to what the posted winnings are. Because the way it works when it says what a tournament player won is it only lists what they cashed, not how much they spent, not how much they profited. So you never know when someone has these gaudy results which show them uh, with millions and millions of of tournament uh, wins, how much they spent to get those wins. And in many cases, these players are down. You can see people with, you know, three or $4 million in tournament wins that actually are losing tournament players overall, which is kind of hard. Yeah, that's, that's like looking at someone's, um, pay stub without having any idea what their monthly expenses are. You know, yeah. like you just have no concept of where they're at. Yes. So Daniel Negreanu, uh, of course, a very successful term tournament poker player and, uh, just overall excellent poker player. And uh, well-liked uh, poker 
celebrity. You know, people just uh, universally seem to like Daniel Negreanu, and for good reason. He's uh, he's a good ambassador for poker, and he's stood the test for uh, test of time. He's he's been able to still win even uh, as poker's gotten tougher, and as the uh, online kids have invaded the tournament scene, he's still been able to keep up. And it seemed like he had an excellent 2017. In fact, his 2017 World Series was so good that he was complaining that the the player of the year standings in the World Series of Poker were very flawed and that he should have been a lot higher up than he was and he was calling it the World Series of mincashing because uh, people who kept mincashing over and over, such as Chris Ferguson, were getting a big edge. In player the, of the year, Chris Ferguson, please. Yes, yes. Well, he was on his, his way. His full title. <laughs> so... So uh, that shows you how well he was doing, that Negreanu actually felt that he should be the player of the year in the World Series and, and not any of these people who had been uh, primarily mid-cashing. So you think between that and many other tournament successes he had this year that Daniel Negreanu was someone to be jealous of for his tournament poker results. So you'd, you'd watch him just crushing these tournaments uh, again and again, and you'd say, wow, I, I wish I could have poker results like Daniel Negreanu. I, I wish I could just win effortlessly at these tournaments like Daniel Negreanu. And I have to admit that even when I was looking at Daniel Negreanu's results in 2017, I was getting jealous. I was, I was going, wow, this guy, should, he, just, he just keeps winning. He just, just keeps over and over and over posting these great results. And, and you know, I know he's spending money to get there, but, but wow, he's just, it, it just seems like he's constantly there. just seems like, yes, he's playing a lot of big buy-in tournaments, but so many times he's at the end. Give you a sample. So, uh, starting in uh, in January of 2017, January 12th, he entered a uh, 25k high roller event at the PCA. Finished fifth place. That's 268k right there. Three months later, 25k uh, high roller uh, b- mixed game Bellagio. Second place, 175k. Uh, he won another mixed game high roller for 25k the next day. Second place, 77k. Uh, th- 5,300 euro no limit hold'em at uh, at the PokerStars Championship main event in Monte Carlo. He finished in 51st place, got 13K, and then he got a 28K cash uh, on May 22nd. May 26th, though, he got a 211K hit at 8th place at the uh, $100,000 buy-in Aria Super High Roller. June 4th, at the World Series of Poker 10K Omaha 8, Championship finished second place, 240k. So there, he just profited 230k right off the bat. Uh, some smaller caches at uh, the World Series. I'll skip. But then at the horse tournament, the 10k horse, he finished sixth for 61k. Uh, he even managed to finish 17th and uh, or 13th and and, min, and kind of pseudo min cash the 10k limit hold'em, which I should have been up there if I hadn't uh, chunked off my chip lead once again. Uh, then we, we go to the 50K Poker Players Championship, six-handed at the World Series. Fifth place, 300K, which is 250K profit. He got he cashed for uh, 138K at the 50K Euro um, the No Limit Hold'em Championship at uh, Barcelona. He got 102K for the 50K buy-in uh, Poker Masters in September. But then there's a big one. You can say, like a lot of these I've listed, you're, you know, he's entering for 50k cashing for 138k. So you can say, okay, you know, that's some profit. But you know, if he keeps entering these, then he's going to lose. But listen to this one. Listen to this 
score he got on November 29th. On November 29th, he entered the 100K super high roller at the five diamond at Bellagio. He finished in second place in that super high roller. And uh, and for his second place, he received the cool sum of $1 million. Well, very close, $936,000. And then he got another 50K cash on a, on a 25K uh, Poker After Dark tournament a month later. Sounds like a great year. Overall, he cashed almost $2.8 million. So, yeah. is, and Drew, when you hear about someone winning two point eight million dollars in a year, you're like, "Wow, that's pretty good, right?" Right, and you would think that uh, since he did not enter any like million dollar buy in tournaments this year, you would think, okay, he cashed two point eight million. He had to be ahead. I mean, yes, he he entered a lot of expensive tournaments, but he had to be ahead. Well, this is what he just wrote: year and results. This is on his own full contact poker site. I posted a poll on Twitter mentioned that in 2017 I cashed for $2.792 million and asked if people thought that was more or less than the t- total number of buy-ins I spent on the year. I mentioned this because I think my 2017 was a good illustration of the illusion that players cashing for $2 million in a single year is a great accomplishment. In the old days, before super high rollers, you could all but guarantee that cashing for $2 million would mean the player had a winning year. Well, the truth is if a player plays the full high roller schedule and cashes for $2 million, they're all but certain to have had a losing year, and that's before expenses. I felt like I had a decent year in terms of results, but when you break down the numbers into actual profit versus loss, I essentially broke even. So he shows that he... he Spent two point, is it that sorry? His so he said he cashed two point seven nine two million, but to get that two point seven nine two million, he actually spent two point eight seven four million. So he actually lost eighty six thousand dollars, which is funny. That's considering breaking even for him, <laughs> losing eighty six thousand dollars. But but you know, putting that aside, he lost eighty six thousand dollars. When he's supposedly winning two point eight million, cashing two point eight million actually lost eighty six thousand. He said, considering my average buy in on the year was, was over forty thousand, this is about as close as you can get to breaking even. In fact, after my nine hundred thirty six thousand dollars score, I was up on the year, but played a couple of the one day twenty five k events at Bellagio, rebought a few times, and ended the year in the red. With the one million buy in and one drop coming back this year, and the super high roller bowl and countless other high rollers held here in Vegas and across the globe, it won't be much of a stretch to see players spending upward of five million in buy ins. Five million dollars just in buy ins. And he's talking about in one year. Granted, most of the players do not fund 100% of their action, but that's irrelevant to the jaw dropping numbers we will see in 2008, in 2018. I do stake myself in these events. I have separate deals with companies like PokerStars and Poker Central, but this income is unrelated to my buy-ins. I make the decision to play and risk the money that I've earned. Having said that, I will likely be selling action to the one drop, as it seems like a crazy amount of money to risk in one tournament. I'll likely sell about 50% of the action, and I don't charge markup. By the way, he's saying here that uh, something interesting. I always assume the PokerStars just puts him in a lot of these events. He's claiming that they pay him, and that he individually decides what to play with his own money. I don't completely believe that because a lot of the events he was playing are PokerStars events. When I was reading off the ones that he cashed in, some of these seem like events that he may not have played if they weren't PokerStars events. So it's, it's hard for me to believe they just pay him and then he individually decides to just play PokerStars events. Uh, and, you know, he plays others, but I, I think that he's probably they probably do pay him 
and he, you know, he may ask them to separate the money. They he'll guarantee to be there, but just pay him the cash, and then he'll he'll go buy it himself. But he 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 may be contractually required to enter some of these Poker Stars events where they put up you know X percentage of the buy-in. So I, I don't believe that they're not putting him in. But uh, yeah, I, I agree that for the discussion we're having, well, here, they may not be putting him in. They may just say. Because what we're paying you monthly, you're required to pay X amount of Poker Stars tournaments a year. Yeah, it could be that. But yeah, but still, it kind of it still breaks down. That if you think about it, they're still putting him in in a way. But uh, but it's not that important to this discussion because he's more he's he's bringing up the good point that uh, these events have such high buy-ins these days, these high rollers that you can cash almost three million and actually be down for the year. And he's saying if you cash two million and you play a full schedule of those, you're almost surely down. So and then he actually went and gave his last five years of uh, what his buy-ins and profits were, which you rarely see a tournament player doing. So in 2013, so he said he's, he he didn't really keep accurate records until 2013. So he's saying he's only can do it since then. So 2013, he bought in for 1.21 million. And cashed 3.2 million, so he profited 1.963 million. In 2014, he bought in for 3.183 million, but cashed 10.284 million, so he profited over 7 million. That was a great year. Uh, 2015, he bought in for 1.5 million, cashed for 2.482 million, his profit was 952,000. 2016, he bought in for one point five four six million, but only cashed three hundred thousand, and he actually lost one point two four six million. In two thousand seventeen, uh, we already mentioned uh, almost the, you know he almost broke even, but he lost eighty six thousand. Overall, he bought in for ten million three hundred twenty nine thousand worth of events. He's cashed nineteen million. He's profited uh, about eight point seven three million. This is over the past five years. So that's, that's obviously uh, the very nice uh, five-year total, 8-point-something million, 8.7 million there. He's uh, you know, not quite 2 million a year, but close to it. But the last two years, he's actually down uh, about 1.3 million cumulatively. Uh, he's lost each of the last two years. So... I think that's interesting that he puts this out there because yeah, definitely, if you're not watching closely, you would think he's still just crushing it and, and winning it, winning at the rate he was before. But he's not. A lot of this is probably due to variance. Some of this may be because the events are harder now. Uh, he's, he put the number of events he's playing, and it's been about the same every year. It was uh, 66 in 2013, 56 in 2014, 49 in 2015, 49 in 2016, and 71 in 2017. So it, it's, it's roughly the same, but the buy-ins are higher. He spent more on buy-ins in 2017 than any other year except 2014. And, and even it was close to that year. So I thought that was very honest of him to put that out there especially since it's kind of destroying his own myth and now not that he has to be ashamed to post five-year results where he's made over 8.7 million playing uh, tournament poker so yes he when you look at this as a whole he still looks very successful and was successful 
So if he had five consecutive losing years where he got stomped on, or even where he broke even and had the appearance of winning, he may not be posting this blog. But but I, you know, I'll give him credit for for posting up that the last two years, much like Vanessa Selps, uh, have not been very good to him, even when they have appeared to have been, especially this past year. So it really makes me wonder how many of these tournament players that have these eye-popping uh, cash totals are really down a lot of money or breaking even. I remember the World Series used to publish this. I think they stopped, but they used to publish all the buy-ins that people made. You could find it. And someone actually put together a, a spreadsheet. And it was funny because I remember there were some people that I was seeing that they, they had the appearance of doing well at the World Series. In fact, I was even jealous that they were doing so much better than me. And then I looked, and they were way down on the list that they had lost a lot of money at the World Series. And I said, how is this possible? And I noticed that where they were doing well was like they, they had to a 1500 event and, and you know, finished uh, eighth and, and you know maybe cash uh, 36000 but then, uh, then they'd go right ahead and enter a 50k event and brick it. Then they'd enter a 25k and brick it. Then they enter a 10k and brick it, and all of a sudden they're way down. So, tournament poker, it, it, it's very tough to show a profit, especially at these high buy-in events. And as he said, this is before expenses. So that that really starts to eat into it. Now, yes, if you're playing high rollers, the ex- the percentage you're spending on expenses is much lower. If the event's 100k, you know how much are you really spending to come there and play the 100k? But still, uh, for people who don't play those monster buy-in events, the expenses can really add up, especially if you're going to foreign countries and staying in expensive hotels and eating expensive food. It 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 really adds up. So. I've always thought the full-time tournament player who travels the tournament circuit, uh, I, I, I've always thought that there aren't that many people who are profitable that do that, no matter what the appearances are. And, and something else you might notice, if you think about it, you'll see reports of whoever won such and such tournament and say, oh, wow, I wish I won a million dollars in this tournament like this person. But how about all the people that you saw winning last year or two years ago? Think about them. When's the last time you saw their name up on the tournament leaderboard or, or, or cashing huge in a tournament? If they've just kind of disappeared, if you're just not seeing them mentioned much anymore, what's probably happening is they're probably entering over and over and bricking. And you're just not hearing about that. You're, they never report such and such person just entered his 10th tournament in a row and lost. They, they don't ever report that. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough scene. It, it is a tough scene, that tournament scene. Unless you can just play a massive amount, like online, to smooth out the variance. Otherwise, boy, it's, uh, it's a tough way to make a living. Yeah, I was thinking about it, Ruff. Like, if, if someone told me that you have to devote your life to being a, a tournament poker player. And obviously, you know, I would, I would take it seriously. I would study, and I, I'd consider it like, you know... Uh, uh, an actual discipline and, and go to all the good events and all that kind of fun stuff. I mean, honestly, I don't know if I could win because I think that especially with live poker, the sample size that you get in is so small that even if you're doing everything really good, you can still brick for like forever. Yep. You know? Yep. 
you can, you can go broke long before you're actually able to figure out if you're actually a winning player, and it gets which is in, kind of bizarre. Right, and it gets know? in your head, too. It gets in your head if you just keep losing over and over again. Oh, yeah. You can't just say, well, I'm doing everything right. It, it's going to come for me. Then you start to wonder, okay, am I good enough anymore? Was I ever good enough? Did I just get lucky before? Or, or yeah. has, has the game changed and I, and I didn't change with it? Like you, you, you ask yourself these things no matter who you are if you go through a long slump. Which, incidentally, I think is not the same as if you're a cash game player. Um, because it's quite different in terms of the way, the, uh, uh, the way you can actually make money at cash game. You know, I think you can you know, probably for the average uh, live player, you know, within a couple of years, you should know if you're a winning or losing player. You, know, you should have some rough idea. But for a tournament player, I mean, you could play your whole fucking life and have no idea. Well, and, you know? and, yeah, a big problem with tournaments, you have to finish in, in the top few spots to really get the big money. So whereas in cash, as long as you walk away with more money than you came to the table with, you've had a winning session. So, mm-hmm. so it's a lot easier to book a winning session, and, and also it's much less dependent upon having a great session to have winning results overall. So as long as you just uh, you know, don't get clobbered that often at the cash game tables and you, and you put together more winners than losers, then you're a winning player and, and, and you figure it out. Uh, where, where, yeah, in tournaments, just, there's so much that has to happen to where you get lucky. Uh, when your luck is such a large part of it, and then if you, if you go through an extended period where you're losing, it's, it is very tough to tell. Is it luck, or is it that I'm not a winner anymore, or that I'm not expected to win anymore by the way I'm playing? It's very hard to tell that, especially if you were once a winner. So it's, uh, it's a very frustrating thing. I once said, only half-jokingly, that... People who play tournaments for a living have to enjoy losing. And people said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, because unless you finish in first place, you're disappointed. I mean, I'm sure at some point, just the fact that you are, you know, cashing and making money, you're probably not that disappointed. (laughs) You know? I, I I can tell you from the tournaments I've played myself, the only time that I'm not disappointed with my results is when it seems like a foregone conclusion that I'm... I'm like I, I'll give you an example. In 2006, I finished fourth in a no-limit event at the World Series. And it would sound like that I'd be very frustrated that I didn't win it. It came so close. But my fourth was such a distant fourth. I was short-stacked the whole way. I kind of survived through all the way to fourth place. At that point, I was even more short-stacked. I got it in. I uh, was behind getting it in all you know with a short stack. Didn't catch up. Busted. Okay, uh, do I wish I got better than fourth? Yeah, but but uh, I, I felt I took that as far as I could, and I never had the feeling like I was going to win. I kind of had the feeling like the fourth was as far as I was going to get. I didn't give up, but but it just it just seemed like such a such so unlikely that I was going to run my stack up to those three much bigger stacks at the table and and start to compete with them. It could happen, but it just didn't seem like it was going to happen. In fact, the fact that I got that far with that busting. Uh, amazed me. So there I walked away basically satisfied with what I did. But uh, any, I'll tell you another spot where I was semi-disappointed, but, but not as disappointed as you'd think, when I finished 88th in the main event in 2010. Why? Because I, had, I never had a big stack in that event except for, the, for on day one. So I, I, I skated through almost six full days with a short to medium stack. 
And uh, and the way I did this was, uh, well, one of the ways I did this, you know, one of the ways I got lucky was I never ran into a killer situation. No, no bad beats. No, no set for set. No, uh, nothing like that. No aces against kings. Where, where, I'm, where I have the kings, it just wasn't. No really bad thing was happening to me. Now, not many good things were happening to me either. And I give myself credit for surviving that long. But I also wasn't having any bad things happen, which is is uh, that part in itself is lucky. So when I got that far and still had not run up my chips and finally got into a a race and lost it, and I won a few races, but it's not, it's not like I was winning uh, like tons of those. I, I was I, I did better than I sh- than average on races, but uh, when I got it all in in a race, queens against ace king, and I lost the race, disappointed. Of course I was, but I thought this was coming. Eventually, this had to happen. Eventually, it had to happen where I get my chips in, and uh, now I'm going to lose a hand. So I'm going to lose a big hand. So that like I I knew something bad was eventually going to happen. I'm almost six days into it. I knew it had to happen. So at that point, I said, okay, you know, I I took this as far as I could with it, with the cards I got. So again, I was disappointed I didn't get past eighty eighth, maybe make the final table. But but uh, at the same time, I felt like all right, I'm 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 satisfied with what I did. But but there's been so many other times where I I feel that you know, for example, the fifth place I got in two thousand thirteen. I just feel like you know, I, I walk away just with an empty feeling, like I wish I did better. What, why did it have to end here? And there's, this, there's been so few tournaments I've walked away from where I have felt happy with the way things went. We're happy that uh, you know, when it's all done, that I'm not like I don't have a massive wave of disappointment over me. And I think that's the way most tournament players take it, except again, except for the ones that run the massive volume to where there's just so many running at once that uh, there's not really time to be disappointed in particular results. But uh, I, I just think for the most part, it's it's very hard not to be disappointed in a tournament unless you win it. So it's a mindset you have to have to get over that, that I, I don't even have myself. That's why I don't play tournaments the whole year. I, I think I would I would be depressed if I play tournaments all year. At the world, I wouldn't find it enjoyable. Yeah, I I can play the World Series because I know it's finite. I know it ends, and I have a time, a long time, not playing it. So I get to look forward to it and play it. There's the excitement of it. There's the you know, there's of course disappointments, but then it's done. But if I had to you know have this over and over and over again, with basically no end, then I think I would be depressed. So. Anyway, uh, interesting blog by Negranu. I thought it was uh, good that he put that out there. So, uh, speaking of somebody who... Actually, I, I'm going to do a different topic. I, I skipped something. I went to Caesar's Palace this uh, New Year's, as I have many New Year's. I've been a Seven Stars member since 2012. And one of the great benefits of Seven Stars, which seems to be going away, but uh, existed at least through the end of 2017, was that you had complimentary rooms up to four nights at any Caesars property with no blackout dates. So, of course, one that would seem like a no-brainer would be New Year's at in Las Vegas, which is a big location for, for New Year's and then the fireworks and then the celebration. And uh, also the rooms tend to be expensive there, where if I get them for free, that's... Uh, yeah, very good value. So, uh, what what I've done for the past, uh, for most of the past uh, five New Years, sorry, six New Years, 
has been uh, go to Las Vegas, and and uh, Benjamin comes with me. Benjamin's mom comes with me, and my parents come. My parents stay in a separate room, but uh, we all get together in one room, which is my room at Caesars, where I get uh, a room through my uh, Jewish negotiating and uh, and pressure skills to uh, browbeat the hotel staff into giving me a room with a good view in the Augustus Tower, and and then I have a great view of the fireworks without being cold, without being in the crowd, without having to worry about someone uh, shooting from a hotel room window and killing me. I can just watch it from up there. It's much nicer, at least in my opinion. So we did this for the 2013 New Year's, the 2015 New Year's, the 2016 New Year's, and the 2018 New Year's. The only two we didn't do were 2014, where we were in uh, New Orleans for New Year's, and also we're at a Caesar's property. And uh, 2017, my family happened to get together in Vegas two weeks beforehand for something else, so uh, it seemed silly to come back there just for New Year's, so we didn't do that. So anyway, other than those two years, that's where we spent New Year's. And so I got my room. The, the one good thing I can say about this year is I didn't have to put a lot of effort to get that uh, good view Augustus Tower room. This time I just asked for it. They put me on hold. They came back, okay, you've got it, and, and they really did keep it. Other years they've taken it away from me, and I've had to you know complain. Other years it's been a pain in the ass, but this year it kind of worked on the first try, which is nice. So I guess I'll give props to Caesars for that one. But I encouraged, uh, encountered, not encouraged, I, I encountered three annoying fails at Caesars, which are very typical, very typical Caesars operational fails. Caesars is just terrible operationally. Uh, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Every department uh, doesn't cooperate with every other department. So it's a recipe for failure. The, the, the employees aren't trained well. There's a lot of incompetence. The whole, the whole place is just a mess, and not just Caesars Palace, but any Caesars property. And if you've stated these a lot, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you stay to Caesar's properties, then you have your own fail stories. I guarantee you. So here's what happened to me and, and the first fail I had right off the bat. So first of all, we didn't get to Caesar's until very late. Uh, we, we went up on December 29th, but I didn't get there till after 3 a.m. just because we left very late. And uh, Calwatt, uh, do you use the ice machine at hotels? Very rarely. Why like, is uh, <clears throat> the last times I remember using them was like, you know, if I nah, not even that. That very rarely, man. Okay, what about you, Trader Rosie? Do you use the ice? Machine? I mean, like if we were filling up a cooler that we wanted to take somewhere, then we'd rate it. But that's about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, I find the ice is doesn't is, is all right. Yeah. Okay. So I use the ice machine all the time. I ice is very important to me because I, I like having cold drinks and. Uh, so, you know, I'm there, there's an ice machine, and it's uh, it's just something I always do at hotels, I always get ice. So, I know these are reports about all oh, these ice machines are full of bacteria, blah, blah, blah. I've never had a problem with that. I, I don't believe I've ever gotten sick from an ice machine, and the truth is, uh, a lot of bacteria, though it may sound gross, a lot of bacteria does not harm you. So, you, there, there can be all kinds of bacteria in the ice machine, but if it's, if it's not going to get you sick, uh, while it can be gross to think about it, it doesn't really cause you any harm. Uh, whereas viruses, those you don't want to pick up. You know, if there's viruses on a the surface, then those can really get you sick. So um, anyway, there's what, what hotels typically do, even even crappy hotels. They will give you a little plastic bag to put over the ice bucket, so this way you don't 
that, that the ice is not touching the bucket, which uh, the previous guest and the previous guest before him uh, have used. Because, you know, what do people do to serve themselves ice? They usually just reach into the bucket, grab some ice, and, and drop it into their drink. So if their hands are dirty or if they're sick or whatever, you know, they get germs in there, and then those germs can stay around. Uh, uh, certain germs will die after, like, four hours, but other ones can live for a long time, like the neurovirus that can actually live on surfaces for a few days. So uh, I, I just do not like the idea of using ice from a bucket where other guests have had their hands in there. So I that plastic bag around the bucket is important to me. Now, now you say you don't get ice, uh, Calop, but what about Trader Ruski, since you get ice, uh, do you use that plastic bag? Yeah, I mean, that you have to. Right. Because, you know, you don't know what's going on in that bucket. Right. That's exactly and, how I feel. you know, I usually just bring a separate cup that I bring from home because I don't trust any of them. That's interesting. So, what? In fact, what I I don't bring a separate cup, but uh, I I will usually bring my own plastic bags in case there isn't one. But but for whatever reason on this trip, uh, I forgot to bring plastic bags to put in there. So, uh, and usually there is a plastic bag, and in fact, Caesars always gives a plastic bag. They've they've been very good about not forgetting that. Except this time, it's at three a.m. and there's no plastic bag to put in the ice bucket. So is this a tragedy? No, you know, can I do without it? Yeah, but but why? Like I, I just want a damn plastic bag. So Benjamin's mom and Benjamin uh, were going to go to sleep, and uh, I wasn't going to make them stay up and wait for them to bring a plastic bag up. Which at that time of night, you ask for anything, it could be twenty five, thirty minutes till they bring it to you. So I wasn't going to say, hey, stay up thirty minutes until the people come with the bag. And the problem is, they knock on the door, so there's there's it'll wake them up. So I called I called up guest services. And I told them about the, how the bag was forgotten there. I didn't lose it. I didn't mess it up. It just there was no bag. And there always is one. They just forgot it. So I, I said, you guys forgot the bag. But it's very late at night. And there's people sleeping here. So I don't want you guys knocking on the door. So how about I meet someone anywhere on property? I will walk anywhere on property. Tell me where to walk. I will, I will walk there. No problem. And I will pick up the bag. Tell me where to get it. They tell me, I'm sorry... Uh, we can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? Uh, we can't do that. We can only bring it to you. I said, come on. Okay, how do you bring it to the front desk? Bring the bag to the front desk, and I'll come down there in 15 minutes, and, uh, and I'll pick up the bag. Nope, can't do that either. Why? Uh, they told me that uh, they're not allowed to go to the front desk. Like there's a force field preventing them. From, I mean, like, what's going to happen? They're going to go to the front desk and say, this is for a guest, and the front desk can say, get out of here. You're not allowed here. What are you doing here? How dare you approach our front desk? Like, what does that even mean that they can't come to the front desk? So I said, are you telling me that there's no way for me to get this bag without you knocking on the door? And they said, yes. I said, that's insane. So you're telling me you have the bag, right? Yes. And I'm telling you I'm willing to walk anywhere on property to get it, right? Yes. And you're telling me that I can't do that and that the only way is for you to knock on the door in half an hour. Yes. I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm talking to an idiot there. So I asked for, for the manager. So they put on the you know, the call center manager there. Or sorry, they, they, I, I asked the manager. They don't put on the manager. They come back and they say, uh, I talked to the manager here, and we've come up with another solution for you. So I was sure it was going to be that you, you know, I meet them somewhere, or they, they will go to the front desk. The solution they gave me was that if I don't want them knocking on the door, for the next 25 to 30 minutes, I can instead stand in front of my door. <laughs> They actually, that, was their, that was their brilliant solution after leaving me on hold for like 10 minutes. That I can stand in front of my door like a dope, waiting for them to bring me a freaking bag. 
So I said, you've got to be kidding me. So I demanded they put on the manager, and the manager you know, basically repeated the same thing to me. He was polite, but but they, they, they told me those are my two options. I can stand in front of my door for all this time waiting for them, which could be fast, could be up to 30 minutes, or I, I can uh, let them knock on the door. Otherwise, forget the bag. So I, I told them they're insane and hung up on them. Went down to the front desk, told the manager... Yeah, they had the manager come out. I told the manager. The first thing the manager said to me is, yeah, that's unacceptable. That's, I can't believe they're telling you that. I said, are they allowed to come here? They said, yes. So they were allowed to come to the front desk. I don't know why they said they weren't. I said, okay, can you call them and tell them to bring it down here? I said, I have to go park my car anyway. I had my park car in like a temporary spot, so I, I had to go do something anyway. So I said, uh, can I go park my car, come back here, and then uh, I'll pick up the bag? And she said, uh, well, yeah, uh, so go ahead and do that. And when you come back, uh, have them page me. I'll come back down and bring you the bag. I go, wait, wait, you're not going to be here? She says, no, 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 but I'll come back down. I go, that, that's, that's insane. Why, why not just leave the bag up here with a, with a front desk rep that is here? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know about doing that. I was like, come on. <laughs> this is, why is this so hard? And I said, okay, look, here I see there's a, a spot here that there's no, you know, like they have a bunch of spots for the front desk reps. They only had like three of them open and there were like eight spots. I said, how about one of the unused spots here? How about just when you get the bag, just put the bag here. No one's going to steal this bag. No one's going to, well, maybe they would be, they're so hard to come by. But I said, no one's going to steal this bag. Just put the bag here when you get it and I will pick it up there. So she agreed to do that. So she, she left. So I came back and sure enough, there's a plastic bag sitting there and I took it. I'll, I'll post a picture of it later. It's, it's, it's hilarious. So I got my bag. But, but what a freaking production, right? Why, why, why couldn't they just bring it to the front desk, like I said? Why, why couldn't they bring it to the front desk, and then I will come down and get it? I've done this before at many hotels where something's forgotten, and it's late, and I say, hey, can you bring this to the front desk? And they say, sure, and then I come down in 10 or 15 minutes, and it's there, and the front desk employee hands it to me. Like, why, was, why is that so hard? Are you on the blacklist for any hotels, Drew? Uh Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been banned? Where, where have you been banned? No, no, I'm not. I, it may be a secret blacklist. I, no one's told me I can't come back to a hotel. But uh, the truth is, though, this is a very standard and easy thing. It should be. They say, sure. hey, you guys forgot this. Bring this to the front desk. I'll come down and get it. And, you know, when I do this, I don't say, hey, give me $25 off my bill now. I don't say things like that. Like, like in these type of cases, I'm just happy to get the item, and that's it. I, I don't give anyone a hard time. I don't report anyone. I don't try to get free stuff out of it. I really just want the item and, and, and bring it back to my room. That's I want to make it easy. But but uh, Caesar's always says to make it difficult. So that's fail number one. Fail number two. Uh, I'm not sure of these three which is the most ridiculous. That's a sad thing. Like the, the, these, these were all so stupid. It's hard to tell which is the dumbest. Um, here's the next question about using items in in a hotel rooms. Cal Watt, do you ever use the iron in a hotel room? Uh, again, super rarely. Okay. It's happened, but it's been a long time. What about you, Trader Ruski? I may have once or twice. Now, what do you guys do then? Like, like if your clothes are wrinkled, you just kind of just walk around with wrinkled clothes? Isn't it hard to travel? No, you hang them up when you get there, and they don't get wrinkled. I don't know. I seem yeah. to get stuff Like right. how what? I mean, isn't that the truth? Well, yeah. First of all, most of the time, like, I'm in a fucking T-shirt, right? That's reality. And and the the way that I pack them is I roll them up. They don't get wrinkled. Like, you do a nice roll, and they're, they're not wrinkled or creased or anything like that. If I'm doing anything formal, I'm there with my wife, and this may sound terrible, but she's the one that irons the stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest because I don't care. You know, 
Benjamin's mom will, will iron for herself and for Benjamin. She won't iron like 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 I've got to do that for myself. I, I, I'm, I'm being perfectly honest with you. Like I wear button down shirts super rarely. Yeah, well, okay. super super rarely. You know the funny thing is I used to I use the iron a lot more. Like I used to use it all the time. Um, I, I think because I, I dated a girl a long time ago who was very critical about anything that was wrinkled. So it kind of like got into my head that that uh, like if there's any wrinkles, it's 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 a bad thing. And then after like more and more years passed since I was with her, this is no one anyone here knows that uh, I, I kind of started accepting the wrinkles more. So uh, unless something looks really bad, that, or, or unless it's you know, like something formal like you're mentioning, that I don't use the iron. But uh, I used to use it all the time. Anyway, what I noticed with with uh, with irons in hotel rooms is there's a lot of variance with them that uh, sometimes they work great and other times uh, they're old and beaten up and, and oh my and, god like you use one at the rio and just like snot and dust will fly out of right. it when you steam something right 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 and then it can stain the shirt if stuff comes out of it so like I, i'm always a little bit worried about that so but anyway at caesar's at caesar's i i would expect and i don't think i've used irons at caesar's in a long time so i but at caesar's i would expect that I probably shouldn't, but I probably would expect that the irons are in good condition because it's supposed to be a higher-end hotel. Well, Benjamin's mom needed to iron something for Benjamin, and she was alone at the time. I was out with Benjamin. She actually didn't feel well. She got some, I think, some kind of food poisoning or something, but she she, she had some kind of either food poisoning or stomach virus that she came down with. So she stayed in the room during the afternoon, and I, I took Benjamin out myself, and she started to feel better in the evening and that she was ironing some clothes for Benjamin to go to dinner. And she took out the iron and she saw it was missing like the little plastic top where you put the water in. So she's already thinking, Oh, why, why is it missing this top? That's already kind of a bad sign. But you know, she, she kind of still trusted it because we were at Caesar's palace and you know, how bad could it be? So she went to go iron his shirt and rust shot out of the iron and stained yeah. Benjamin's shirt. I'm not surprised. <laughs> so they just had some old beat up iron there with rust in it, and that's what you know. Like the, it wasn't just the well, top. It shows you off. how often people use the goddamn. So, <laughs> so, uh, so it stained his shirt. So, uh, it, which honestly is Caesar's fault. Because the thing was missing the top, so they can't even say they they couldn't tell that there was anything wrong with it. If it's missing the top, they should replace it no matter what. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the, so they they had a rusty beat up iron that shouldn't have been in there. And, and it ruined the shirt. Now, fortunately, this wasn't like a four hundred dollars shirt. This was this was a thirty dollars shirt. I bet you wished it was a four hundred dollars shirt. No, I, I actually didn't because <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why I didn't because I, I knew that even getting thirty dollars out of them was going to be tough, but it'd be a hell of a lot easier than like four hundred dollars. I thought that thirty dollars right. is is a, a small enough amount of money that they'll probably just give it to me. But I even made it easier for them, knowing that I had a comp room there anyway. And by the way, for those of you thinking, oh, you got a comp room, why are you demanding? Uh, you know, just just eat the thirty dollars. Yeah. You, you, the comp room was earned by by, pl- by playing as much as I did to get to seven stars at, at negative expectation games. So that's not uh, that's not a good answer. But I rather than demand the thirty dollars cash, I knew we'd be eating there anyway. I, I know that uh, it's very hard for them to just hand me cash when I don't have a bill to take the thirty dollars off of. So I I immediately told them. I told them the whole story. I offered to show them the shirt. It was actually a new shirt, so we still had the receipt from it or the, the tag on it that had the uh, the, the, the price. I I offered to it. It also got you know she after it did that she also sprayed the iron on a uh, little hand towel just to see 
you know what color it is against the white surface, and sure enough, it was the rust color. It was a, it was a blue shirt. So so we had that as the smoking gun proof to show what this was, what this. Uh, <laughs> So the staining iron proof. Yeah. So so we had everything, and and she exchanged the iron, and they admitted when they exchanged it at the time that yes, it was in bad shape. Like they they admitted this. They didn't say you know they they took it away. Oh yeah, we this 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 does have some problems. So so like there's there no question this happened, and I could prove it. Mm-hmm. So I told guest services I would like a thirty dollars food credit. That's all. I I don't need the cash. Just please give me a thirty dollars food credit in my room. And if you want, I will go to the front desk right now and present all the proof. So I wasn't asking them to take my word for it. I told them I'd be happy to show all the proof. And they said no. Why? Um, sorry, uh, can't do that. But I can connect you with security. What? <laughs> no, right. So now, why? why? Well, right. So why do you think security? Well, you have to file a claim. Right. Uh, there we go. There we go. Trader Risky knows. Trader Risky knows. They wanted me to go to security, have security come up, so I could file an insurance claim for the thirty dollars. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm a seven stars member there. Why don't they just uh, Why don't they just toss you a food voucher? What's that's what I said. I said, do you really want me to file a thirty dollar insurance claim instead of just giving me a thirty dollar food credit at your own property for something that I can prove happened? I said, it's one thing if I'm just calling up and making up a story you don't know if it's true or not, and, and asking for thirty dollars food. I can prove it. You guys replaced the iron. You saw the iron. I can show you, the, you know, everything here. I can prove everything, even the cost of the shirt. Why, why, why won't you just give me this? I'm not asking for $400. I'm asking for $30 in food credit here. You're really going to make me fill out an insurance form? She says, yes. I said, you've got to be kidding me. This is like you met your alternate self as a Caesars employee. You know, she, she's like trying to out cheap you. <laughs> so, so, you know I, what I mean? so I, I said, no, I said, no way. I said, give me a manager. So I got the manager on the manager with me. You know, the, 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 the first person I spoke to acted like I was crazy to, to not want to do the insurance claim. So, so mm-hmm. then she, uh, I, I got her manager. Manager agreed with me that this sounds kind of ridiculous, but, but that she also could not do it for me, but she's going to speak to the front desk. She called the front desk. I guess the hotel manager, or at least the acting hotel manager, took this over and said that uh, I should come down and speak to her and, br- and bring the evidence. So, so what I the brought. Fuck, so, I, man. so I brought for thirty I, fucking dollars. So, right. So at this point, I couldn't get mad about the evidence because I, I kept repeating to her when she's saying about the insurance claim. I kept repeating, "Look, I'll show anyone the evidence. Just give me the thirty dollars food credit." So now at this point, I can't say no. I don't want to show the evidence. Now I have. Now they called my bluffs, so and I've got to go show the evidence. Which I agree, it's stupid. They should just say it's granted. You take it. So, so I brought the stuff down. Showed it to them, and so the hotel manager said, "Okay, I see everything. Uh, I'll give you a thirty-five dollar food credit." So I said, "Okay," and she okay. did. So that was. Let, that. let me ask you a question. Collectively, like, how much time do you think you spent talking to various people at Caesars about this? Oh, about this particular. Dr- Draft mate said seventy-five cents an hour. <laughs> I wish I probably make about five cents an hour. No, it's it, it's it's awful. Like I. I, but but it's like it becomes like the principle. No 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 no. Ser- seriously, work with me. How many? Just estimate. Like, well, about on, how, on the, in how this much case, time in this did one, you spend combined. Well, both of these stories, or just this story? Which which story? Just like, this one. Just the shirt. Oh, the shirt. Uh, the amount of time I spent wasn't that long. It, it, like between everything with it, it, it was probably well, you had to talk to this person and then that person and then a manager. Yeah, and it, then go down and bring them proof. Like it was still know, it was still less. It, it, no, 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 no. It was probably like forty five minutes. The whole thing. It's, 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 right, it's, so, I can get down to the front desk fast. It's it's not very hard. I just, I, I mean, I kind of look at this from a, a numbers game point of view. Like all all these people 
that you're occupying when you're dealing with this fucking shirt. They can't do their job. They can't do anything else, right? Some of them got to be making more than 30 bucks an hour. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And, and not only that. So, you know, yeah. like, it, it's, it's a negative expectation for the company. Not only does it annoy you and piss you off, but they're occupying staff that can't do their job while they're dealing with this. Yes, I, I've always had well, a problem. Probably because they're just not giving them the power right. to make those decisions. That's what that I was going to say. Very well, be that's what I was going to say. Can't, you know, that's what I was going to say is that is that they they're making a big mistake there by not empowering the people to listen to these stories and decide on their own whether it sounds reasonable or not. And then they should only- do what a lot of other companies do, where they have a cap. Yeah. Right. If it if it's up to you know hundred bucks, it's at the discretion of this level of an employee what to do. Yes. You know. And they they twenty nine ninety five. I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so that yeah, it was insane that it had to go to this level for something that I had proof of and kept telling them I'll show. So like they this should have been an instant like snap. Yes, here's your thirty dollars. That's what it should, especially for a seven stars. Like like yeah, I'm used to the BS with them, but think think about like the typical seven stars there who's given all this action and just wants the freaking thirty dollar food credit because of their stupid iron that, that messed up their shirt and they put them through this whole thing like this is why people leave and go over to mgm and other properties so and i'm surprised i'm surprised they didn't offer you like a caesar's uh, shirt <laughs> maybe tell me that you we'll trade this for the bathrobe Actually, i don't exactly. think they, i don't think they even have the bathrobe anymore i think like i think they did away with that anyway here, here's the third one which which i think might even be the worst of the three just because of how dumb it is not it, it wasn't the most frustrating of the three but it was i think the dumbest of the three and that's that's pretty tough because these two are pretty dumb. Would you believe that Caesar's uh, Caesar's has a food court where they own the restaurants there? Caesar's does not know that they own their own restaurants. <laughs> okay, Th- this is this is insane. So let's go back to March 2016. I uh, th- this food court had actually opened back in t- December 2014. And uh, see, they had a food court before, which were just a bunch of internal brands within Caesars that most of them were crappy. So people didn't really like it. They closed it. They reopened it with a combination of internal brands and franchises that they bought. Like, for example, Smashburger. Smashburger, I don't think it exists where you live, uh, Calwatt, but it's uh, uh, it, there's a number of them in California. Yeah, I've been there. Oh, you've been there. Okay. So so it's, 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 there's a number of them. And... Uh, so they bought a Smashburger. I think all the Smashburgers are franchised, so they all have independent owners. So Caesars bought a Smashburger and put it in, in the food court. Uh, they bought other franchises, and then they also just have their own internal brands. Fine. So they own all the restaurants there. This is since December 2014. And they always own the restaurants there. But this, this new food court they put together has been open for over three years. Now, in March 2016, it had still been open for over a year. And uh, I, I asked them, hey, I have a food and beverage credit on my room that I got as part of an offer. Uh, can I use this in the food court? And they told me no at the front desk. So well, it looks like we actually do have Smashburger around here now. Oh. The only place I'd ever eaten at them before was out when I was out in California. But we got a we got a couple of them here now. That's cool. I actually like it. No. So so anyway, I I asked them if I can use the Smashburger back in March 2016. They said no at the front desk. So knowing that Caesar's employees are frequently clueless, I went to Smashburger itself because I was going to eat there anyway, whether they covered it or not. And I asked them, "Can I, if I charge this to the room, can this go against the food and beverage credit? And the manager said, yes. I said, are you sure about this? They told me at the front desk that it does not. And he said, yes, I'm sure. I'm, I'm the manager of the whole store here. I said, well, 
you know, usually this only works on Caesar's own properties. They said they don't own it. He said, did they say that? No, Caesar's owns this. I know this. I'm the manager here. They own it. And yes, you can do it. So I charge it. Sure enough, it worked. Yes, you could do it. The guy was right, and they were wrong at the front desk. This is back in March 2016. So back then, I chalked it up to just a front desk employee being clueless, which is not unusual, and I, I kind of forgot about the story. Fast forward to January 2018. Uh, I, I have this food and beverage credit that I received from the shirt, <laughs> so so I wanted to use it, and uh, we were, wanted to go to the food court. And uh, I wanted to, again, we were going to go to the food court either way, just for convenience. But, uh, of course, if I could charge it against that food credit, it would be much easier. So I went to the front desk in the VIP room, and I asked them, once again, just in case something had changed, can you charge to the food court? And the woman said no. And I said, well, you know, I heard that two years ago, and it turned out that wasn't true. She said, oh, no, no, I don't know what you heard two years ago, but here, let me show you. And she pulled out a brochure. This brochure is given to... Anyone who is basically new to Caesars, if it seems like you're, you're a veteran there like I am, they don't bother giving it to you. But this is, it has a map of the property. It explains the different restaurants. It has all the information about the property on there. Okay, This brochure lists – when it lists the restaurants, it says whether they're Caesars owned or not. And it lists for all of the food court restaurants that they are not Caesars owned. <laughs> the reason I play that laughter – it's because they all are. They are all Caesars owned. They printed a brochure indicating that they don't own them. And they trained all the front desk employees to tell people that they don't own them. And this has been going on since December of 2014. Can you believe it? That they uh, mm. Training them that they don't own restaurants that they do own. That you can't charge to food and beverage credits when you actually can. This has been going on for, for th- more than three years now. So... I, I I was almost convinced by this brochure. I thought maybe something changed. I said, how could they print this in a brochure? It's one thing for a front desk employee not to know, but for a brochure? Like, how, how could they print a brochure showing what they do and don't own and show they don't own this when they really do? So I went to Smashburger. I asked for the manager. This time it was a different manager, but again, the one who was in charge of the whole thing. This time it was a woman. And she was shocked to hear this. She says, yes, for sure, Caesars owns, owns this. They own every restaurant that's in this food court. Yes, you can always use your food and beverage credit. And, in fact, she offered to fix it if there's any problem for me. She said, go ahead and do that. In fact, if you've done it already, I'll refund. If you've paid normally already because they told you you couldn't use it, uh, I'll refund you and you can recharge it because they, you know, they shouldn't be telling you this. And she was shocked that this brochure said this. She said she couldn't believe this. And... Uh, so there, I, I wonder if these these managers, like, they're not getting as much business there. Smashburger seem to be doing very well, but I wonder if some of them are not getting as much business because people think they can't use their, their food and beverage credits there when they really can all this time. That's got to be hurting business at least somewhat. And and each manager is judged by, you know, how, how well the place does. So they've got to be irritated by this. But can you imagine that over three years later, they still don't know they own the food court? Like... Who has made this mistake? Like, who thinks they don't own it? And where did they get this information? It is amazing they print the whole brochure with it. <laughs> so, so I actually, if you want to see this, I actually printed this. Um, I actually scanned this. I mean, I scanned this brochure. Uh, if you go to VegasCasinoTalk.com and go to the Las Vegas forum, there's a thread called Three Caesars Palace Fails. And if you scroll down, you can see 
a, uh, a copy of this brochure, and there's even a, a link I have where you can click and see a bigger version of it if you can't see it that well. And you can clearly see that it shows they don't own it. It's, it's, it's insane. So leave it to Caesars to not know they own restaurants at their own food court. So it's, it's, it's Amazing. Not, yeah. That's Amazing. I, I, I don't know which of these three stories is the dumbest. They were all dumb. They I, like which do you isn't it hard to tell which of these three is the dumbest? Aren't these all incredibly dumb stories? So I I I'd vote for the last one. Yeah, I, I think the last one is the dumbest, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I mean how do, how do they not know? Yeah, that's what I wonder. Like who who is it in the whole chain here that that that, that uh got the idea they don't own it and how'd they figure this out? Pretty like, amazing. <laughs> And for three, it's not like they made this mistake right when they opened. This has been over three years. And the the front desk employee at the VIP section told me when I told her what they told me two years ago and how it worked two years ago. She said, "Well, okay, but uh, you know, I'm supposed to tell you this, and uh, you know, I need to warn you of this because if it doesn't work, then uh, you know, you need to." Basically, she wanted to say she, they've got to cover themselves by by giving us the information that they don't own it. So if I go over there and charge that, I, that if I come back later and complain that I'll have been warned that they really don't. That they maybe trying- Beachy owns the food court drug. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what is going on here. Oh right? boy, it's 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 amazing. It's it's it, they always find new and creative ways to fail at Caesars. It, it really amazes me sometimes. It, I I this is one I could not have thought of. You could have given me like a someone could have told me make up a hundred phony scenarios of Caesars failing that you think could be plausible. I would have never made up that they wouldn't know that they own certain restaurants on property mm. and, and would print a brochure saying so for three years. Okay. So unfortunately this, I may not get to experience this uh, comedy in the future because these free rooms are probably going away for me because of the seven star crap. So speaking of going away, Mike Gordetsky, the self-proclaimed sports betting baller, this 25-year-old douchebag who claims that he bets uh, six figures on various sports contests that he knows nothing about and claims to win millions of dollars anyway, he yet won't present proof of it. Uh, that doesn't sound suspicious. Yeah, he presented proof of of, of one statement from somewhere where he won like 260000 for the year. Yet, yet they were watching him make bets of like a hundred thousand each. So that uh, that's the best he can show. That one property that he he won uh, two hundred sixty thousand. That's not uh, that is not too impressive. So there was that USA Today article. If you want to go read it, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, if you just Google USA Today, Mike Gorodetsky. That's G O R O D E T S K S K Y and we talked about him extensively on the last show, but there is an update to his situation. Uh, he has apparently been banned from MGM Sportsbooks as a result of this article that appeared in USA Today. So... Uh, he he mentioned a few controversial things there. First of all, he kept talking about uh, various sports stars that he associated with, and he seemed to be telling the truth that uh, that were asking him for his opinion on games. 
and that it made these sports stars look pretty bad. Even though they weren't betting on their own sport, it still made them look pretty bad, and they've all since denied knowing him. But the, the denials were very weak, and this guy showed USA Today proof that he was talking with these people. So I believe his stories that he was talking to these these people. Uh, people like uh, uh, Lakers rookie Kyle Kuzma, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, the uh, NBA star, uh, an NBA coach named uh, Damon Jones, uh, even uh, singer Drake. These were all people who really believed that this Gordeski guy was uh, a sports betting prodigy and were asking him for picks, amazingly. But uh, kind of like the Portuguese prodigy, Jira? Yes, it was kind of like that. <laughs> pretty much any time we see a, a prodigy that's promoted as that, it's just complete horseshit. That's true. <laughs> that is you know? true. Oh, and, of course, uh, uh, NFL star Odell Beckham Jr. was the one that uh, was especially mentioned who uh, got hoodwinked by him. But uh, so th- there was that part of the story. And then he also said something pretty uh, shocking in the article. He didn't say he did this. He was presenting it as a hypothetical, but it was still kind of uh, still kind of shocking to read from a guy who claims to be betting sports for a living in Vegas. So he bet on a lot of games that uh, he claimed to be betting a lot of money on, like summer summer league games for the NBA, which I can't imagine they would take a lot of action for that. But he claimed that he would be betting a lot on those. And this is what he said about a way that one could possibly make money when betting on college or summer league games. He said, you just pay college kids, inner-city college kids who don't have any money. Give them 10, ten grand. That's like a million dollars to them. You know what I'm saying? Have a bad game, here's 10 grand. I don't see how they wouldn't do it. I'd spread it around Vegas, ten, 20 grand a place. They'd never notice. I wouldn't beat one casino badly. I'd take a little piece from every single sports book. So he's basically saying... Uh, Oh, I've been bribing. The reason I've been doing so well, I've been bribing uh, college players uh, and and uh, summer league players, and then betting on those games that uh, no one's really paying attention to, and, and spreading it around uh, different casinos, twenty, you know, ten or twenty grand each, uh, so no, no one notices. Then, then he he qualified it by saying that he never really did this; that he just could do this. But uh, as you can imagine, the sports books probably didn't take very well to that statement. So. He, after this article ran, he told USA Today that he got banned from all of the sports books that MGM operates. And uh, it turned out it was true. USA Today then contacted MGM and they said, yes, we have banned him. So they didn't give a reason, but they did confirm it to USA Today that they barred, them, barred him from all of the sports books. And interestingly enough, he also told them that he has been living at the Aria for the past two years. Which is kind of strange, but uh, I wonder how much he's spent doing that. He says he's been living at the Aria for the last two years. This is, makes it especially tough on him because now he can't just go downstairs and bed anymore because Aria is an MGM property. So he, uh, he can't bet... At any of the MGM books anymore. And again, he has not presented any proof that he's won these millions of dollars. The most proof he presented was, was 245000 that he profited at the William Hill Sportsbook, but that's it. And uh, he's posted pictures of winning tickets on his Instagram, but that doesn't mean anything. Because uh, if you bet big, 
yeah, you're going to have some winning tickets there that look impressive, but uh, just like the, the high roller tournaments, if you're spending more than you're winning, then you're losing. So, yeah, he can't bet at MGM Sportsbooks. I, I think they just did it because of that statement he made. They wouldn't say why, but I have a feeling it's because of how he was talking about how you know he could bribe players to uh, throw games, and they just didn't want any part of him after that. Uh, there's no way it's because of his winnings. Because, number one, they'd be aware of it already. They wouldn't need this article to become aware of him. Even if he were betting 20K per game, they would become quickly aware of him. So, uh, I think just that statement put them off. And, uh, you know, that's what happens when you shoot your mouth off. <laughs> he reminds me a bit of, uh, of the hashtag king, Solomon Ponte. He even kind of has a similar look. And around a similar age, too. Just someone who likes to flaunt everything, show off, uh, very brash, likes to exaggerate their winnings, and uh, likes media coverage. But much like Solomon Ponte, when you do that, you start to have consequences. So He's already had some consequences. I'm sure he'll move his action over elsewhere. Now, there may be other books that are happy to take his action, knowing that he doesn't know what he's doing, Plus, uh, you know, they, they just, uh, you know, they, they know that they'll eventually clean up on him. So they don't, they don't care if he claims he could bribe college players. They, uh, the truth is they don't take that type of money for summer league games. You can't walk into a play and say, I want to bet 100000 on a summer league NBA game. They won't let you. They'll say, sorry, the limit's 1000 That's what you'll hear. So uh, I, I have a feeling this guy has just been betting family money and uh, is trying to create a legend about himself but look it's been working to some degree if if uh, if there's nba stars who befriend him and nfl stars who befriend him and even drake befriends him for his great nba picks by the way speaking of great nba picks i knew i was going to suffer this curse I, so i mentioned on the last show about how i was doing so well in the nba I figured enough time had passed to where I had established a nice enough record. Uh, then I proceeded to go into a, a two and eight slump, including losing uh, six in a row at one point. I almost went zero and four today. Then after that two and eight slump, but squeaked out a two and two in uh, with two close wins. So. Uh, just as everything seems to be going so well, I've hit the wall. So I'm now uh, four and uh, four and ten in my last fourteen, which is not very good. But what's what's most concerning to me is in the last fourteen games, I've only had one decisive winner, where it was like pretty much winning the whole way. the The other three wins were all close and could have gone either way, and of those 10 losses, none of them were close. Some of them were close up to a few minutes at the end of the game, but when the final results weren't, weren't that close. So, I feel like I'm a decisive winner right now. When the free world? After this talk about Smashburger, I knew there was one at a casino that opened up recently yeah. in New York. Two more opened up near me. Wow. I just found out about them. I'm probably going to smash that Smashburger tomorrow. I, I just had a Smashburger close near me. It's, it's, it's actually kind of mysterious. I, I went there with Benjamin. Benjamin loves Smashburger. So I, I took him there, 
and the place was closed. But what we had noticed the time before when we went there and it was not closed was that a donut shop next to it, which we also used to go to get a donut sometimes after going to Smashburger, uh, that was closed the prior time we'd been to Smashburger. So now Smashburger was also closed. And then I looked around and noticed that two other places, like a Thai place and, and some other restaurant, were also closed all in the same building. So they closed all four restaurants in the same building closed within a month. And I figured it had to be the landlord. The landlord must have said they, they probably want the property for something else. They're probably going to knock down the walls and make one big restaurant or something, or you know, rent yeah. to run a big restaurant. So I, the thing is, Smashburger did not reopen anywhere. It's, it, now it's some distance. It's not like super far, but it's no longer that close. So I don't go there as much anymore. You like Smashburger or Five Guys better? I actually like Smashburger. I, I like Smashburger better. I, though I, do, I really? do go to Five. Do you go to Five Guys? Uh, I like that too. Uh, I like I, I like Smashburger's fries better. And mm, uh, okay. And, and burger wise, it's it's pretty close. Uh, I know Benjamin though. He likes he likes the uh, Smashburger the best. I think I like the Five Guys burger better, especially because you can just custom make it with whatever you want. I usually get some jalapenos and some other stuff on there. Um, but I do really like the Smash Burger. has got some kind of a truffle burger. Fucking love that. Really? Love that burger. Smash Burger used to have a game that you could play on their website where you'd actually smash burgers in the game, and at the end it would reward you with some sort of coupon for, for next time. <laughs> and uh, I have to admit, I, I did play that game to get the coupon. I actually did get the game, and I would print out the coupon. I, I'd, I'd bring it to Smash Burger. So, uh, don't even tell me they don't have that burger anymore. I'm going to be so sad. Yeah, there it is, the truffle mushroom Swiss burger. I, I hate mushrooms. That wouldn't work for me. Well, I get it. Believe it or not, I get it without the mushrooms. Mm. This is very. This may sound very strange, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of mushrooms in general. But I fucking love truffles. That is weird. They have a similarity here. So yeah, that's mm, a- I mean, sort of. But I, I think the what it really is for me. With mushrooms, as I don't enjoy like the slimy texture that they usually have. Yeah, I don't like that either. <laughs> if I have like a good grilled portobello, like I, I like it, I'm okay with it. But in general, mushrooms on stuff, like that's why I don't particularly like it. But I do enjoy the flavor. But for some foods, uh, texture matters to me. I don't know why. I know it does. Uh, but anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say with mushrooms, that's one of the foods that I hate so much that even the smell disgusts me. And uh, oh. like, like we went to Lowry's on uh, on what was it on, uh, on New Year's, not New Year's Eve, but actually New Year's Day. And uh, my parents, they love mushrooms, so they they order a plate of mushrooms there. And one one year we went there, and something was really bothering me. I'm like, I'm, I'm just like not enjoying the meal. Something smelling bad. I'm not noticing what it is. I'm kind of just trying to ignore it, and then finally I realized what it is. It's the freaking mushrooms happen to be placed very near me at the table. So now whenever we go out, I actually say, you know, tell the, tell the waitress to put the mushrooms on the other side of the table. Because I, I hate mushrooms so much, I hate, I hate even smelling them. Now, what about truffles? Do you like truffles at all? No, no, I don't like truffles either. But I, I don't mm. like despise them like mushrooms. They, I, actually, I was at another restaurant where they, uh, they actually comped truffles to us. And I was the only one to refuse them. Hmm. This is a nice restaurant, too, where the truffles were worth a lot of money. Yeah. No, I mean, that's uh, it depends on the, the type of truffle. Um, but some of them can be super expensive. Yeah, this is a super expensive one where they were just really nice and just came over and offered to comp the truffles. So, uh, had, wow. had I liked them, I would have been a great deal. It was, it was hard. The, you know, it was hard there. 
to be offered something that's so valuable as, as a comp and to have to turn it down. Like, can you imagine, you know, the dilemma I was facing as, <laughs> as a Jew to have something of value offered to me for free, but it's something I don't like and I can't take it. So it, it pained me to say no, but I had to say no. I, I thought about it for a second. I almost, I almost thought about, you know, I got to do it. But I said no. So I'm glad you found some Smashburgers. What, what's, is the closest one like, like very close to where you can go very easily? Um, I think like 15, 20 minutes. I don't know what that is to you because a lot of the time in uh, – Depending on where you are in California, like it can take hours to get somewhere that's relatively close. No, well, there is a Smashburger that is about that. That the remaining one is about that from here. It probably would take fifteen so, to twenty minutes. The three places that they're at, there are two local malls that I didn't know they were at. That apparently they just opened up, and they're both you know probably fifteen twenty minutes away. Um, so it's probably something like I probably wouldn't drive out for that. Um, but if we're going to the mall anyway or something, then I probably would, would go there. Um, uh, and there's one at a casino that I haven't been to in like a year. You know, Ken Scaler, uh, he, uh, you know, he actually tried to call during the show and I didn't get his call. I messed that up, but he, uh, when Smashburger first opened and I hadn't even heard Did of he jerk yet. off in a bathroom or no, something? No, but the, he, he might have, he, see, he told me that he really liked Smashburger and he wanted me to, he wanted me to buy one and open one in the San Fernando Valley so he could go there and eat free burgers. He wanted me to buy one and then give him free burgers there for life. And, uh, and that's after careful market research yeah. to make sure that that was a good location, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you know what's so annoying? Skype is like forcing me to, to have my phone like show when calls to the radio show come in. And that's why that's, i, I got to find a way to turn that off. Anyway, a caller, you're on the air. Hey, it's Brett from Sacramento. Yes, Brett. Calling the chime on Smashburger. Yes. I, uh, I, yeah, I'm kind of a wannabe food critic, and I've had a really um, thumbs up. The only thing about Smashburger is they'll put the cheese like on the bottom of the of the meat, so you got to tell them put that on the top. And then uh, I get mine plain because I'll dress it up, ketchup, mustard on the bottom. But um, I was going to call and give uh, a good good rating to Smashburger up here in Northern California. I haven't had one in Vegas yet, but. They're pretty good so, up here. So, caller, you like it better than Five Guys? Yeah, you know, I got to back up a little bit. I'm like a, a like a burger connoisseur. I have like a little scale. I'm using my hand here as I'm talking to you, and I'll I can't put see like. Your hand. A, I know, but I'm <laughs> I'm saying though, like uh, I got think of a line of Smash Burger. Five Guys is just below that by just one line below. And what about one like Burger Bar? You ever been to fancy places like that? I've been to a few of them. Uh, there's in Reno. There's the uh, What's that? Uh, it's the name. It's been there a long time. Um, they have like elk and uh, unique stuff. Uh, I can't even uh, tip my tongue in Sparks. Uh, Fuddruckers. I think it's Fuddruckers. Yeah, I, I used to. Fuddruckers, they're a little bit of a has-been. They were much bigger in the, in the 80s and 90s. But I, yeah, I go there sometimes, yeah. too. If, if there's one well, that they, I pass they, by. I know them there. for like milkshakes, right? Don't they do that, too, or no? I, I think, don't remember, but the one on Sparks, Nevada, by the uh, where like the the reservoir is off the eighty by the the big uh, sports place, <laughs> Shields. Um, it's actually pretty new. It's pretty nice. Uh, so I, I tried some different elk burger and stuff, but the uh, I found the Habit is the top shelf. <clears throat> I like the Habit is the best of all of them. The very I'll top. tell you, the hands down, and I've I've eaten burgers 
all over the world. I, I've had $100 burgers, all sorts of crazy shit. The best burger I've ever had is an eight ounce burger in Seattle. Hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it is no, fucking uh, off the hook. I will keep that in mind, though. I will keep that in mind for the, my next visit to Seattle, whenever that is. When you're you know offline or whatever, check out Eight Ounce Burger, and you can see some of the burgers that they have, and they're just amazing. Like we had the the Jackson is uh, charred onions, braised pork belly, gouda, smoky bacon mayo, barbecue sauce, and burger. I mean, it's just crazy shit like this. Well, right? I, I don't I don't do things like that though. I just I, I just get uh, a very straightforward like plain burger. So I just, to me, it's like the the, the, the do you like coffee. Uh, I don't know what you mean by that, but. Do you like coffee? No. Oh, what the fuck? Hey, Jeff, <laughs> what's like, or Cass, all you guys, when it comes to the Vegas area, do you have like a uh, favorite burger just in the Vegas at all? Is there something um, famous or you like there? You know, There's I, that Japanese burger place, or it's like Asian. It's off the strip. I forgot what it's called. I'll look it up. You guys keep talking. You know, B- right. BLT that place is great. BLT uh, BLT you. in Vegas is uh, that's pretty good. I've, I've been there. It's expensive, but it's uh, that, that's Which one. It's, it's called BLT. It was it was in I think in Mirage or something. Uh, that's that's a good one. Uh, but, but it's expensive. It's a lot more expensive than something like Smashburger. Has anyone gone to the White Castle? I've gone to that White Castle. Yeah, I want to go just to say I've been there. Yeah, I've, I haven't been there either. Check out the link when you guys are bored, and I put it in chat. For the eight ounce burger. Okay. On a side note, if uh, off of burgers, Roberto's Taco Shop is awesome, and, and they're in Nevada. I don't think they're in California yet, but uh, the one up here in Reno, it's twenty four hours. The same with the one in North Las Vegas. Really? Hmm. Well, you know, I'm gonna. Is there one in regular Las Vegas? Um, I assume so. I think they're all over, kind of sprinkled all over Las Vegas. The one I go to is kind of like North Las Vegas by the Beltway two fifteen and. Um, on the north side, but they're good. Yeah, there's there's yeah, a lot good. of variants in tacos. There's a lot of variants. There's, there's some that are just awful, and then there's some that are great. So like, if I if I run into great tacos, I feel like I could just keep eating and eating and eating, and so it's a pleasure. Yeah, there's there's ones that are awful that like I feel like I have to force down. So yeah, I would like maybe down the line on Poker Fraud Alert, I'd like to hear like a really like you guys rate the best non chain burgers. I'd love to hear some real. Mm. Uh, you know, a review of what you recommend, like some just a, a, a total review of what's the best. I gave you mine, man. Go to Seattle. Yeah, that's right. Hit, <laughs> hit eight ounce burger. Okay, well, for real. All right, I, I will try um, that if I'm there. If, if I go to Seattle again, which will be at some point, uh, I was last there in 2015. I will try it. Have you been to Father's way. Office, Jeff? No, where's that? There's one, the original ones like on Sattel and, T- I mean, on uh, San Vicente or Montana and like 10th. Okay. And then there's one in Culver City near the old Helms Bakery building. Yeah. But that's, that's always, I think that's voted the top one in LA. Yeah, I can good. try. I mean, it's, it's still kind of far from where I am here, but I, I can, I can, if I'm in the area, I can try that too. So thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you, Brett. Later. So. I don't know how we and got it was that. bocce burger, by the way. I put that in chat too. Okay, I don't know how we got into this, this burger discussion. Anyway, all right. So, uh, a poker player has been arrested for a crime, probably uh, trying to build a bankroll again. I know you're shocked that a poker player who is broke would uh, commit crimes to get back in action, but that's apparently what happened. So, this time it had to do with bank robbery. 
There's been a lot of different crimes that have been committed. A lot of times it's just scamming, but sometimes uh, more serious than that. Uh, the worst crime I've ever seen committed for someone to get a bankroll was uh, murdering their parents for an inheritance. I remember that guy. Yeah, that was uh, Eddie Shearer. And uh, he he's he's spending life in prison for this. And uh, he, Good. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... Uh, and there, apparently there was somebody else who did this that got much less press. In fact, I can't find much about it, but there was a, an Asian guy who was pulled out of the 200-400 game in commerce. 200-400 limit hold'em. So it may have been someone I played with before uh, that, that, that also apparently killed his parents for an inheritance. But for some reason, that one didn't get like much of a story where the Eddie Sure got much more, of, uh, much more play. So I think we've had two of those, but... Uh, you know, we have others who commit crimes that aren't uh, don't involve murder, but uh, but are still pretty serious crimes. So in this case, a 41 year old poker player has uh, been committing bank robbery in order to keep himself in action. This is an individual named uh, Thomas Doer. That's D O G H E R. He's from New Jersey. He once won. An event at the Borgata, and uh, he's been arrested in connection with up to nine bank robberies in uh, four different East Coast states in uh, pretty much like over the summer of 2017. He was just arrested on Friday in New Jersey. Uh, he had just robbed a bank in uh, Abiscon, or Absecon, which is uh, near Atlantic City. And uh, he's actually already been convicted of bank robbery in the past. He was arrested in 2007 and convicted in 2008 of uh, nine bank robberies in Pennsylvania and Virginia. And somehow spent only uh, three years in prison for nine bank robberies. So he was released from prison in 2011 and uh, for a while stayed out of trouble. And then New Jersey opened up their legalized online poker and he became a very regular player. And then he qualified for a Borgata event through an online satellite and won the event for $149,000. That was uh, pretty much the high point in this guy's life, 2015, winning almost 150 k He even admitted at the time in an interview that uh, it was a stroke of good luck and that uh, he, he was you know, very happy with himself, but uh, he did feel that luck got him there to some degree. So uh, then he went on to play other live events, and uh, like many others who get uh, one hit in the tournament scene, uh, was unable to repeat it. He got a few small caches. Other than that, uh, probably chunked off a lot of money entering other tournaments. And uh, sometime in 2017, he was busto, and he said, well, there was a way I got money last decade. I got arrested and spent three years in prison, but let's give it another shot. So he uh, he started to rob banks again, and uh, he was arrested in connection with three recent New Jersey bank robberies, a PNC bank on December 23rd, a Sun National Bank on December 26th, and then the PNC branch in Absecon on December 29th. So, Druff, I missed part of this. Is this a guy that uh, 
retired from poker to pursue other interests? <laughs> I, I, I think he's actually pursuing other interests so he doesn't have to retire from poker. But it's close. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, so he, he's pursuing an old interest, one that uh, didn't serve him too well in the past, but he, he took another shot at this career. So, uh, so he was arrested for those three. However, he was already uh, under investigation for uh, other bank robberies back in August in Pennsylvania. And uh, and he had been arrested on September twenty. Uh, sorry, he, he was also arrested. He's also uh, being investigated for aiding and abetting uh, other bank robberies being committed by his girlfriend, whose name is Jacqueline Ryan. It's a good couple, at least. You know, if if you're both into bank robbery, that's a common interest. So, <laughs> I guess uh, Jacqueline Ryan robbed a bank, a Citizens Bank in Pennsylvania, on August twenty first. I bet you they had some good sex, Druff. <laughs> you rob that bank and you fucking all high and uh, and stuff from that. You probably have some good smashing. Yeah. You know? And uh, apparently he was, uh, uh, and I guess he also, I guess she was in the rental car and uh, you know the getaway, getaway driver, and, and he actually robbed the branch. But uh, but he only got three thousand four hundred fifty-five dollars in that August robbery. And some of it had dye packs explode all over the money to where you can't use it at that point. Hey, Druff, don't belittle it. That's attorney buy-in right there. Three grand. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, uh, there's other recent robberies. They also think that he was the, uh, the, the perpetrator. They haven't uh, quite tied it to him yet, but they think it's likely, and it'll probably be shown eventually. And... Uh, Apparently that uh, some of this had to do with drug addiction is the theory that uh, his uh, his girlfriend Jacqueline Ryan I, thought, I want to see a picture of her let's see if I can find I, I have a feeling she's going to look look very methy that's my guess but she had a drug issue and, and these robberies for her were apparently to fuel the drug habit for him it probably was a combination of drugs and oh, she, that's interesting she has a uh, an IMDb I wonder if it's the same person that could be a few different. Let me, no, it probably isn't the same one. Let's see. Uh, bank robbery. I guess that could be a common name. Let's see if we can find her here. Um, I'm having trouble finding her. No. Well, anyway, he had a girlfriend named uh, Jacqueline Ryan. And uh, she. I guess she was doing the bank robberies because she wanted drug money. He was doing it for a combination of drug money and poker money. This lovely couple. So, uh, it's yet another poker player who uh, committed crimes in order to fund their poker bankroll. But let's talk about now a poker player who was convicted of crimes involving poker that had to do with crimes at the poker table. That was Christian Lusardi, the Borgata chip counterfeiter who bought counterfeit chips under his own name from Alibaba on the internet and uh, brought them to the Borgata, snuck them into the tournament, these $5,000 tournament chips. See, he should have been more conscious about branding, you know? (laughs) He he could have been like the flush chip king, you know? (laughs) 
played it up like hashtag king. Yeah. Totally could have done something with it. <laughs> yeah, so this was the guy who, after after cheating and, and being the chip leader after day one, because he just kept adding $5,000 chips to his stack and wreaking havoc upon the event because he kept busting people based upon a stack he shouldn't have had. Uh, he uh, he didn't need some of the counterfeit chips that he made, and he was staying at Harrah's in Atlantic City. So it's, instead of just you know throwing the chips into the ocean or, or dropping them into a, a garbage bin behind a fast food place or some other way he could have disposed of them and they'd never be found, uh, he decided to dump them all in the Harris toilet, which then proceeded to clog the plumbing. Then when they opened up the plumbing to figure out what was wrong, they found all the chips. I still don't even understand the mentality. Does he think a toilet is just a black hole? Yeah. And it will swallow anything that you cram in it? Like, it's bizarre. <laughs> it's really bizarre. And there's so many places to, to dispose of it. Like, there's so many places he could have gone to throw these chips away that they would have never, never been connected to him. Or, or never would have been found. I mean, I look at your average poker chip, and I wouldn't even think it would flush at yeah, all. That's what I'm I would surprised think. it made it down. You know. So so anyway, they they were able to trace it back to his his room. Then they realized, you know, then they asked the Borgata, did he enter any tournaments there? Yes, he's the chip leader. It didn't take a genius to figure out what was happening. And they also figured, found out that uh, it turned out that he also had a DVD pirating operation going on. So they he was uh, arrested and convicted of that as well. In fact, they tried them both separately so they get two separate convictions. So and Druff, Druff, by the way, shout out to the working class hero. Who had to deal with, like, disconnecting the pipe and pulling all those shit-covered <laughs> chips out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that was somebody's job. You know yep, that, right? It was. I hope it got paid well. Oh, so, God. on Poker Fraud Alert, at one point, not too long ago, it was reported that Christian Lusardi had been released from prison already. And uh, it got picked up by, by some other outlets. And then it was reported by Forum Wars, who's usually very accurate and... Uh, Usually does not make mistakes. And then uh, Poker Fraud Alert had some egg on its face when it turned out that, and this wasn't really Forum Wars' fault, but uh, it turned out that it was misleading that the database that he looked him up at, uh, he, he, show, he was showed he was released from prison, but he was actually released from state prison and then transferred to a federal prison. So it didn't say that on the website. So when it was further looked into, no, he hadn't really been released. He was just transferred. So, yeah, that's probably not an upgrade either. Yeah, so you don't really want to go to the federal pen. I, 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 know. I think I'd rather go to federal states. State prisons really? don't to be the hard. Yeah, that's that's kind of the toughest place. The federal prisons are the ones. That, you know, there's been the term club fed about the easy life in federal prisons, and some of them. Well, it they, depends. It depends where it is. I yeah, guess. It, yeah, it depends. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be in a fucking prison in Alabama or shit. State, state prison tends to be where like you really get the hardened criminals who are very scary. So, so anyway. Uh, Forum Wars is very careful this time when he updated this story that he wasn't going to make a mistake the second time. He wrote, about a year ago, I incorrectly posted on this forum that infamous chip flusher Christian Lusardi had been released from prison early after serving only approximately six months. I was wrong, or rather I took the info I found too literally. He was released, however, it was only from a state prison facility he was scheduled to be and seems to have been transferred to a federal prison in 2016. One year after my post... I looked up uh, a record search on the Bureau of Prisons, and Christian Lusardi is actually no longer behind real bars. And so he looked this up all on his own. He didn't read this somewhere. He actually you know, took this upon himself to look this up and found that Christian Patrick Lusardi, age 46, white male, 
is now located at Philadelphia RRM. Now, you may wonder, what is Philadelphia RRM? An RRM is a residential reentry management facility, a.k.a. a halfway house. So he has been moved to a halfway house. And uh, he, he's... It, it seems like that he's uh, probably been out for a few months. So he probably only spent two years in real prison. And he is scheduled to be released from the halfway house on June 8th, 2018. So on June 8th of this year, Christine Lusardi, after being sentenced in 2015, may be a free man. That's pretty amazing considering that uh, he did this uh, uh, counterfeit chip scheme that uh, ruined a, a tournament with with more than a million dollar prize pool that completely wreaked havoc and, and screwed a lot of people, uh, just caused a disaster to that tournament, and then also was caught selling thousands of pirated DVDs separate from that, and he was, was convicted of both. So he only spent about two years behind bars, and now uh, looks like about uh, you know, maybe nine months or so in a halfway house, and then in June provided he doesn't misbehave or something, that he will be out. So that's a pretty easy sentence considering everything he did. So that's that's the update on Christian Lusardi. I wonder if, obviously he can't play the Borgata again, but do you think other Atlantic City casinos would allow him to register and play? And if not there, what if he registered in Vegas? What if he wanted to play at the World Series in Vegas? Would they let him? I mean, I, I would have thought that he'd be blacklisted, but after your stories from Caesars, I'm, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that they're competent enough to actually be able to ban him. So he'll probably play. I could actually see it where he comes to Vegas and just plays and nobody realizes it until one day he's like, you know what? I think I recognize this guy here. I think that's Christian Lusardi. And then the World Series has to figure out what to do about it. Because they, you know, maybe they didn't explicitly ban him. Like, so if he's like already in a tournament, what do they do at that point? I, I could see like the World Series probably would ban him if they heard he was going to play or something. If like if they thought of it, but I, I could see the World Series like wouldn't think of it, and he's probably just he, he may not actually be actively banned right now from the World Series. So what if he just shows up and starts playing, and no one realizes it until he's already playing? Like what do they do? I think they have to let him finish at that point. They they can prevent him from registering other tournaments. But I think they'd have to let him actually finish out the tournament, provided he isn't, you know, already banned from there. So uh, he has not expressed anywhere that he's going to play again. But I have to think he might, especially if he's released. So that's the Christian Lusardi update, which you will not find anywhere else on the web except for Poker Fraud Alert, thanks to Forum Wars. So thank you. The Lucky Dragon Casino, which sounds like a place where only Asians would gamble, and pretty much is, or shall I say was, has closed. Interestingly enough, I had never heard of the Lucky Dragon Casino, which was located kind of near the SLS, the Old Sahara, but I'd never heard of it before, until a few days ago, when I was talking to someone about places to play in Vegas, which... uh, might give uh, good comps for a first-time player who, who re- like runs a lot of coin in, in a machine. And someone told me that Lucky Dragon would be uh, a good one to do. 
Lucky Dragon is on the corner of, uh, well, it's on Sahara Avenue uh, near Las Vegas Boulevard, a little bit west of it. As I said, kind of by the SLS, the old Sahara. And I had never heard of it before. It uh, it was owned and operated by Asians, as you might guess. The clientele was mostly Asian. There were a lot of people who didn't even speak very good English there. I've never been there, but these were uh, some reports that I had uh, read from people who had gambled there. But I was told that the Lucky Dragon, I was just told this a few days ago, before the closure. And, and nobody knew about the closure. It's not like people were telling me because it was about to close. It was brought up to me totally unrelated to this when it was still open. And I was told, you should go down there and get a card and play. And I, I considered it, but I ended up not doing it. Which is good, because I would have wasted my time. There, there would have been no offers for me from a closed casino. So, the lucky... Well, dra- you're also not Asian. They're not going to give you any offers. <laughs> <laughs> well, people were getting very good offers, actually. There was, it was actually a... Uh, uh, I, I wish I knew about this, like, I don't know, a year ago. I wouldn't have wanted to play it like a month ago. That would have been very disappointing. But well, probably the offers were too good. That's why they're yeah, fucking well, out of business. That probably is. Yeah. So, so this this is from uh, Lucky Dragon, uh, from their Twitter. They posted a, a like a screenshot of a longer statement so they could tweet it out. Effective immediately. Lucky Dragon Hotel and Casino is beginning the process. No, I'll, I'll read it normally. My God. <laughs> I just, I just want, I just want, so fucking racist. I wanted to offend That's our, I wanted, I wanted to, offend, I wanted to offend our, our Asian listeners. A Lucky oh Dragon and Hotel, Lucky Dragon Hotel and Casino is beginning the process of reorganization, and in doing so, will have a reduction in staff while it temporarily closes all gaming and restaurant operations. The hotel and gift shop will remain fully operational, including room service, morning tea, and coffee. You know, the sad thing about that is that the, the remaining hotel services are still more than the Rio will do for you during the World Series. Uh, in addition, Cha Garden, I don't know what that is, will remain open, probably a restaurant, featuring a full bar at night and expanded food menu. While this is a difficult decision, this reorganization paves the way for Lucky Dragon to establish new partnerships that will enhance the property's long-term positioning and provide a better guest experience. By the way, the rumor is they're trying to look for a buyer for the property. That's what that means. Uh, We would like to thank our outstanding colleagues for their many contributions, hard work, and dedication to this resort. All staff laid off will have the opportunity to rejoin the Lucky Dragon team when gaming and additional restaurants operations resume within six months. Yeah, good luck. All gaming, chip, and ticket redemptions can be done through the front desk of the hotel. Any previous gaming, food, and beverage (coughs) promotions or offers will no longer be valid. We look forward to the future and reunited with our team members as we implement this reorganization process. Lucky Dragon Casino and Hotel. So, that was the statement they made. Um, Now, I'll I'll read from the Vegas Casino Talk Forum uh, some stories from the Lucky Dragon, from people that had been there. Because uh, I had never heard of this, but apparently some of these people many of whom are like advantage players that would explain it, but it's many of them have. Uh, someone said, I've only been up that way a couple of times. Uh, uh, the area is very, very sketchy. Uh, one would think it would be wise, it would be desirous to, to bulldoze and develop the up, into upscale condos or nice apartments. Yep, not in a sketchy area. I don't know what that guy's saying. Uh, but as far as uh, experiences there, 
Uh, I was there twice, says a person named Cool J. Uh, both very brief visits. Uh, first to collect my $7.77 free play as a new sign-up. And I don't even remember what the purpose of the second visit was. Both times I felt very unwelcome. Just had the feeling if you weren't Asian, you weren't really welcome. They barely made an effort to speak English. If you've ever played Bighorn, Bighorn up in North Las Vegas, uh, it has the same feel. If you aren't Latino, you would feel like you don't belong. I didn't realize there's like a racial element to these to some of these casinos, but apparently there is. Uh, then someone else named R.S. said, anyway, uh, it was pretty much just bad all around. In summary, they didn't have craps. I think the only carny game they had that's referring to carnival games, like kind of exotic sort of games, uh, it was Ultimate Texas Hold'em, unless uh, you consider PGP a carny game. I'm not sure what PGP is. Uh, they didn't really have any high-limit slots and not much in terms of video poker. Ta- table, games, table games were looking empty, too. The place was always empty and lots of employees just doing nothing. They sent their mailers out two weeks into the month. That's ridiculous. I know some places have sent their mailers out a day or two into the month, but from my experience, that's either because it's someplace really far away, like on the East Coast, and it takes an extra few days to get delivered, or it's a one-time error from a casino and it's not the norm. One place even sent out an apology mailer. You you can get your first and second week's offer during the second week. So he's basically saying that like you'd have your offers for the month, like but you'd get in the middle of the month where half of them weren't valid anymore. Uh, I've eaten at the place upstairs a few times, Ocean Pearl or Blue Ocean or whatever it's called. The waiter couldn't explain to me what most of the food was in English, but he could describe it fine in Chinese, but I don't speak Chinese. The food is very Asian and not round-eye friendly. (laughs) Round-eye. Most of the people at the Players Club booth hardly know English, although to be honest, I've only been to the... uh, I've only been there... uh, I've only been to the Players Club... I don't know what he's trying to say there. Uh... It feels like the casino is just a group project for a few high school students in China, sort of like the science fair where you did the thing where you invest a fake 100000 in the stock market in an economics class and track the ups and downs daily. So he's, he's, he's not serious about that. But he's trying to say that uh, it's almost like someone just, just kind of threw money at it uh, for fun but didn't really know what they were doing. Uh, someone else wrote, Lucky Dragon had an incredibly ge- generous mailer for a few months, that is referring to mailed offers, after they opened. I played $25,000 coin in once. Now, that sounds like a lot, but it really isn't that much. $25,000 coin in means you're just running $25,000 worth of credits in the machine. It doesn't mean you bring $25,000 to the casino. It means you, you're running the same money over and over, basically, depending on how you're doing. So uh, I, I played $25,000 coin in once, and I was getting four $200 offers every week. I knew people who were getting th- four $300 offers every week. That is, you know, they could come four times a week for offers for free play of two hundred or three hundred dollars. So that's like you know, eight hundred dollars a week or twelve hundred dollars a week, which is crazy for just twenty five k in uh, in coin in once. Unfortunately, they noticed that most people were just uh, picking up their free play and not playing further, and suspended a lot of accounts. <laughs> so, so they give like this overly generous free play for just coming in once and running like a moderate amount of coin play, and then people just would show up with a free play, run it, never play beyond the free play, and then they suspend them, but by then the damage is done. So no wonder they're out of business. But, like, why didn't they just decrease how much free play they were giving? Like, what did they think they were doing? So uh, th- those were a few of the stories. Someone said sometimes you felt like you're the only one in there. They, they didn't do orange chicken, though. A lot of, a lot of uh, racism on this form uh, aimed at Asian people. Of course, I'm the one who who did the fake Asian accent. So I can't I can't complain. 
But anyway, the, the the Lucky Dragon Casino is gone, and so are those great offers. I I know somebody who told me that uh, he really got hurt by this because he actually had some very good offers from them, and he can't redeem them anymore. This took everyone by surprise. Nobody knew it was coming. So that's the end of the Lucky Dragon Casino. And it actually got more press than you'd expect. Even the LA Times did an article about it. And that's, that's pretty interesting considering that most people had not heard of this, including a lot of people who lived in Vegas a long time. Someone hosted that they lived in Vegas for nine years and they had no idea that it even existed. And uh, they, even the LA Times could not get comment on what they mean by the closures being temporary. By the way, the Lucky Dragon has not been around very often. I, I didn't know this, but apparently it's only been open for about a year. It opened in December 2016. But uh, I guess it never, I guess they were aiming for business from uh, Asian visitors to Las Vegas from uh, Asian countries. But it just never really caught on, and I have a feeling that they were uh, not very experienced with handing out comps. I think they were confused about (laughs) what level of comps you hand out to someone when they come and play once. That's a common trick people use, by the way. And I I caught on this myself. No, No one even had to tell me. I actually found this by accident myself, that if you show up to a property with a new card, not all properties, but certain properties. If you show up, get a new card, run like anywhere between like ten thousand to fifty to fifty thousand in coin in, and then just leave. A few months later, you'll get a lot of lucrative offers. So now you can lose a lot of money running ten to fifty thousand in coin in. Like if you run uh, fifty thousand in coin in, you could easily lose uh, five thousand dollars. You run really bad, but uh, a lot of times you'll break even or even win or lose a few hundred. Depends what games you play. It depends what luck you have. But sometimes even if you have a bad session, you can recoup it by if you get these great offers. Like look at the Lucky Dragon. People were getting 800 a week, 1200 a week. So uh, Lucky Dragon was known to people, unfortunately not me, as a place that gave great offers if you did that. And yeah, they'd suspend your account, but, but who cared? You, you, you wouldn't come back there. You'd have no reason to come back there after you used them for free play. The reason casinos do this is because when you just show up once and play a lot and then leave, there's no way they can tell if, if you're trying to do that exploit or if you're just a big gambler who happened to pass through that they want to invite back. So there's really no way for them to tell the difference until they see further play. So often you'll get lucrative comps to come back, at which point then you just run the free play for as long as you can before they kill it, and then that's that. This only works for new cards. New or long-dormant cards. Like if your card's been dormant for years, you can pull that as well. And that's a long-known trick, too. It's not uh, nothing new. Dive Bar Dave said in the chat, uh, it was a shithole, move on. <laughs> All right. Uh, he also says... Uh, he's talking about... No, he's not talking about... He's talking about some place. He claims that uh, Stu Unger left a dirty shoe next to a slot machine there. It was found 22 years later. Couldn't have been there. That opened a year ago. All right. Let's uh, move on to the next topic, our second to last topic, about Ustake. 
Ustake was a site that was promoted by Jamie Gold and others that where you could uh, buy pieces of poker players who were advertising that they were selling stakes and they would actually manage the, the buying of it. Unlike uh, Tasty Stakes, which is run by Calwatt, who, uh, who makes a whole lot of money from Tasty Stakes every year. Play the sound effect. <laughs> he, he makes... Zero point zero. Did you at least hear that one? No. no. It's okay. I know what it was. You know what it was. Okay. So, unlike Tasty Stakes, where you just post up the tournament you're playing and then find interested people in staking you and then they pay you separately from the site and the site does not get involved, you stake did get involved. They, they managed the whole thing, which potentially brought them into some legal trouble. Yeah, they take a cut, or, or they they take the money, and they use a credit card processor, so they got to pay the fees on that. Um, yeah, I think, I don't even know, probably 25 to to 3% probably are mm-hmm. the fees on that. Yeah. Um, and then there's an admin fee on top of that. So that's what you're paying uh, for for going through the site. Right. So there's and there's some so there were some legal concerns about this. And sure enough, they found themselves under investigation by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, also known as the SEC. So this is this unfortunately could be considered a securities violation, as as strange as that sounds. So uh stake was in hot water and uh they were of course, trying to fight this. Uh, now, the SEC never filed a formal case against them. And the SEC also never publicly stated specific violations that Ustake was committing. So, um, unfortunately, during this uh, investigation, they, uh, Ustake kind of fell, it kind of fell apart. So that was uh, that pretty much ended that whole uh, business model, and uh, they decided to file a lawsuit against uh, the SEC for basically ruining their business. And uh, of course, the the lawyer who was behind this was uh, none other than Mac Verstandig who always seems to be involved in these uh, gaming-related cases. So he was the one uh, representing Ustake. Uh, I'm getting some inf- some information here that this actually uh, isn't completely correct. They, uh, they they apparently were still operating from some someone sending me a message. But uh, I, I guess the kind of... I don't know... I wasn't watching, but they may have been kind of operating. Uh, I don't know if they were operating under the table in any way, or if they just kind of were just doing it, hoping <laughs> hoping that it's okay. But whatever it was, the 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 the, the site just it, it struggled, whether it had to do with this or not. So uh, anyway, the SEC finally acknowledged that uh, they're giving up. That they are not going to continue pursuing the matter. 
and that's going to well, be Well, it's out. not it's not that they're giving up, right? They never were prosecuting them. Yeah, well, they yeah. opened a, an investigation um, just to see, and then they just stopped the investigation. Well, yeah, right? that's, that's what all I mean. it is. That's, I meant they're giving up on the investigation. They're just kind of done with oh, okay. it. So they, yeah. so they are... Uh, so th- this is what uh, said that uh, the SEC wrote on December eighteenth, two thousand seventeen. Enforcement staff informed uh, Ustake lead counsel Maurice Verstandig that it had concluded its investigation involving Ustake, and that based on the information that enforcement staff has as of the state, it does not intend to recommend an enforcement action by the SEC against Ustake. So uh, okay, <laughs> they're still in limbo. Like there's no. There's no judgment on this in terms of is this legal or is this not right, legal. Right, right. So they're, they're just saying you know? uh, we're, we looked into it and we're not pursuing them. But uh, it's not okay what you're doing necessarily. We're just not we're not pursuing it. So take that as you will. <laughs> so they uh, at the same time they Ustake has also dismissed their own uh, lawsuit against the SEC. I'm. I gotta be honest, Ruff. Like I'm. I'm shocked we're even talking about this. This is like the biggest non-event. How did this even get on your radar? <laughs> was it because of the flush draw? Or well, that's what brought my attention to it. But I thought it was interesting uh, that, uh, okay. that, that 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 the SEC was investigating you stake and and then decided to end the investigation and and, and that there was a lawsuit against you uh, against the SEC by you stake and that they they're dropping that as well. That, yeah, uh, and the the lawsuit was, from what I understand, was essentially to to force them to rule on the legality of what they're doing, and that didn't happen though, which is the unfortunate thing for you know, kind of this industry, right? There's no, it's still a completely gray area with no precedent. You know, yeah, yeah, so that I'm is, aware of. There isn't one. So this, uh, yeah, so they didn't. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a non-story. But it just didn't have a result that uh, that gave us any answer. Which, which you know, that part's unfortunate that we didn't get to find out. Uh, as as far as a third party managing poker staking, uh, is that legal or illegal? And we still don't have our answer. I, whatever. I mean, it just seems like such a a, a non story to some extent that it it seems like a PR department is, you know, trying to use this as a as a way to get noticed. You know, just fine. But I just wish there was some kind of actual. Uh, end game or end result here. So we know, is this legal? Is this not legal? What parts are legal? What parts are not? You know? We're still at the same point. We don't know. We really don't know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it even said uh, uh, the, the this is what the I, I believe his attorney, the attorney said uh, the, the response never stated that the, that the SEC is unable to identify a particular regulation this response simply states that the SEC has not yet made a determination whether the Ustake's business model involved the sale or exchange of securities. So yeah, that's, so they they just kind of say, yeah, we don't we we haven't we don't really know, and we're not going to bother figuring this out right now. So we're we're done. Which again is like a, it's a very unsatisfying result. Yeah, very. From the, yeah, you know, know, from the point of view of you know, who knows why they decided not to. Not to bother with it. It could be know? something. It wasn't you know, that they 
not they, a big enough fish. Yeah, that's what I think. I think you it's know, not. I think it's not a big I mean, enough fish, and they th- and, and it's not clear cut enough. And they just said, "Screw it. We're you know, we're not going to declare it legal." But uh, we also we, we don't like you know, we don't like it very much. We, we're not going to declare it legal, but it's not big enough to continue pursuing. I think that's well. Kinda, that's the risk then. Either they or someone else then decides, uh, hey, sweet, they dropped that. I'm going to you know actually turn this into a real business that makes real money, and they invest a ton of money into it, and they actually somebody actually manages to do really well and make a ton of money, then the SEC is like, oh, hey, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? That's the problem. Now we're going to take a look, and that's the real kind of shame in it is yep. that you, you know, you're not going to know until you actually start doing really well. Yep, that is the problem. So that's what happened, and at the same time, what didn't happen. So um, here, here's an even more ridiculous story. There, there's been a, an explosion recently in the popularity of the altcoins, the alternative cryptocurrencies. Of course, everybody knows about Bitcoin by now. But there's a number of other cryptocurrencies that uh, are not as popular as Bitcoin, but have been growing in popularity because Bitcoin has risen so much. Now there, and, and Bitcoin also has its problems as far as its uh, utilization for everyday purchases for example uh you know very high transaction fees typically for bitcoin now so you know you're not going to want to buy an item for $25 if it's going to be charging you $15 in transaction fees to pay that $25 so that's bitcoin's become impractical for payment for anything other than large payments because there the transaction fees are only a small percentage so uh for that and other reasons, uh, Bitcoin is seen as something more that people are collecting now and trying to make money on investment-wise rather than something that has uh, a real-world utilization as it was originally pictured. In fact, there's some people who were once Bitcoin fanatics that are now abandoning it and, and jumping on the train of other coin that do not have this problem. So the, the altcoins ha- have exploded. You can see there's a list of just tons of them. Some more popular than others. One that's known pretty well by now is Ethereum. But there's plenty of others. There's even a parody altcoin called Dogecoin, which was based off a meme called Doge that uh, had to do with a dog. That uh, So was, there was a, a coin called Dogecoin, which it was a real cryptocurrency, but it was really just a parody. And now that has a lot of value. Now there's like a there's like now 1.2 billion dollars worth of dogecoin out there, strangely enough. So uh, with the rise of all these alt currencies, the problem is that uh, there's now the fear that just there's going to be tons created by those who have the ability to do so, figuring that there will be suckers who will buy them and believe they're the next big thing. And uh, a lot of these, or most of these, will end up being worthless in not too long. There's no way all these all, all these altcoins are going to flourish. They're, 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 you know, most of them are going to go to zero, probably not too long of a time. So here's one of those attempts to capitalize on the altcoin frenzy. It comes from a company known as the, uh, the World Poker Fund. It's based in California, and they've announced that they're going to be conducting an initial coin offering 
with a new cryptocurrency that uh, – and by the way, there, there's already thousands of, of, of altcoins out there. But they're going to add a new altcoin. And uh, this one is not named yet. But they claim that they are going to release a lot of this altcoin. So you better get in on the ground floor because the initial market cap, the value of the altcoin that they're going to be releasing, will be worth $100 billion. Not, not quite, but $50 million they're claiming. $50 million of this uh, fictitious coin. It's not fictitious, but this coin they're going to create, which is going to be used for some kind of uh, online poker room. <laughs> You're supposed to buy this thinking it's going to be the next big thing. So here, here's their announcement. The uh, WPFH, which stands for World Poker Fund Holdings, announces $50 million initial coin offering. World Poker Fund Holdings Incorporated, uh, which which they, I guess they have an OTC uh, code WPFH uh, for, for trading, uh, a leading developer and operator of online and event-based social gaming platforms and brands, announced today that it will be participating in an initial coin offering, which they're calling an ICO, uh, through its new digital currency subsidiary to raise funding for its projects. The cryptocurrency will be filed with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission under Regulation D-506C and allow accredited investors to realize income from dividend payouts in the form of cryptocurrency. Once launched, the digital currency will be traded through SEC-regulated alternative trading system, an ATS, uh, known as a multilateral, multilateral trading facility, MTF, comprises a non-exchange trading venue that finds counterparties for transactions by matching buyers and sellers. We are excited to be developing a coin catered to the gaming world. This ICO will not only integrate to our digital currency, to our casino games and apps, it will also allow WPFH, a funding mechanism, to develop and integrate blockchain mining technology into our projects, says Travis Casper, chairman of WPFH. This is their own press release, by the way. The cryptocurrency is currently scheduled to be launched by or before the second quarter of 2018, so it's coming soon. Last week, WPFH announced that it has announced a new it has launched a new division which will allow for the integration and use of a digital currency with its existing and future technologies and applications. In addition to acquiring a digital currency wallet, WPFH is developing and exploring cryptocurrency mining opportunities specifically geared towards the social gaming projects and users. WPFH is planning to integrate blockchain mining into its social games, casino games, and applications. So that, that, what's funny about this press release is that uh, notice the one thing missing. They're, they're not mentioning the $50 million or exactly how there's going to be $50 million a coin or how you get them. It, it's just that's the title of the press release. They don't explain it further, which is funny. That's in the title, but they don't, they don't expand upon that at all. It's not mentioned at all in the actual body of the article. So basically what they're saying here is for their online casino games that you're going to be able to play with this uh, new coin they're creating that doesn't have a name yet, that you can get in on the ground floor and buy pieces of it, which is going to initially be worth $50 million, and then uh, it will trade 
just like all these other altcoins do. But this will also have a purpose. It's not just going to be something you collect. It's also something you can use to play on, on their gaming platforms. And they also say uh, a nice thing about it is that uh, offering this coin, when people pay real money for it, then they'll be able to uh, give themselves funding to develop uh, to develop more of it. They can develop uh, more applications for it. And where they can even uh, integrate uh, blockchain mining technology into their projects, they say. So <laughs> they're basically just saying, uh, you know, send us money for something worthless. That, that's what they want. They're, they're creating something that they think uh, people will believe is going to be worth more one day. And, uh, you know, just send us your money. It'll be worth something someday. Trust us. Thanks for the funding. You're not going to own any part of their company. You're going to own this worthless coin. So I don't know if this is even going to happen. This company also got involved in that weird project where uh, they got Soldier Boy to promote this stupid idea that they would offer online poker to passengers on international flights where you can play online poker only against people on international flights and your flight or other international flights. And somehow you have to have a, a good enough internet to be able to do it. But that, uh, they, they somehow believe there's like a $400 million market in that. And uh, this company was involved in doing that. And they were partnered with a, a very shady company in Florida that had a lot of bad history that uh, was involved in those uh, wannabe uh, Indian tribe poker startups, uh, Poker Tribe and PokerTribes.com. So uh, this company already has a questionable history, this WPFH, and this this coin is a joke. So uh, the truth is with these altcoins, the really fringe ones, unless you're hearing some actual buzz about them from someone you trust, I wouldn't mess with any of those because they're probably going to zero and everyone's trying to get their piece of that altcoin pie now. Everyone's creating their different altcoins now thinking that if it's an altcoin, someone's going to want to buy it. You have all these people that say, oh, well, Bitcoin's you know, Bitcoin's going down. Bitcoin, that's not practical anymore. It's, it's going to fall apart. The future's in altcoins. They're hoping you're going to think that. That you're gonna like it's not cool to buy Bitcoin anymore. It's it's, it's cool now to get into Ethereum and these other coins that are, that are up and coming. So that's what they're hoping suckers are gonna do, thinking that it's making them smart to get into altcoins instead of Bitcoin. You know why why buy Bitcoin, which is currently you know sixteen thousand something per coin, when when you can buy one of these altcoins for for a few bucks, which will one day be worth sixteen thousand. Who wouldn't do that? So it's like. It's like going back to 2011 and buying Bitcoin when it was dirt cheap. But in reality, just about all these coins are not going to go anywhere. So Trader Risk, are you still with us? I'm here. You're here. Okay, we lost Calwatt. Yeah, Calwatt, he just disappeared. So, well, he, t- he messaged me that he's going to sleep. So uh, anyway, we're we're done with the agenda, and uh, this has actually been a fairly short show because we started about four hours ago. So it's been about exactly a four-hour show, which is not uh, long by our standards. For other show standards, this would be like a marathon. 
Am I hearing the crickets? Are you walking the dog? No, I'm uh, inside. Oh, I thought I heard crickets. Hmm. I, I was surprised. You know, I, I would think it's too cold for crickets, even though it's it's been warmer in the L.A. area than it typically is this time of year. I it still gets kind of cool at night, so I would have thought the crickets aren't being heard anymore. But okay, uh, if anybody wants to call in or ask any questions in the chat room, we'll do a little uh, call-in segment or chat room segment. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number. Or, again, you can write a question in the chat room, and I will answer. Otherwise, the show will be shut down. And for those of you who who love the long shows, you're going to be disappointed. It's only four hours. (laughs) Only four hours. It's funny that four hours has become like the short show. It's amazing. Yeah. I actually feel like it's it's short. I like I feel like oh wow it's over already. Like I can't. It, it feels like it, it flies by. It really does. Like when when it's when the when these shows are over, even the long ones, I think to myself, did I really just talk for seven hours? Did I really just talk for six hours? Like how did I do that? What what, what was I talking about all this time? How, how did this much time pass? But somehow it always does. So if nobody has anything further. Then I, I realize it's late. It is. Uh, you know what's weird though? I just checked, and somehow our ratings actually went up. We actually have we actually have better ratings now than during the first half of the show, which which is real. I expected to refresh the ratings. Oh, here, here, uh, Cal. I'm gonna I'm gonna connect you right back. For some reason, it's not letting me. Uh, I am taking a call here. I'll connect you right back. Okay, uh, Brandon. Hello. Is this the fraud show? Yeah, it's the fraud show here. I'm going to connect back on Trader Ruski for some reason. Is this reason. the right time to be calling in? Yeah, yeah, we we're just about to end it, but uh, I'm going to connect on Trader Ruski one moment. Uh, Trader Ruski was on here, but for some reason it wasn't letting me uh, add you to him. So I have... Am I on the radio now, though? Yeah, you're right. You're right here on the radio. I scream all that again. I think I hurt my throat. No, you're here. Trader Ruski? He's almost there. I'm, I'm putting him back. Hopefully we'll reach him. I had to drop PGP. him. PGP. It's Pie Gal Poker. Oh, okay, okay. I, I don't know how I missed that. I don't know how you missed it either. I was grimacing when I heard that. <laughs> grimacing. I've just never seen that abbreviation before, so I didn't... I didn't now, listen, they got these uh, Robertos all over town. I ever, there's maybe 80 of them. But they're literally half of them are connected to gas stations. So if, oh. my question to you is, do you like gas station Mexican? No. No, I don't either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. People sometimes, they rant and rave. Now, it's true. All of them are 24 hours. They're open all over. I think it's the worst Mexican that you can eat. Terrible. No, I have Terrible. to say, if it has to do with a gas station, I, I, I don't. Well, they're just no- normally connected, like they have a building right next to it or attached to it. But I yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But when I see that, I get immediately turned off. Like so I just, do I. Yes, so do I. And they're not restaurants for the. Well, oh, I shouldn't say that. Some of them are restaurants that actually have seating, but a lot of them are just order out only kind of places where there's outside seating, usually in the gas station. Um. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I've never so, had it, but now I'm not as excited to eat it. I will tell you, no, you've talked me out no. of it already. No, it's 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 no, it's two and a half star. But uh, you know, I went down maybe a year and a half ago to that Lucky Dragon, and I didn't put anywhere near. You know, I'll tell you, if I knew that you could be playing, you know, that much coin in or that little coin in and getting those kind of offers, I would have. I probably put in maybe 
$5,000 of coin in. It wasn't a lot. And I was getting like $30, $40 four times a week. Um, but I agree with what was said on, on the other forum that when I did go there, no one spoke English. I went to the player's club to get my card, and he didn't speak English. I asked a couple questions. They didn't speak English. Uh, I didn't feel awkward because I really don't care. I mean, I go to, like, the soul food place for breakfast, and I'm the only white guy in the joint. But I could see how some people would feel a little uncomfortable because when I was there, I was the only white dude on the premises, <laughs> for sure. And no one was rude or mean. I was there. I, you know, I was there a handful of times. No one was ever mistreated me or you know was, looked at me weird. But I will tell you, if you're a Baccarat player or if you were a Baccarat player, that's like the king and come because they had more Baccarat tables there per square foot than any other casino in the city. It was like Baccarat, Baccarat crazy. Um, were you hearing? Probably. Were you hearing monkey, monkey, monkey? Shout all the time. <laughs> that's cute. Uh, I they don't have craps. That's actually correct. They had one roulette table, which I never even saw going. I normally went at, went at night. Um, but you know, it's kind of one of those places when you walk in there. It, it's very, very small. It's I'm trying to even think of a comparison. I mean, there's nothing you could even compare. The casino is tiny. It's like one big room. It's like almost having like a living room and putting a casino in it. It's very small. But night or day when I went in there, it was always kind of like half empty. And it was one of those places kind of like you, the guy talked about with the stock market money. You're like, who's running this place? And, and LOL, it's only a matter of time until this place isn't sustainable because it just never was busy. There, it was just like a vibe that there were just kind of a couple Asians hanging out in their living room playing Bakra. That's how you kind of felt. <laughs> you know? So... Um, I don't know anything about the rooms. I never stayed in the rooms. I think they kind of were trying to bill it as well, like a little boutique kind of hotel, but I, I am not sure. I'm not sure. The hotel's still open. Yeah, I read that. I read that. They're just closing, what did they say, the restaurants? and No, the uh, restaurants, they, the cas- it's, it's a casino is basically shutting down, but they, they claim. No, it said the restaurants. Oh, restaurants too? Look okay, at but, the announcement again. Oh, okay. The announcement said the restaurants were closing. But then they were talking about something else staying open and there was some of the food menus. So I don't know. Yeah, they were talking about the daytime tea and coffee. Okay. okay. Read, read it again. I'm pretty certain it said the restaurants okay. were all closing. But but either way, the, the casino, they claim it's it's temporarily closing, but what I'm hearing is that uh, they're looking for a buyer, and until they get one, they're not. Uh, they're not. Well, you know what they said. The they said the revel was temporary closing back in 2013. Is that open yet? Yeah. <laughs> like like Jesus. I I don't see how reorganization is going to help here. They they uh, it's been a fail, and <clears throat> yeah, what what are they going to do? The other thing that was kind of weird that I heard you mention somebody from the other forum about the area. It's not it's not the greatest area, but I've never when I've been in that area, I've never felt in danger, um, especially since all you do is you either you know, have a choice. You can park in valet and then walk right into the casino or you can just park in the garage and then walk right into the casino. So the area really I mean, you know what I mean? It, it's you're not out there socializing with the locals off the corner of Sahara and Las Vegas Boulevard. Well, uh, I'll say this. It, I, I, I think it's kind of a, a marginal area. It's not uh, it's not terrible. I will say, if it was further north on Las Vegas Boulevard, uh, then that area does start to get really bad. And then, even if you are just parking and going in, you do have the impression that you're driving into a terrible neighborhood, and it's, it's it can be uncomfortable even in the parking lot. I don't think it's quite that bad over there where it's, where Sahara is. It's it's kind of just where it starts to get worse, but not all that bad yet. 
Uh, well, the point I'm making is like, okay, think of something like New York, New York, which is on the corner of Tropicana. You know, no one ever thinks that's a bad area. Tropicana, Las Vegas, Las Vegas Boulevard. If you walk a mile, mile and a half west, basically past I-15, a lot of people don't realize that that Tropicana area in general, like kind of near where Wild West is, and the in Upper, that's not a great area. That's not a great area at all. Um, they have all those weekly rentals that bring in, you know, a lot of vagrants and you got, you know, the pimps and the prostitutes, the drug addicts. I mean, that area isn't a great area. Um, you know, the area's changed a lot from when I moved to Vegas 16 years ago. Uh, back then, generally, the eastern part or east of the Strip was, was regarded as being a very bad area. Um, anything east of the Strip, whether it was Flamingo, you know, Spring Mountain, Sahara especially. But now, even west of the Strip, like up Spring Mountain near Chinatown, I mean, there's a lot of crime. Yeah, I know, not, like, like immediately west of the Strip in a lot of places, mm-hmm. it's not good. It's not, I mean, I'm not saying you're going to walk down there and get mugged, but it's not the place you want to be walking around at night. I mean, there's a lot of criminal activity, car robberies, muggings, drug, you know, dealing. Um, you really, if you really want to be ultra, ultra safe, and at least in terms of like residences, you have to go either really, really west to like the Summerlin area or like west of like, you know, say Rainbow, like Buffalo, or you want to go east into like Henderson or Green Valley Ranch. I mean, that's that's really it. Anything near the strip on either way now is not the best area. Yep. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm lucky. I mean, I've lived out here 16 years. Like I said, I've, I've walked around at times ignorantly with, with too much money on me, but I've never been uh, a victim, you know, like of any kind of crime like that, you know, whether it's robbery or being mugged or even like, you know, something with my car. Um, but you know, I read the paper and I see the, you, know, you can just kind of tell how the areas have changed since, you know, just as recently as, you know, five, seven years ago. So, you know, when I first moved out here, the whole big thing was revitalizing downtown, you know, cause when I used to come out here a lot, when I was a kid in the eighties and nineties, downtown was not a place you'd ever walk around at night ever. Like your parents will tell you, you know, okay, once it's in the nightfall, we have to, you know, go in or, you know, the parents would even like not want to go to down, go downtown because it really was kind of like a, a shady, you know, just a lot of homelessness and just a lot of crime until they uh, covered, you know, covered it with the Fremont. I mean, do you remember when you were young? Yes, what was yes. your What was your portrayal of downtown in the 80s? Yeah, the the eighties was well. It was it was in the eighties. It was something you'd go to to see the all the different uh, signs and all that 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 were there for, for kind of like classic Vegas. But the area was not good. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I grew up in South Florida, so uh, you know the Miami area, Fort Lauderdale. In Miami, when I was a kid, downtown was bad. So I had this, you know, just it was not the safest area. Like low income, high crime. It seems it's only been like semi-recent, maybe the last 20 years that most cities, most big cities have made this effort to like revitalize all the downtowns. But as, as I recall, at least, and I could be, you know, corrected because I talking about just a small area of, of you know, landscape. But when I would think about downtown and just whatever city it may be, I always just kind of assimilated it with being in a bad area. Like, you know what I mean? Like just, okay, downtown LA in the 80s. How was that? Was that a safe place to be? No. No, exactly. The same thing with, you know, South Florida and, and a lot of other big cities that I travel to. So, but now, you know, when I go downtown, it's not one of my favorite places to go. But when I do go down there, you know, I, I feel relatively safe. I don't, you know, 
there's so much people don't realize, you know, there's so much. And by the way, they did a great job this city with, with new year's. I mean, I don't even know if people realize that would have been a good topic to talk about just all the security that was put into this into protecting everyone after what happened on September 1st. I mean, they had snipers on every strip building. Did you read any of those articles? I, I, I actually saw them, and I actually saw the, the police presence was insane. They, they had you, – you'd walk just, just a short distance, and there'd be another large group of police sitting there with, uh, with yeah. big guns and all, all, all ready to do something. It was a ver- the biggest police presence I've ever seen in any area ever. I mean, it's obviously a sad state of our times that you need that, but, you know, at the same time, I, I felt very, very safe. I mean, I wasn't outside very long. I, I was outside just for the fireworks and walked back in, but, you know, that they did a great job. I mean, they had snipers on top of the Palazzo and on top of the Wynn and MGM. They had snipers on every resort just up there. I mean, pretty nuts if you think about that. Well, Homeland, it, Secu- Homeland Security was here. I'm well, sorry. Yeah, so, so my thoughts on that is that uh, – I thought there was a very small chance that anything was going to happen, even if they didn't have this security presence, because obviously, no matter what presence they had, there was an expectation that something could happen, just because of what happened in October. Even though that person who did it is dead, and it didn't seem like he had any help, just, you know, even a copycat, whatever. So there was a lot of paranoia that this would occur. A lot of, everyone had this on their mind. If you think about what a shooter like that fears, someone who's, who's looking to kill a mass number of people uh, in a crowd or whatever, what are they fearing? Do they fear death? No. They, they actually expect what they're doing that is going to end with them being killed. In fact, many have plans to kill themselves before they can be arrested. So what do they fear? There's only one thing they fear. Not being successful? Right. Failure. So it is very important... For people doing this, this includes uh, spree killers and terrorists, it's very important to them to have the element of surprise to greatly increase their chances of success. They do not want to attack when people are expecting them to attack because they get one shot at it. And if they fail, they, they either are killed without, committing, without uh, completing their objective or arrested and in prison either for life or a very, very long time without completing their objective. So they get one shot at it. And they're going to take it when they have the highest chance of succeeding. And that's why it's very rare that you're going to see someone attacking at a time when everyone's expecting an attack to occur. And that's why attacks like the 9-11 attacks were so successful because uh, they, they were done in a new way that people did not expect that uh, there was really uh, – it really was like a sucker punch and people – once it once it already occurred, the nine eleven attacks, the same thing couldn't happen again because the no one would willingly give up the cockpit at that point, and knowing what had happened on nine eleven. But you know, on a one time basis, that was incredibly successful. Uh, and and same with this thing with 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 uh, you know now now the thing with busting out a hotel room window and shooting the crowd below that unfortunately there is not a defense against. It's it's very hard even even on this past New Year's, someone could have done that and uh, and really still killed a lot of people, even with the presence, because it, it is hard to quickly identify where the gunfire is coming from, especially if the person stands back and fires from within the room, like, like uh, Stephen Paddock was doing. So, uh, but the reason we didn't have that was still 
if there's any time it's not going to be successful, if there's any time someone's going to notice you bringing stuff up to the room, if there's any time someone's going to be, you know, going to if they're going to have you know this have the snipers, have everybody else that's that's ready to stop you and ready to respond quickly, it's on this night. So no one's going to unless someone is obsessed with kind of making the statement of having it occur during a high profile event, uh, then it's not going to happen. But even those that want it to occur during a high profile event, they usually don't want it enough to use their one chance to do this where the chance of success is the lowest, which it would have been here. So I really felt the chance of anything happening was very, very low. I agree. And, and well, that's, and that's something to think about whenever you get, you're, you're afraid to attend some event or something after something like this occurs, or when there's a threat of something, it, it's probably not going to happen. It, it, it's going to, it's going to happen when you don't expect it. Like the the people at that country music concert, none of them thought of, hey, what if we're out here and someone shoots at us and kills? No, not one person there was thinking of that. So that's that's unfortunately when it happens, not the times when uh, you're fearing it might happen. So, uh, but but yeah, they they did. They had an amazing police presence there, and uh, you know it did make people feel safe, which is good. And uh, you know everything went smoothly and went well as far as uh, I wasn't out on the strip, but I was watching it from the hotel room, and it looked like afterwards people were able to move pretty well down the street to where they needed to go. And uh, something that I, I I think was shorter than usual, the fireworks only went for eight minutes. I seem to remember they were more like fifteen. Yeah, I, I I didn't time it. Um... Funny enough, I didn't even look at my watch, but I, I always thought they were about 12 minutes long, but may, maybe even, you know, a little bit longer than that. But, uh, you know, what? I videotaped it all. I had like a little action camcorder thing, so I can actually look back. I watched the fireworks that were directly coming from Treasure Island. I was at the Palazzo, and I literally just, or Ven- the Venetian actually, and just walked right outside uh, in the street level and was able to look up and I had a clear view of the Treasure Island ones. So where did you? I know you were in Caesars. What hotel did you see them? Sh- uh, I, I saw it from Caesars. I saw it from Caesars in the Augustus Tower, and I was I saw it from three places as I always do, uh, over the Cosmopolitan, over the MGM, and over Planet Hollywood. Oh wow! And I actually hear it though. I hear it most from over Caesars, where I can't see because it's over me. Okay. So it's a very good view from the Caesars Augustus Tower, provided that you're you're. On the side that's closer to the strip, not the close, not the side further down Flamingo. Right. So I saw I, the picture that you posted. It was a very nice picture. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an excellent view Good from quality. there. It's an excellent view from there, and that was part of the reason that uh, that th- that was one of the things I really loved about Seven Stars is that I could get that room, I could get the room comped, and I and I would also by being a Seven Star also would have priority to get that room in the first place because I, just to come in and say, and say hey I want to buy that room a lot of times they won't even sell it to you they want to give it to the Seven Stars. So, so, so is this sadly probably your last New Year's in Vegas? I can't say that because there's uh, others who may give me rooms in the future. I may, I may be playing at other properties to generate things. You never know. I, I can't say right. it's over, uh, but but it's uh, it, it's definitely not going to be as easy. This may be my last New Year's in a, a Caesar's Augustus Tower. With that, so if you had to write off the cuff now, pick one property. And one property only that you would concentrate playing, only to achieve the perks that you want to achieve. What would it be? Oh, there's I mean, right now, if somebody put a gun to your head or someone dragged you to Vegas and said, "Choose." See, I I, I can't even answer that. I'll tell you why. Because uh, I I I have not seen 
enough. I haven't researched enough which ones give the best, com- best and easiest comps. And there's there's no program like the Seven Stars program used to be at other properties. So it's not like oh, I'll just switch to M Life and get it there. Like n- none of them are, do that, where you can do what I was doing before and get these unlimited rooms. And and there's right. only you know at some point it's not worth it. In fact, I'll I'll say this. Okay, I, I I found somewhat of a pleasant surprise today looking up how much it will cost to stay at the Rio during the World Series at the current rates I'm being offered. And uh, and by the way, if you are thinking of coming to the Rio at the World Series, uh, I would book now because uh, first of all, you can always cancel and rebook later if the prices go down. But during the week, the prices are pretty cheap, and uh, so. But I'm seeing prices for me, which are a little lower than other people, for whatever reason. I think because maybe it's a seven star, whatever. But the prices I'm seeing for most weeknights range from 37 to 44 dollars a night and uh, there's some taxes but not a resort fee for me so i i really if you add up all the nights there it's not going to be all that much money even with all the nights i'll be staying so is it annoying i don't get them all for free yes i'm going to pay with the rewards credits too so that's another thing it won't be real money out of my pocket but rewards credits do have some value it's not like it's just it's not just useless uh, credit but but the thing is here I was at least pleasantly surprised that it's not going to be like I was afraid it was going to end up if I stay, you know, twenty nights. It's going to end up like three thousand dollars. It's not it's not going to be anything near that. So that's uh, that's at least one thing nice that I found. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be con- I'm, what I'm going to be doing is is looking at places I can play to generate offers with with as minimal. Well, maybe possible. check out that nice Latin casino on the <laughs> North Las Vegas. Yeah, uh, you know, I I agree with you though. I don't really care about whether I fit in in a place as long as this, you know, there's not people being outwardly rude or trying to. Force yeah, me I out. mean, I don't, I don't want to ever feel uncomfortable. But if I walk, I mean, when I walked into the Lucky Dragon, literally, I was the only white person there. But I didn't feel like, oh, I got to get out of here. I have to hurry up. No, I just, I thought it was kind of funny actually. Like, you know, it didn't. Nobody, like I said, was rude to me. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, I, I you know, just, you know, but it's funny because. A lot of casinos have specific demographics. Like if you walk in to the Gold Coast during the day, like say you walk into the – or you know, almost mainly any coast property at, at 10 o'clock in the morning at noon, you're going to find – what do you think you're going to find? Old people. You're going to find the, the old clientele. And you're going to walk into the sports book. And it's going to be all the men betting on the horses with their programs crumpled up. There's you know, <laughs> screaming, run, sizzle chest, run. You know, the women's are all the women are clapping when someone made a five card twenty one for five dollars, you know. That's what you're gonna see. I mean it just you know what I mean? Every casino kinda has that kind of you know, the weirdest the weirdest demographic that I ever saw, and that was mainly because it kind of switched just crazily, was when the palms first opened. The palms tried the bill itself. And this of course is way, 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 way before it became uh, a station casino. You know, this is when the Maloofs fully owned it. And by the way, someone needs to write a book on that, how like they literally shot off an NBA franchise and a casino by their own like, you know, misspending and gambling and it just frivolous living. Somebody should write a book because it's pretty uh, interesting how they literally just lost a monopoly. I think and I could be mistaken. I think I read they own two percent of the palms. I mean, it's some small token percentage. Maybe it's three percent. Maybe it's two and a half. But Anyhow, I digress. But when the Palms first opened during the day, 
from like, let's just say seven in the morning till about three in the afternoon, they tried to bill itself as a locals casino and mainly for video poker enthusiasts and, and the older crowd. They gave away free gifts. You know, people would come in there and get, you know, bowl sets. It was one of those crazy places I even talked about prior on radio that sometimes they'd run out of shit to give away or they'd have like some back order of stuff and they'd give away like laundry detergent or like double A batteries. I swear to you on more than like one occasion I went there and got double A batteries back in the day or triple A batteries or whatever it was. It was just really, really odd. So anyhow, that's what they marketed to. So if you went there like, you know, at noon, you'd see the little ladies with the, with the palms, uh, players club card with the little string connected you know to the card and the machine on you know attached to their belt but then if you went there starting at like seven eight o'clock you had like you know the out-of-towners that young crowd a lot of rappers or, or wannabe rappers celebrities it was really really weird how like during that late afternoon early evening kind of segue it would, it would just transform from you know that locals crowd into you know anyone that you're seeing it looks like they're from out of town um you know, a lot of athletes used to be able to see a lot of celebrities. In, in fact, when it first opened in 2002, it, it basically took the title for that crowd, like the young, rich, you know, I want to be here. You know, it's cool to be here, you know, seen, be seen kind of crowd away from the Hard Rock. The Hard Rock had held that title for like 10 years. I mean, think back to like the 90s, the mid 90s. Where, where was there a place that really catered to like a young crowd? to athletes and, and, you know, people in their twenties. And, um, so anyhow, the hard rock kind of just by its own mismanagement lost that. And then the palms really capitalized on that. I mean, you could go there on a Saturday night, you know, I did, and you'd see a ton of security and you'd see Christina Aguilera walking around and you see Britney Spears many times. She'd be, uh, they had a nightclub. I don't know if it's still there, but they had a nightclub for many years. It was a fixture called rain, rain, R A I N at the palms. And, I was there a couple times back in the day. And I'm a big club person. And all of a sudden, Britney Spears would just appear on stage. Like, this wasn't like an announced gig. She wasn't getting paid money, but she would be there just partying with them loose. You know, she had befriended them. And she'd come on stage and sing a couple songs or do some covers. Or, But, uh, you know, you never really knew who, who you know, who you'd see there. Um, so that was kind of a weird, you know, that was a very weird demographic. And then, like, Five o'clock, six in the morning, that crowd is kind of filtering out or they're going to sleep or they're still kind of there just, you know, on their last hurrah. And then you'd see like the older crowd coming in with coffee and donuts in the morning. Um, Yeah, you know, very, very. That was a place (laughs) where I wrote a story on Poker Fraud Alert where I was playing or actually I was watching Brian Mikan play Pie Gal Poker. And this was like 2010 or 11. And he had told a, a the Asian dealer that had been dealing to him for a while. And Brian was, like, wearing, like, some really, like, outrageous outfit. You know how he'd wear, like, those velvet, you know, like, workout suits? But he was wearing something really crazy. With, you know, I don't remember what it was, but he had, like, a hat on and he might have had, like, some kind of a weird coat. He told the Pai Gal dealer that he was Nicki Minaj, who is, you know, a famous black rapper. And... <laughs> the Pai Gal dealer actually believed him and, you know, got all excited. And then when she went on break, she got, when she got tapped off the game, she came around and asked him for his autograph and said that her son was a very big fan of Nicki Minaj, <laughs> <laughs> which obviously not because Brian Mikan may be a lot of things, but he's not a, you know, black rapper with a big booty. Um, so yeah, it's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, so like it, it, it's true. I mean, you know, even, 
like out here where I live in Summerlin, I have really I have three casinos that are within like a two minute drive. I have the Red Rock uh, to the east of me, and then to the west of me, I have both the Rampart and the Suncoast. And the, even though all these, all three of these casinos are considered to be in Summerlin, you would think that you're in different cities. Like you walk into the Suncoast, and you know, especially during the day, you're not going to find anyone that's for the most part, like younger than like their fifties. I mean, it's an older crowd. You go to the Red Rock and that's a much younger crowd. And that's where like the hip younger crowd in Summerlin are. And then, you know, you go to the Rampart and that's just a whole nother weird thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. Like just what casinos, you know, what they attract. Um, I, I, what was, what was the actual name of the Spanish casino? Uh, the Latin, I, I heard of it. I just can't remember the name. I, what he said. Let me look at it again. But I mean, in North Las Vegas in general, there's a high population of of Latinos. So that you know that would make sense. That's just because like they're it, kind of just it, going it's, to it's their the, it's the Bighorn. Yeah, okay. They're just going to their local casino. You know, it's not like a racist thing. It's just there's a predominantly. I mean, you know what it's like saying when I worked at the Suncoast uh, in 2002, so 16 years ago, there was a lot of Jewish players that came to play at the Suncoast. But the reason why do you think that was? I'm, I'm guessing it was it was in a Jewish neighborhood. Yeah, because right, it was in Summerlin. That was the only casino, and Summerlin has the highest Jewish population in Las Vegas. So yeah, exactly. So it's you know not like really a racist thing. It's just more of a demographic thing. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, yeah, and then you know like I said, it kind of sucks because you know the casino that is closest to me, which is the Red Rock. I really I can't get rewarded in any way. Uh, you know, I'm still DNI'd, so I won't go there. And then the Suncoast really doesn't have anything that's plus EV, so I still kind of have to work my way down to the Strip. You know, if I want to yeah. want to do anything. But by the way, but, uh, uh, Brandon saw Benjamin for the first time in in like almost five years. I saw him twice. Twice? Yeah, twice. Saw him the, uh, the day before New Year's or the thirtieth, I think. The second, no, the thirtieth, and New was it New Year's Day? I think. It was because you uh, left the second. It was the day before you left. Yes. So I think it was New Year's Day. Yes, yeah. And I was really, really the kid's adorable. I mean, I already you know you already know that. And I already told you that, but it's actually kind of shocked he knew my name. Like you know, he kept referring to me as Brandon. Yeah, he knows about this radio show, and he knows that he knows you're on it, and he's he's aware. he knows you gave him that uh, that easy button. So he knows that a royal flush pays four thousand credits. Yeah, we asked him that. Too. How many credits does the rail flush pay? And he immediately said four thousand. Oh, it's what's also funny is I was uh, I had played Deuces Wild uh, the night before I left, and uh, so I showed him the f- photos they took of the hands I hit, and uh, so I showed him one with King King of Spades, Ace of Spades, and Queen of Spades, and two Deuces. And so what's this? He says it's a wild royal flush. <laughs> and I went. I showed him four tens and a deuce. He says that's a five of a kind. And I showed him three deuces and two queens. He says that's a five of a kind. Then I showed him four deuces, which I was actually dealt, which is amazing. Yeah, that only happens once out of every fifty-four thousand hands. I said to Benjamin, I said, Benjamin, you're sitting at home and you're playing some online poker and you get you get dealt seven deuce offsuit. What do you do? And he said, You throw that away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kid doesn't miss a beat. Pretty adorable. So, so yeah, we I, 
met with Brandon. He got to see uh, Benjamin. You know, Benjamin is often not with me when I'm there, so this was the time that uh, he was there, and Benjamin's mom was there. Was there, so Brandon got to see her for the first time in a while too. Yeah, and it's uh, nice. And I will say, uh, and this is on behalf of Benjamin, just in my brief interactions with him, I was able to realize what his uh, number one thing is. You know, kids always have their thing, whether it's you know arcade games or you know video consoles benjamin loves itunes gift cards he loves apps so you, normally i guess the ones that cost a little bit of money so if anyone out there has any extra itunes gift cards you're not using <laughs> send it to druff's way and he'll forward it to ben and I'm, I'm sure benjamin would really appreciate it because that's what he kept talking about for about 15 minutes yeah he loves ipad games and stuff like that yeah very cute it's a nice holiday i, I had a great time had a very relaxing and nice holiday down there. Yeah, I, I did too. Uh, other than the the fail that occurred with the, uh, the the stupid fails at Caesars, but and these were all minor. I, I talked about them all earlier in the show, but uh, um, yeah, that's par for the course with Caesars. But I, you know, I will miss. I will miss it though. I will miss you know, the fails. Are frustrating when they happen, but I, I'll tell you, as each of them happened, I thought this is going to be funny to post about on the internet and read on the radio show because, like, I knew. That these weren't major and they were just funny because these are just so stupid. So, but but I, I'm going to miss the like the, the rooms like that with a, that type of view on New Year's and, and and stuff and the free rooms whenever I want. Like that's uh, I've gotten so used to it since 2012. It's it's just so weird to think about it being gone. It's almost like you've been with a girl for so long and then you're broken up with her, and you think, oh, okay, well, I, I you know. I was fine before I was with her, so you know I'll just go back to those days. But you think like it, you're just so used to this, it, it's right. hard to get used to it. That's kind of how it feels. Now, it some may like- not re- remember, or some may not know that I was with Druff in this relationship from the very beginning. Actually, that's true. And I decided that you know my needs weren't the same as Druff's because I do live here and I don't need you know. I, so I kind of got out of it. I think 2014. Was that right? About 2014? I'm not I sure think. when you got out of it. Yeah, yeah I think it was 2014. There. It's been like four years now. So, uh, you know, I, I and then I kind of started dating a new lover, which was the MG or the uh, Bellagio Aria, and then kind of moved on to the Palazzo. And to be honest, I'm in a very committed, uh, very nice, healthy, committed relationship with them now. <laughs> I stayed there for four nights, and I, you know what? I didn't have any trouble. There's, I'm trying to think of one thing I can complain about. Um, no, I mean, there's really, you know, the only thing I can't complain about that property in general, and you can tell me what you think about this is they decided late last year, I think maybe early November as of one of their cost cutting moves. Now they don't have a lounge like Caesars, but they have something somewhat comparable. Um, it's a VIP lounge and it's only you in fact you've been inside it before and it's only accessible for their platinum players they yes. have three levels at, at you know both the Palazzo and Venetian uh, the gold, the regular which I don't even know what it is I, I don't know if, what, what they call it maybe silver bronze I don't know then gold and then platinum so this lounge is only for platinum players which is 175,000 tiers that you have to earn and what they did is they the lounge the lounge used to be 24 hours and it never served hot food. But during the day, they had, like, finger sandwiches for, like, six hours, like roast beef, turkey, you know, veggie. And they'd, they'd, throughout the day, they'd always have fresh cookies, 
pastries in the morning and you know things of things of that nature and then you could get hot drinks or mixed drinks alcohol juice pepsi you know whatever you wanted 24 hours a day so in a cost cutting move back in either late october early november they decided from midnight to 6 a.m even though they're gonna have a butler still in the room to serve you water to literally bring out bottles of water that they're not allowing any hot or cold beverages and this was a cost cutting measure and I just thought that was so cheap. Like, and again, this is for their highest players. You know, this isn't for just you know, the general public. Or, so you know, basically, they eliminated six hours of serving beverages when they still had an employee from in-room dining because that's who uh, they're like the, their butler team. Which, when they're not in there, they're you know they're they're serving in-room dining or still in in the VIP lounge nonetheless. So if you walk in at two o'clock in the morning, there's still staff in there that they're paying. But they will, you know, they're instructed only to bring you a bottle of water, even though they still have, you know, sodas and mixed drinks and anything else that, you know, any other beverages. And I just thought that was utterly ridiculous. I mean, how much can you really be saving there? Yeah, that is By letting stupid. people know, especially your your best players, your highest spending players. Well, I'll say there's a few other things I noticed for the Palazzo and, uh, and, and Venetian. that There's a little bit of nickel and diamond going on. The Internet is, is very expensive. It's $20 per night. And uh, that's that's the cheapest. They have three packages. They have nineteen ninety nine, twenty nine ninety nine, and LOL seventy nine ninety nine. Oh, I didn't even know Which, that. Wow. Yes. So that, yes. That, that's, I usually get the twenty nine ninety nine only because it's comped. But if I had to pay myself, obviously I never would. Yeah, it's it's, it's awful. So that's that's the first problem. And the second thing is uh, they don't give refrigerators unless you you either have a medical need or claim to have a medical need. So you you, you can't get refrigerators without being charged. Which is also kind of crappy because uh, um, refrigerators have have kind of become over the years it's it's kind of changed back and forth. But as of now, refrigerators. Isn't that common? Is that not commonplace? And excuse me for interrupting. Is is that not commonplace on the entire strip? No, it's not commonplace. Most most. So you're, so you're saying the MGM Grand, you know, Bellagio, I, I, I'm not sure those the, places will provide you one okay, for free. I, I can't say I, Caesars will. I, I can't say about the MGM, but. Uh, I know Caesars will, and uh, I know in general in hotels around uh, the country that having a refrigerator is is considered something standard now. Where there was a point where refrigerators would only be provided for a mini bar, and then if you move the stuff, sometimes they'd have sensors and charge you. Right. They uh, that's kind of been gotten away from to where even hotels that have mini bars will now bring a refrigerator if you request it and not charge you. Some places do, but most of them don't now. Well, right, but like I, you know, a place like that, or even like next door at the Win, definitely their thinking is: well, we want them to drink our overpriced drinks. We want them to eat our overpriced food on the property. So that's why they're not. You know, you know what I mean. That's why they're not catering to to that or promoting that. No, I know that, but but at the same time, not that many people ask for it. You know, some do, but a lot don't. And so I think if if someone wants it and the place is already kind of expensive in the first place, they should just bring it. They shouldn't yeah. charge it. There's nothing so, wrong with it, or or, or if, if not even that, there's nothing wrong with it being made provided as a courtesy for guests that have children or a family. You know. Yeah. I mean, just, so, you know. so so that's that's they do. I do see some okay. nickel and diming going on there. I will say that you know the rooms the rooms are nice there. They're all large, and 
So there's there's a lot of obviously. I mean, my room was my room was almost two thousand square feet, and that wasn't even like a baller suite at that place. Yeah, I mean, but you know even, what I mean? It was a nice upgraded room, but it wasn't anything ridiculous. You, even the standard rooms have a, uh, a separated, not separated by a door, but a, but but a separated uh, living room and yep, and, and bedroom area where like you step down, and so it, it, they're nice rooms and nice properties and. They well, the one thing I also will say, and I'm not trying to suck their dick, is that they just got done already um, doing an expansion and and you know just changing linens and televisions and just furniture in the palazzo. And that property isn't even ten years old. I mean, I think it's maybe eight years old, maybe less. I don't know. So that that's something that's good. You can see them constantly working and updating things and not and not letting things go stale, which that was my number one problem with Caesar's properties, even back in 2014. You know, I can't imagine how it is now. Well, actually, they, actually like, they improved it. In, in, in the Augustus Tower, they've done a lot of reserva- renovations in Caesar's, including the entire Augustus Tower has been renovated. Oh, that's good. And it looks, lo- it looks a lot better now. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I agree. It was starting to look beat up there, even though it was only it was built in 05, so it wasn't all that well, old. But and, you know, and the thing is, you you can't. I notice, or I know that you can't correct every small little thing. Like you know, you, you see a cigarette burn, you know, on a rug, or you know, or you know. But it got to the point like every time I came, I'd notice like there's a ding, a major ding in, in the elevator, or like a button was broken. Like and there's you know, it's like the Rio, for instance. Oh, the Rio is a disaster with that. There's so many the Rio. And you've seen all the elevators working. It's it's not common at all. <laughs> well, and there's missing buttons, and then there's like holes. Yeah. There's holes in the wall in the, in the hallway. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I've just gotten used to it, though. I've become desensitized to the Rio. That like I just yeah. I just expect well, these things, and I just kind of I get desensitized. The the other good thing about the Palazzo that may, some may not know is you know if you are there ever with families or you're or you're on a budget. They do have a pretty decent. I'd even say it's better than the than Caesar's uh, food court. The second level in the Grand Canal shops on the Venetian side. They have a Subway, a Chipotle, a Panda Express, and uh, they have a burger place. It's not it's not like a Smash Burger or brand name place, but they have like maybe fifteen, eighteen different. You know, it's basically you think you're in a mall somewhere, like you know, just a local mall, that kind of stuff. Like you know, a chicken place, a Mediterranean place. So that's good. You know, just in terms of, you know, if you don't want to go crazy with, with the food, because I'll tell you, you go out to eat with three or four people, you know, two meals a day, you're, you know, when you check out, you're going to have several thousand dollars on your bill, and it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's expensive. It does. Yeah. Well. So what, what are the other critiques? Uh, the that, refrigerator? That's, that's pretty much it. Just kind of the nickel and diming stuff that kind of irritated me. But other than yeah. that, I'm, I'm happy with it, and uh, that's... Well, and you remember, you have... Uh, I think it was $78 or maybe $87 in resort comps there, and their policy there is six months. So if there's no card activity for six months, you'll lose it. So make sure you, you know, take advantage of it or at least put your card in sometime. I don't yep. know the last time you used it. Yep, I do need to do that. Okay, well, yeah. uh, if, do you have anything else? Otherwise, we will no. uh, shut it down. No, I, I... Well, you know what? We can talk about one more thing real, real quick. Uh do you think the return of Isaiah Thomas, you, you played the other night, I think you played the night too, we played two nights ago, talking about uh, for, for the Cavaliers, he's been injured, he had like a yeah. very bad hip injury. Do you think his return is going to do anything, is it going to separate Cleveland from the pack? Also, do you feel as if anyone is going to challenge Golden State this year, or are they even more far 
separated from the pack as in years past. Well, I thought Houston was going to, and then I know they've had injuries, but boy, they've they looked, still they, can. They, I mean, they still can. But out. I know. Well, no, yeah. before Harden was out, when they okay. had their other injuries, and boy, they looked they they, they went as horrible tailspin. They looked terrible. They, they they looked unstoppable. They were crushing people, they were crushing opponents by twenty points every night, and then they got those injuries, and 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 Harden was still there at that point. But boy, boy, they were getting crushed. So uh, <clears throat> when they come back to full strength, I don't know if they'll still have the same momentum. But um, you know, for a while, I was thinking, wow, they could be the they could surprise Golden State, and they they were looking strong enough to where I could. Uh, I could picture where they could. I wasn't expecting them to beat Golden State, but I could picture where it would happen. Where nobody else in the West, I thought, had any kind of chance. Uh, the the uh, in the East, um, you know, I, Cleveland because it seems like Cleveland just really turns it on at the end of the season. A lot of times they've they done have these, that for four years. Yeah, I know. A lot of times they have these these disappointing beginnings, and they turn it on at the end, and then they crush everybody in the playoffs in the East, and that's that. So that's probably going to happen again, uh, but. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you a team that I, I that's that's been impressing me so far. But everybody keeps saying they don't have a chance because they always choke in the playoffs. Is Toronto, and then you know, Boston looks pretty good again. Too. They they had their their struggles, but they're starting to they're they're starting to get it together again. But, uh, but I, how can Boston be that good just basically by adding Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I don't know. And then there's he was being criticized for it when they were slumping a little bit. There was some criticism that he, that he was. Uh, that he was the cause for all the slumping, that he was being too selfish and all that, but uh, but now they're starting to win again. But uh, the main the main difference was bo- with Boston was supposed to be Gordon Hayward. Yeah, but he's been out, just, he's been uh, out for so long. Yeah, but but uh, with uh, with Toronto, I really think they're like a dark horse team. I even considered doing a futures bet on them, and then and then even considering the problem was the odds changed just after I was talking about. There there were plus sixteen hundred to win the East at the time, and I thought you know. I might place that, and then might even buy out of it, or somewhat buy out of it, uh, if, if they face the Cavaliers in the finals. Uh, but uh, at twelve hundred, you can't really buy out that profitably. Is the problem? You, you, six, you need something like sixteen hundred to do that, because I'm sure the Cavaliers will be a huge favorite over them in the series. To, to, to buy out would be very expensive. So, uh, uh, but uh, I, I think that if there's any like. Dark horse in the East, I think it could actually be Toronto. Now I know they've been choking in the playoffs over and over. They look good in the regular season, but there's been a lot of games where they have surprised people. There's been a lot of games where they are. Uh, you look at the line and they're expected to you know, lose on the road, or they're they're, they're, they're two point favorite and they they win by twenty. Uh, they've Toronto seems to be. Uh, they've had a few bad games, but uh, they they've looked very strong this year. And uh, I, I actually think that they have a higher chance than Boston uh, to, to uh, unseat Cleveland. But honestly, I don't see it happening. I I still think Cleveland's going to win again, and uh, the, the East, and uh, it'll probably be yet another Cleveland Golden State Finals. But uh, we'll see. At least you know, I, at least there there's. Some strong. I liked seeing Houston being as strong as they were because it's boring otherwise. If Golden State is just dominating the whole way, you know, you know they're going to be the the they're going to win the West, no question. Then it's you know why even watch the regular season if, if you know what's going to happen. At least at least when there's some other strong teams that that could possibly do it, then at least it adds some drama to the situation because that, that's become one problem with the NBA with these super teams. That it, it starts to be where why are they even playing out a whole season if you know who's going to win every time? You know, well, you know that's why that's why 
in my opinion, the NFL is, is still just the premier sport because, you know, even if you look at and people are going to say, well, what are you talking about? New England's had the biggest dynasty. You know, they still went 10 years without winning a Super Bowl. You know, so at least in, in the NFL, I mean, like this this weekend, you know, there's football this weekend and we're in the playoffs right now. Uh, it's never as clear cut and dry because in one single game, anything can happen. And, you know, obviously, you know, using the Oak cliche, the variance and all that, you know, in a seven game series, it's, it's there's a you know, there's a degree of less variance, of course. Yes. And, you know, that's normally what happens other than that one year when, you know, and, you know, listen, Cleveland, if they never win another one, they still should count their lucky stars that Draymond Green got suspended that all that everything just basically broke right the way it did the year Cleveland won because they were down three to one yes. against Golden State. Yeah, came back. I mean, that's that was those were just really unsurmountable odds. So I think that's part of it, you know, just, you know, and, you know, I, I, I don't even follow it for the most part. You know, like, I'm not going to sit here. You could tell me tomorrow Golden State and Cleveland's playing unless I happen to be home and there's nothing else on. I'm not going to watch it because it's kind of just meaningless to me, you know, until it gets right to that point where you're in the playoffs. And, it, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I just can't watch a midweek meaningless game. It just doesn't. I don't know. I mean, you ever, I mean, I guess it's different for you because you're betting. So you're going to watch a lot more basketball than I am just because, you know, you're sweating it. But uh, I don't know. I hope I hope somebody else breaks through at least on one side. I would hate to see another Cleveland-Golden State because most likely what will happen is Golden State will win. I mean, they're just too strong. Like They've probably now reached their peak. And the, the thing that's scary about all of them is it seems like they really do have this all-for-one, one-for-all attitude. No one's talking about, like, you don't hear Clay Thompson ever – acting like, you know, he's disgruntled and he wants to see what he could do with his own team or Stephon Curry, you know. In fact, it seems as if Curry is almost kind of been relieved to, to step back a notch and let Kevin Durant be the focal point to some degree of the team. You know what I mean? Does that yep. make sense? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of scary when you have all these guys and none of them are, are being selfish because they're not. You know, you don't see anyone saying, I want to be paid $30 million. I should be here. So if that's the case, I mean that core could be together another three, four, five years easily, you know. So you, you know, know, you know, you know, I'm actually uh, taller than, than Steph Curry. I did not know that. <laughs> How tall is Steph Curry? He's listed as six three, but they always list them uh, with additional height. They they always add on inches, like they put in whatever they are in their shoes, and they add another inch. So anyone who's six three is not really six three. Do you think you could take Steph Curry to the hole? Uh, depends which hole. <laughs> so so you got like so if that's the case you got like probably four maybe even six inches on Allen Iverson because they listed him as six foot but he was like oh five, yeah yeah nine, yeah yeah like yeah the best. yeah I'm sure I yeah so uh, yeah I don't know maybe maybe they maybe they, uh, maybe they have an opening for a forty five soon to be forty six year old Jew well the campaign with Tumbo was forty four when he last played I'm still older than him. <laughs> All right. I, I, well, I don't think have, I don't think there's uh, ever been a there's never been a 46 year old NBA or has there? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. I don't think for. I mean, I know like guys that got in there like their 40s, like 43, 44, Matumbo, Robert Parrish, but I think they were like 43, 44. Uh, the oldest guy now in the NBA, I think, is Vince Carter, and he just yeah, turned 40. It, it is. It is. It is Vince Carter, and that's pretty nuts that he. I think he had like 28 points the other day. Like, uh, was he Sacramento now? Yeah, it, it, what's amazing with him is that he was this, 
yeah, he was the star for a short time, and then and then he faded, and now he's just kind of been there. <laughs> he's not someone who faded and fell out of basketball. He's just been there, and now he's forty, and he's still here. Like you even forget. Right, here's you- an interesting question: the oldest active player is yeah, is is Vince Carter? I'm trying to see how old Robert Parrish. I was correct. He was forty three his last season. Okay, that that was the second oldest, so I don't know who the oldest is. I need to, to Google that. But who was the youngest person to ever make their, their debut? And I'll give you a hint. He was actually a, a Laker. He made his debut as a Laker. Um, and this is an oh, argument. I, 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 you know, I, I, I think it was Andrew Bynum, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. Very good. Fuck. I wouldn't have thought you knew that. Yeah, he ended up a big fail. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, Vince Carter. Oh, and by the way, okay. The oldest NBA player ever. I've never heard of this guy. I just Googled it. His name is Nat Hickey. That's H-I-C-K-E-Y. And he played a game when he was 45 years, 363 days old. Um, and the team he played for, I mean, LOL, it was the Providence Steamrollers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and then I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was second, and then Robert Parrish was third. So, but real fast with with Vince Carter, he was the kind of guy as you remember he had all this you know hoopla, especially when he was you know, with Toronto those first couple of years. People probably would have already just handed him an entry into the NBA Hall of Fame. Um, he might still get in just based on his longevity. I mean that would ironically be what the key would be. It wouldn't be for you know just so many great dominating seasons. It would be playing for twenty seasons. I mean it's pretty nuts. Like, he's by far the last guy in his class that's still playing. Um, I mean, that was like the, what year would that have been? Like the 97 draft out of North Carolina, or 96 draft? I mean, it's pretty nuts. So, I don't know. What do you think? You think he's a Hall of Famer when all said and done? No. I mean, you don't even think just because they're going to say he lasted so long? No. I, I, he, he was just, he, he's really been a non-factor for a long time. You, you kind of forget yeah. that he's even in the league. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. There's some, uh, some not, not right now, but there's been some baseball players, though, who have been older than me, even in recent times, like Jamie. Oh, the one guy, oh, Franco from the Braves, was close to 50. Well, uh, Jamie Moyer uh, pitched in the same year that he would have turned 50. He was 49, and he turned 50 that same year. He didn't He didn't make it to 50, wow. but he, he pitched at age was that, 49. Was that for the Mariners? It was for the, for the Rockies at the end. Okay. Yeah, I knew he played for the Mariners for a while. And then uh, he played for a lot of teams. And then uh, there was Phil Necro in the 80s who was 48. And uh, so there's a lot of, a lot of old pitchers. Well, and, and you just, we all just recently witnessed the most productive season, literally, by a quarterback 40 years old or older in the history of the yeah, NFL. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing to see how good he still was at 40. Yeah. And I, I you know, you could... I have all the New England fans, you know, boomy and, and, and whatnot, but I really do believe well, we're going to start seeing the drop-off to some degree next year. I mean, there already was a little bit of drop-off the last four or five games of the season, but, I mean, it's just the hardest position in football. I can't imagine that he's going to be you – know, he's talking about wanting to play five more years. <laughs> I mean, just can you no, imagine? You know, he's, he's underestimating how much the body changes between 40 and 45, so – yeah, that's, that's, I agree. That's going to be a tough one, especially at that to have to perform at that level. It's in all in all likelihood he's going to be the MVP again this year. 
um, of football. You know, I know you don't follow it that much, but that's that's what the media is predicting. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. Well, there was a big article yesterday that basically did you read? Did you read this article yesterday? It was this just fucking earth shattering article that came out by a writer from ESPN that basically said that Bob Kraft, Belichick, and Brady all hate each other now. Oh. And that there's been a big no that there's there's been a massive feud this year that that Brady and, and Belichick aren't on speaking terms really? that Belichick on and the owner aren't on speaking terms. I mean this isn't TMZ this isn't you know the the National Enquirer this was ESPN um, writing about this. So and they're even reporting that this could be the last year that they're all together that that Belichick may leave the coach the New York Giants now that Brady may demand a new coach or a new team that you know they're finally really? you know. Their egos are all just too much, I guess. Everybody wants credit, uh, you know, f- just f- for the dynasty. And then there's these other things that, you know, Tom Brady has, like, this trainer that uh, isn't isn't a part of the team, but he has basically some questionable training methods. And Bill Belichick is against that, and he basically kicked the trainer out of the locker room. You know, this is like Tom Brady's personal trainer. So whatever. There are all these different things, but this article just really went into great detail. Really? I'm going to have to uh, read that. Yeah, just how unhappy all of them are with each other and that they're not even on speaking terms. So it was kind of shocking. I didn't I didn't really see it coming. You know, in the second, so. the second half of the season, I actually thought the best player in the NFL was Todd Gurley of the Rams. He was he hit a monster second half. He was just yeah. he was killing it every, every single game. Yeah. Well, you know, he single-handedly, for the most part, won uh, his fantasy owners that had him, uh, you know, the fantasy football championship. Because he had, out of this whole season, his two strongest weeks were weeks 15 and 16. And, I mean, he had the highest week 15 and 16 output that any running back has ever had in fantasy football. Um, It was so much that people literally, like fantasy owners, were donating money. To like his charity, whatever it is. I read there was like eight hundred thousand donated from all really? over the world from <laughs> fantasy owners at one. Yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Well, you know, I, they did the same thing now to, to in Cincinnati. You know, Cincinnati. They were listen to this, and I, I'll, I'll cut it off after this. Cincinnati was playing Baltimore in the last week of the season. Cincinnati had nothing to play for. Their season was over. It was actually it was a terrible season. They were facing a fourth and twelve with like 30 seconds left. It was their whole entire, you know, that, that was it. Fourth and 12, they were down by a few points, so a field goal wouldn't have helped. And Andy Dalton converted on a 55 or 54-yard touchdown, and they beat Baltimore. They eliminated Baltimore from the playoffs. Baltimore was a 96% chance to win the playoffs, uh, or to make the playoffs before before that game. So what ended up happening as a by result of that was, since Cincinnati shocked Baltimore, the Buffalo Bills backdoored their way into the playoffs. And the Buffalo Bills, and what makes this significant, is the Buffalo Bills had the longest playoff drought yeah, in any sport in North America. Yeah. Baseball, football, basketball. It had been 18 years and counting since they last made the playoffs. And they're in. They're in tomorrow. And they're going to get killed. They're playing Jacksonville. They, they don't have much of a shot. I think... I think they were like ten and a half point fa- or ten and a half point dogs. But anyhow, Buffalo fans were so happy and so thrilled that what did they immediately start doing? They started immediately sending money uh, to Andy Dalton. He, he again is the quarterback for Cincinnati to whatever charity he had, and they literally sent like over a million dollars to his charity because they were just so thrilled that he beat you know the, the Ravens on you know thirty seconds left and. 
you know, in essence, put Baltimore or put Buffalo in the playoffs. So that's funny. Yeah, it is. So that's what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm going to stay up all day. I'm going to watch football. And I don't know. Are you going to watch any of the playoffs tomorrow? Or I don't know. I might. I'll see. You're not betting football still, right? Just no, no, the no. Basketball? The, the, the basketball. I've lost, I've lost yeah. uh, ten of the last fourteen. Well, but... you know what? You jinxed yourself by posting on that on the sister site. That was the first thing I noticed. No, no, Since but you posting that sister site. That's when the, the slump. No, 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 no. I was doing. I, no, no. I wasn't. I was doing well there. I was doing yeah, well for a couple of days, but then it kind of just started. No, no. The jinx was poker fraud alert. I mentioned. I mentioned on the radio show about this last week, and that's when I started to slump. Hmm. Like I had like one good day after that, and then I started to slump. Then I went zero and four, then I went one and three, and almost zero and four again. Or no, sorry, one and two, and almost zero and three. Then then I uh, like like the, then I finally had a, uh, a a win, which was like very decisive, and I went one and one, and and then, but then today I almost went zero and four. I went two and two, but it was very close. I almost went zero and four again. Would you go two? You went two and two. I went two and two, but it was close. Yeah. So what 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 sucks is that I was you know when I was winning. I was not only winning. I was. I was. The ones I was winning were often winning by large margins. I, and the ones I lose would not be by big margins usually. So I was. I, I felt very good, not just by my record, but by the fact that the winners were winning by much bigger margins than the losers were losing. But now it's been the opposite. Now that even the four I won, only one of those four was was a clear and concise victory. The the other four were. The other three were close. So I don't know. I, I only followed you on one game directly this year. I think I told you. And, and, and it got blown out. Got with blown Sacramento. Out. Yeah, I got blown Literally, out. Literally, with, with a couple minutes played in the third quarter, I was already toast, and I stopped following it. Yeah. I've it, had, went I've, over by like, it went over by like 40 points. It was I, ridiculous. Well, I had one today that I turned off uh, the early fourth, and I knew it was done. But uh, the it's interesting today all four picks i did were also supported by all the sharps or not all but you know the, the sharps the nba sharps the sharp bettors uh, the, i don't always bet the same way as they do I, I rarely go against them but there's many times they like something and i don't like it and won't do it and there's many times i'll like something that they're not on and uh the today was one of the rare times that i made four bets and all four of them were ones that the sharps backed but still still it just went it barely went two and two and and, and a lot of the sharps also like this uh a lot of people love this Milwaukee thing, which got crushed. I, I didn't like it, so I didn't touch it. But uh, uh, anyway, that's we'll see. It could just yeah, it could just be a uh, a temporary just slump because of luck, the way things are falling. And uh, so I will see if if I if I go through an extended period of losing, I will reevaluate re- what I'm going to do. It's always the right way to do it. So no matter what you do, you have to constantly reevaluate. So yep. Okay, well, thank you for coming on, Brandon. I'm glad you sure. uh, showed up. I gave today. another hour of content on the front. You did. I was, I was about to shut it down uh, before you came, right before you came. I was about to shut it down, and they were going to be stuck with a, a, only a four hour show. Instead, they mm-hmm. got an extra hour, so I ended up five hours. Nice. And I get to see that Trader Ruski this weekend. He's coming in on Sunday for uh, CES. Here's the weirdest thing: is Trader Ruski was on here. I said, I told him I got to hang up on him in order to connect you on. I hung up on him. I couldn't reconnect him. He never tried to reconnect. I don't know what happened. Hmm. Maybe he fell asleep. Herbal tea. Maybe, maybe right then the tr- the tea took its effect. So. Hmm. Or maybe he was insulted by your impersonation of a racist Asian general <laughs> manager for the uh, Lucky Dragon. Could be. <laughs> All right, uh, we will probably be back on uh, on Wednesday of next week. Otherwise, it may be a Thursday just to give a little more time between shows. 
I'll announce that there will be a show next. I can't week. hear you if you're talking to me. Just yeah, so you know, it's, okay, it's it's over it's over the music here. I, I'm, yeah. I'm talking over the music. Whatever for reason, whatever reason, Skype doesn't let you hear it because it's a piece of crap. But uh, yeah, there will be there will be a show next week for sure. Maybe it will be on uh, Wednesday the tenth. Maybe it'll be on Thursday the eleventh. It'll be one of those days, and there will be a show. That's all I can say. Should be a show. Right, I'm going to say Godspeed and Shalom now. Okay, thank you, Brandon. Right. Good night, Todd. Good, Good night, night, audience. Good night. So I apologize for the double delay here. You know what? I got to st- hold on. I got to stop this. I got to stop this. I, I I never told you guys why the show was delayed for two days. I meant to, but I never told you guys why the show was delayed. So this show's on a Friday. It was supposed to be on Wednesday, on Wednesday the 3rd. Then it was supposed to be on Thursday the 4th, and then it was announced it was delayed again until Friday the 5th. I never really explained what was going on. People assumed I was sick again. That was not true. I was not sick. What happened was that, uh, well, two things happened. Benjamin's sleeping schedule got way off because of New Year's. He stayed up for New Year's, and uh, that pretty much put his schedule way off, and he was going to bed and waking up late, and uh, he wasn't going to be able to go to sleep at a reasonable time, and his mom had to work the next day so that she couldn't stay up as late as he would stay up. That was problem number one. Problem number two is his mom wasn't feeling well, so that was especially why she couldn't stay up late with him that she especially needed to get uh, sleep to then go to work the next day. So it was a combination of those two factors that either I had to just not do the show those nights or start the show super late, like midnight Pacific time. And I didn't want to do like a midnight Pacific time show because uh, a few reasons. Number one, um, Benjamin's out of school, so I, I have to be with him during the day, and I would barely get any sleep myself if I did that during the week and and number two a a lot of you can't listen live because it's so late and and i don't even want to run a free roll at that time because we won't get much participation so i decided rather than do like a midnight show i'll just wait till friday night and do it at nine and then at least even if benjamin can't fall asleep then uh you know his mom doesn't have to be at work the next day and uh yeah so, so the whole situation was better and and also the next day, you know, his mom will be home. So if I have to sleep in, that won't be as much of a problem. And we also didn't start at midnight. So we're ending this at about 2.30 a.m. Anyway, I uh, just want to thank everybody for uh, sticking with Poker Fraud Alert in 2018. We've been on since 2012. We're going to continue being on every week for the foreseeable future. If you like, uh, register on the forum. Post over there. Even if you think the flying stupidity portion of the forum is a little bit uh, rough and has too many trolls. Uh, every other section of the forum, I don't allow any kind of trolling. So the rest of the forum is uh, you know, serious posts only. So if you just want to discuss casinos or poker or scams, you can do that and there will be no trolling. If there is, then I delete the messages and ban the troller from the thread so that's a safer place to post if you don't like the trolling in the flying stupidity section so post in the forum if uh, you're into that sort of thing give it a try but if you just want to listen to the radio that's fine too 
You can text me anytime, 775-372-8355. I will respond to you. Hope you guys have a good weekend or a lovely day whenever you listen to this program. And that is all for tonight as I end on this early Saturday morning. Good night, everybody, and shalom.